we are proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia podcast network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. To our newest podcast, TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remain an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. What I think for for Thanksgiving, for my polka dots. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, and welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're on episode 39 now, and happy Turkey Day out there, everyone. <laughs> I guess I should say happy Turkey Eve. It is Wednesday after all, but who knows? Maybe you guys are picking this up on Thanksgiving. It's uh, Thanksgiving here in the States. I know everybody else is just November 24th. We're dropping on, but God, it's going to be uh, a fun week here on the Wrestling Grenade. Of course, I'm your host, Ray Russell, and joining me, happy Turkey Eve, Steve, what's going on, man? Gobble, Mr. gobble, huh? <laughs> Mister nineteen ninety three. Steve Ekstad joins the show this week. You can be Mister Turkey Eve. Steve, how about that? That works. That <laughs> You're works. allowed to say no every once in a while. By the way, just, just so you know. <laughs> no, nah, it's all good, man. Whatever you want to call me, I don't care. In all seriousness, I hope you guys are enjoying this because I know by Wednesday night I'll I'll begin cooking and uh, basically through midday Thursday. I'll be cooking, so I got a lot, lot of cooking to do coming up. I, once I finally learned that there are a few things, a few tricks, 
get some things out of the way the night before. It's made my Thursdays, my Thanksgivings a little easier in the kitchen. So I, I know you guys aren't listening for any of that, but hey, man, it's just part of life. And I know you guys like to hear what's going on behind the scenes every once in a while. Steve, you got any great plans coming up here this week? Man, I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> like, it doesn't even feel like Thanksgiving. Life's been crazy the last week or two. So I haven't even really thought about it. I do know I'm off work Thursday and Friday due to the holiday. Uh, my company is actually recognizing Black Friday as the holiday. So I'll take it. I'm salary, so I'll take the day. Um, sure. But uh, no, I, I think about doing what I did last year. Last year, I cooked for myself while the wife and the kids went to her mom's to eat. Um, I made my own turkey, sweet potato casserole, and um, I was good. Actually, I did a 5K on turkey day last year with my apple watch i get a a a challenge and you get like special badges for certain things and they had one for turkey day so i went to a park down the street and got my 5k in so hopefully they do something similar because it was nice and i I enjoyed it so uh right on that's hopefully what i'm going to be doing if not i'll be watching football and you know smashing turkey that's that's not a (laughs) that's not (laughs) yes survivor series 89 gotta gotta get that one in you know, that's not a bad idea, cooking my own turkey for myself. You know, I had to I have to worry every year, is there going to be enough white meat left for me after all my kids get a hold of it? But maybe that's maybe that's the way to go. Maybe I'll uh, make myself a, a secondary turkey here this year. WrestleMania 9, guys, in the books. We want to thank everyone. God, what numbers we did. WrestleMania 9 and even the March episode of 1993 in the WWF here, as far as uh, listens and downloads have went. We want to thank you guys. For all your interest here in the Wrestling Memory Grenade lately, uh, now that we're back and running every week. Uh, WrestleMania 9, though, in the books, we're done with April 4 in the WWF, and we're moving on to the the rest of April here in the World Wrestling Federation. And we're going to go all the way to May 3rd this week here on the Grenade. And you know, before we get going, you want to talk about Thanksgiving, you brought up Survivor Series 89. I got to say, we're nowhere near the Survivor Series here in 1993, but I can't help but always think of the old Thanksgiving night tradition. And that was the Survivor Series, and I hope somewhere up there in the sky, Gorilla Monsoon is enjoying himself a big peanut butter pie that he always sounded so fond of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember at 89, Jesse got into him. He looks like you had a whole pumpkin pie, and Gorilla was like, don't be mad you didn't get any. (laughs) Gobble, uh, gobble. Let's go to the fink. Oops, wrong, wrong, wrong year. I've seen that show so many times. Uh, It's my favorite one. Oh yeah, one by far. But uh, it's usually the one I watch. The rest of them are eh. Eighty eight's good, but most of the time I just I got to get eighty nine in during Thanksgiving week. It's just it's a tradition for me. Yeah. What I think for for Thanksgiving for my polka dots. I love it. That's the road of the Mac and Dream, baby. So we are givers here on the grenade. Steve's always giving away free prizes. Well, I won't let the cat out of the bag right here, right now. But we will be dropping a bonus episode of The Grenade tomorrow on Thanksgiving here in the States. That's simply November 25th for everyone else around the world. A bonus episode of The Grenade. Those who subscribe, make sure you head over and check that out when it drops. Those who don't subscribe, what are you waiting for? And seriously, be on the lookout for a bonus episode of The Grenade dropping tomorrow in honor of this time of year. And that's all I'll say about it right now. That's the only hint you guys are going to get. Call it an early Christmas present from us to you. Just an extra bonus episode of The Grenade for the listeners. We'll also have news on next week's episode of The Grenade at the end of today's show. It's a special watch-along episode coming next week. 
and it's very important. You listen for details, so please make sure you listen all the way through this episode to the very end to find out how you can watch along with us on some very rare and fun WWF events coming next week on the Grenade episode 40 here in WWF 1993, Steve. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can't wait to do it. These are some shows I've never, I don't think I've ever watched them all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces, so it's going to be all new to me, and I'm excited for them. Also, I want to say hello and thank you to our listeners, not just in the States. We are growing everywhere, Steve. The Grenade is growing each and every week. Special thank you to listeners in Vancouver and the British Columbia area, Winnipeg, Manitoba. A lot of new Canadian listeners joining as of late to The Grenade, as well as Spain, the United Kingdom, and as Joe McHugh could only say, From the Isle of Malta. Yes, the Isle of Malta. Hello to the people out there in Malta listening to The Grenade. And big ups to Bulgaria, who seem to keep us in their wrestling top 10 of podcasts. I almost don't believe it. It's like, is, is Rusev or, or Miro's family, are they just listening? To the, no, I'm giving, <laughs> giving ourselves too much credit there in Bulgaria. But big ups to Bulgaria, who somehow just keep The Grenade rolling there in their country. So you guys, please continue to invite all your friends and spread the word. That's how we keep growing each and every week. Quite the lineup there. <laughs> yeah, all over the place. And a reminder, you guys can listen to The Grenade and our sister shows, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. Lots of new episodes coming from that very shortly here by the end of November. Also, TR Shocks the World with Tom Robinson and The Power Hour and more shows over at WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Himalaya, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, so many more out there. We're everywhere your heart desires, whatever your favorite podcast streaming app is. And uh, quickly, Steve, I want to touch on this. I want to encourage everyone to expand those show notes, people. I include timestamps and highlight notes of what's on each and every episode of TV we review every week. It's news to a lot of people. They read the, the description at the top of their apps uh, about the show, and then they just start listening to the show. They don't realize there's a drop-down menu. And you guys can look at each and everything we're going to tackle and the timestamp next to each TV episode. And it's a big help to help you pick up where you left off if you leave off in the middle of the show and maybe your app doesn't keep that information. You're, I remember listening to Superstars. I must be on Challenge. You, you go right down to the timestamp, you click on that number, and boom, you pick up where you left off. So, yeah, I just had a conversation not too long ago with my brother about my show notes and my timestamps, and he was aloof to it. He's like, you do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, make sure there's a, that little expand button or show more on the, in the lower right corner, I think on Apple, at least I, that's what I have. But yeah, there's a show more option and I'll give you all the goodies. I was actually checking out the website today and reading over show notes, uh, past shows just to kind of get an idea or re reminisce a little bit. So, um, definitely very cool. You put a lot of energy into that. So hopefully we can get the word out and let people know that those are available because that's a lot of extra work that you put into it to ensure that our listeners have an easy, seamless experience. So definitely check those out. Yeah, you know, that, you know I don't want to pat myself on the back like I'm Barry Horowitz or anything, but there is a lot of time that goes into sitting there and, and not just finding the timestamps. That, that's, that's the easy part if you want to call it easy. It's, it's just writing up paragraphs for each show and what's on each show and trying to be witty at times as well so it's time consuming it can take a couple hours so yeah you guys remember that use those things expand <laughs> those show notes exactly. guys and uh want to tell everybody about our social media accounts of course you can follow us on twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade home of the free prize giveaway be sure to follow us on twitter and facebook 
as well. That's facebook.com slash wrestling grenade for your chance to enter and win future free prize giveaways. More coming soon. Tis the season. The season is upon us, Steve. Don't remind me, man. Time is <laughs> flying. It is flying. And of course, uh, we uh, ask you guys, we invite you guys over to our YouTube account. That's the Wrestling Memory Grenade on YouTube. We're like five subscribers away from being able to craft our own vanity URL over there. So what are you guys waiting for? Get over there and subscribe to our YouTube account, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll be posting more videos soon. Lots of them already up. We see uh, right now I just posted the big boss man in the USWA, Mo and Mabel in the USWA, just briefly before they come to the WWF, it's been on a mission. Macho Man Randy Savage, just a lot of a slew of WWF stars and just guys that just left, guys that are on their way in in the USWA. And of course, there is WWF footage from 93 recently added as well. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you guys to go to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. We have 14 tiers of goodies there starting at a dollar. Just show your appreciation. I think I think Patreon takes like 8% or something like that. So we're not even getting the whole dollar. We just want to know you're there. Show us you're there. Show us you care, uh, as the old line goes. $5, though, gets you the all-access tier. That's my personal favorite tier it features everything from the lower tiers including all of my insanely detailed show notes and steve will be the first to tell you my detail my show notes are insanely detailed yeah they definitely are we're looking of at course. 36 pages so uh <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just one episode that's just one episode so um this is number 39 at 36 apiece. that's a and, lot a lot of notes and this is a light episode i can't imagine how big the nwa episodes <laughs> were they were probably like oh, 200 <laughs> But the $5 all-access tier, guys, I'm telling you, it gets you all of my show notes. It gives you early access to episodes, sometimes up to an entire week early. Plus, of course, the entire Patreon watch-along series covering Saturday Night's Made Events, Clash of the Champions, Coliseum videos, 1995, 1996. Right now, we're on WWF and WCW pay-per-views as a complimentary piece to go along with the Monday Warfare podcast. And recently just added March to WrestleMania 9. Uh, it's We just continue to add shows there. You guys got to go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Subscribe now. You can cancel any time. And that $5 all-access tier is my favorite. And I guess it's time, Steve. I guess we can get rolling with this show. April news here in 1993 in the WWF. Let's get to it. All right, guys. So we're pretty light on notes, but I got a few things to cover real quick as we get going into April. Of course, we touched on some injuries last month, the March injuries. Owen Hart, the Rocket Owen Hart, who just broke out into singles, was just about to get a big singles push. Reportedly by the Melts, he was going to have some sort of a feud with Bam Bam Bigelow, and that doesn't come to fruition here because Owen, at the TV taping, as he's wrestling Bam Bam Bigelow on an episode of WWF Superstars, blows his knee out legit in the middle of the match, and they have to take it home. That was taped back on March 8th. Owen is out all the way till May 1st, and unfortunately, as you guys will find out before this episode of The Grenade is over, Bam Bam is then pivoted into a completely different feud, and then Owen's kind of lost and forgotten, but maybe it's for the better based on what comes out of it by the beginning of 1994. But anyways, that's uh, that's where we're at, Owen Hart injury. He's out from March 8th till May 1st. We will see him on a couple of matches due to everything being recorded in the, in the past. Razor Ramon, still ginger on that knee. We watched him last week at WrestleMania 9. He did not look good out there. I mean, props to them for for wanting him on that show. Props to him for working that match anyway. It wasn't pretty. I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, uh, during the tapings here, he's even kind of hobbling on this. He almost loses balance just kicking at a jobber at one point. 
Basically, what happens here with Razor Ramon is his knee's injured. He underwent orthoscopic knee surgery. He came back. He worked Mania. They do two tapings immediately after WrestleMania on the 5th and the 6th. He manages to work those shows, and then he basically takes the rest of the month off. He does not do any of the upcoming house show tours we're going to talk about here in April. So Razor Ramon, I didn't notice this, obviously, because he kept working the TV tapings as you know growing up, but he's really been out for like the first four months of 1993 other than the, the big shows and the TV. He's not doing, he's not doing too well here on that, on that knee. I wish he would just go, go home and rehab. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's not really in any prominent feuds after the match with Brett. He's just kind of there because they really can't do anything with him. You can't rely on his knee being good enough for him to put it, go in a decent program. That's actually going to do some decent housework. So I think at the house shows used in tag matches where you could just stand on the apron while Luger does most of the work. That's a scary uh, thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, he isn't, he's in there with perfect and Brett. It can't be too bad. Well, but um, I never noticed it either until the notes. I didn't realize. But it, now that I know that he's injured and then you go back and watch the matches, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. That's why the Mania match wasn't very long or good at all. Um, that's why none of his matches have really been good. He has a rough one with Virgil towards the end of this episode. That's, he sure does. It's pretty bad, so um, I'm with you. I wish he would have just stayed at home and let it heal properly and get him back at full force. One more injury to talk about. We mentioned it already. Is Teddy DiBiase went into WrestleMania with a herniated disc. He did his best to skip most of March, again, working those TV tapings and working that practice match with the Mega Maniacs, brother. But DiBiase's still working with that herniated disc in the back. He works like a trooper, though, Steve. He works the, the tour, the European tour here in April. He does the TV tapings. If you guys go back and watch these shows as we talk about them, you will notice Ted doesn't really bump at all. He doesn't even deliver moves that would require him bumping in most of the squash matches. And uh, it's typically IRS doing most of that. So like you were talking about Razor standing on the apron, I won't say DiBiase just stood on the apron. He did come in and work the match, but he was very careful not to exacerbate injuries in a simple squash match. Now, I can't say the same thing when he heads over to Europe, working the Steiners every night. He's, he's taking bumps over there. So good for Ted DiBiase, though. Just keep in mind, when you, if you guys go back and you watch these things with us, that the reason Ted isn't wrestling like Ted is because he's got that back injury, and, of course, that'll lead to his retirement, or at least leaving the road here with the WWF by August. Uh, pretty much in-ring-wise, that's pretty much it for him. This is it. Uh, for the most part. I mean, I, I think he does some stuff in Japan, right? Before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but as far as an in ring competitor, this is pretty much it. And uh, we're going to take a look real quick, and this should go by fairly fast. We're going to look at the April house show marriages, the tours here in April. Of course, uh, for those who don't know, most, many, many years, and this goes back to the, I believe, the late 80s, the WWF after WrestleMania would kind of take a little time off, maybe a week off or, or something like that. And reset there would be new guys coming in a lot of new feuds beginning and they would do a european tour kind of give all of the uh the countries over in europe a look at their product and they do that here in 1993 in fact they have two groups that head over to europe and they they leave at different times group a starts on april 8th so remember wrestlemania was april 4 april 5 and 6 were tv tapings and then immediately group a heads off over to France, England, Scotland, and Germany. They're there for 11 days from April 8th through the 18th. And then they return by the 19th to work another Raw taping. Meanwhile, you go to Group B, and you guys got to follow me here, they stay in the States to do a Raw taping, and then they leave. 
and then they overlap a few days there as Group B gets there on April 14th. Now, remember, Group A doesn't come back until the 18th, so everybody's there for about four or five days. So Group A leaves on the 8th, comes back on the 18th. Group B starts on April 14th through the 25th, so that's where we're at here. It's just a big European tour. Here's the matches more often than not on most nights here as far as Group A goes. We got Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels over Bob Backlund. Crush over Doink the Clown. Uh, remember, the other Doink is with the other group. Also, on uh, some nights, Doink goes over Crush by pinfall, so it's kind of flip-flopped. They're keeping it even there. The Nasty Boys and the Head Shrinkers doing double disqualifications. Mr. Perfect over Lex Luger. Kamala over Kim Chi. Typhoon over Damian Demento. And Yokozuna pinning Jim Duggan in the main events most nights there in England. There was a special pay-per-view. It's actually available on the WWE Network and on Peacock. Uh, the matches are very different, but it is from Group A. It's uh, called UK Rampage 93, and I don't know why they didn't, you know, it's as uh, bad as some of the matches may have sounded on that, on that uh, the, the tour I just read. The matches they come up with here for the actual pay-per-view, the UK Rampage show, oh my God. Pretty rough stuff. <laughs> uh, pretty rough stuff. Fatu over Brian Knobs. Doink over Kamala, Mr. Perfect over Samu. I don't even know what's going on here. Bob Backlund over Damian Demento, Typhoon over the Brooklyn Brawler, not Kimchi. Crush defeats Shawn Michaels on a countout, and Lex. L- this is the main event. Lex Luger defeats Jim Duggan by disqualification in six minutes and forty-two seconds when Mr. Perfect attacks Luger after Luger KOs Duggan with the forearm. Then in a dark match, Duggan wrestles again and pins Yokozuna. In three minutes and seventeen seconds, uh, so that's that was a thing that they did there <laughs> in the United Kingdom. Whew, that's rough. I'd much rather see the normal A group. <laughs> that's I don't that's get why it, why it was flipped around. The, the normal A group the, that that show sounded like more of a, a rational card. I, I wouldn't mind watching, which we'll get to later on in this episode of the Grenade Group B. Here's where we are with Group B. They come in on the 14th. They work Belgium, England, Scotland, Ireland, Germany, Spain, Italy. They're all over the place until the 25th of April. Here's the card more often than not on the Group B shows. Virgil over terrific Terry Taylor. Doink the Clown defeated Tito Santana. Tatanka over Papa Shango. The Steiners defeating the Money Incorporated, the Tag Team Champions Money Incorporated every night under disqualification. Bushwhackers over the Beverly Brothers. Bret Hart pinning Bam Bam Bigelow in the main event and also on the shows. The Undertaker defeating the Giant Gonzalez, and every one just says Undertaker defeated Giant Gonzalez, so it sounds like there were pinfalls here. And I believe there was one that creeped up on the hidden gems between these two, or maybe it was in the unreleased matches DVD set that WWE put out. But I do know there is a match that exists. It likely uh, would feature whatever the finish was, because they did not go out of their way to create different finishes every night. I can assure you, I watched several of these, and I'm just like, this is this is not just the same finish. It's like the last 20 moves in a row are, are exactly the same as the night before. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good lineup there either. I mean, there's, there's some good matches out of both groups that right. I wish you could just put them together and have a decent show, but obviously you can't do that because you can't have all your heavy hitters on one show. So I get it, but man, that's that's pretty rough. That tells you the state of affairs as far as their roster goes. I got to be honest with you. On a normal early or late spring show, house show, in between WrestleMania and SummerSlam, these are the kind of shows you got, and I'm not even saying that in a negative way. That was completely acceptable for me to just go to a house show and watch a house show 
of that magnitude, Bretton Bigelow in the main event and some of the undercard stuff, pretty decent as well. It was that UK Rampage show that really, I was like, oh my God, that's what they chose to, to be the big show over there. <laughs> it was uh, kind of interesting, <laughs> the decisions it's being far made. Far cry from the other ones. Yes, Far yes. cry from the other ones. So, uh, we've been talking about a lot of the guys leaving the company. Oh man, April, it begins, uh, they're shedding guys left and right. March, we lost the repo man, Skinner. Well, the character Skinner, of course, he's doink number two now. And Coco Beware on the way out of the company. April, several more names going to be gone by the end of the month, including one half of the Beverly Brothers. Bo Beverly going to claim a back injury. And I think he does the old Lloyd's of, Lloyds of London gimmick, perhaps. Kim Chi, the character, is basically phased out by the end of April. I think he pops up on a taping early in May. But for all intents and purposes, the Kim Chi character is being rode out. The Bushwhackers are done again after the European tour until the summer. They'll come back and do more mixed tag spots at that point on the summer tour with Tiger Jackson taking on Blake Beverly, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Little Louie. What a what an action-packed match that sounds like. We bid adieu to Mr. Jumping Jim Brunzel, who's been on and off with the company since 1985 at the very, at the very least uh, as a killer bee and then worked enhancement for many, many years here. Uh, Jim Brunzel's gone by April of 93. Uh, I don't know that we ever see him again here in the WWF. Rick Martell also finishes up his on-again, off-again tour dates here in early 93. He will be back. I believe he comes back for a match here or there up in Canada. Uh, but for the most part, Martell gone until late September, of course. He'll be back in time for that Intercontinental Battle Royal. So those are the guys leaving the company here in April. Bo Beverly, the Kim Chi character, the Bushwhackers gone again. Jumping Jim Brunzel from the undercard. The model Rick Martell, who was really already gone, but he was coming back and doing some dates here and there. Another couple names gone. Uh, I think you'll like this one, Steve. The Nasty Boys no. uh, returned from the European Group A tour on April 18th. They are immediately, reportedly, immediately suspended and then fired from the company due to behavioral issues over in Europe. Uh, the Nasty Boys, in their shoot interview, claim otherwise. Of course they would. They claim that they knew they weren't getting the tag team titles here in the WWF. They were promised the tag team titles in WCW. They were offered a guaranteed contract, which I find hard to believe here, just a month after Bill Watts is removed as uh, head of WCW. But, yeah, so the Nasty Boys are gone from the company. Again, they have matches in the can. They've already been recorded. They'll be on TV until sometime in May. But they are gone from the company here in, at the end of April. The Nasty Boys are finally gone. Good riddance. That's one less team we have to talk about. Bye. <laughs> and you remember those scary six words that we put together not too long ago? I think it was just February in the WWF. Here we are in April. Brutus the Barber Beefcake is back. Well, Brutus the Barber Beefcake is gone. Like Jeff Jarrett was gone from the WWF. Brutus Beefcake gone. He'll pop up in a couple of promos that Hogan cuts on the Thunder in Paradise set. But Brutus Beefcake will not step foot in a ring again on TV here in the WWF. So Brutus Beefcake technically gone from the company. He will come back. He'll work some matches with Hogan as his partner here at the end of May, beginning of June. But that's just on the house shows. As far as TV viewers are concerned, Brutus Beefcake gone from the company outside of standing there looking like an idiot in a mask while Hogan cuts promos talking about Yokozuna going into King of the Ring. So, Brutus Beefcake? Yes! Whoa! <laughs> Good riddance there, too. <laughs> I feel like you're going to say it one more time before I get done here. <laughs> 
couple more guys leaving the company, one on their own, one, well, no, if you listen to them tell the story, two on their own. Uh, one, one gone, unfortunately, after a five-year run with the company is Sean Mooney, host of the Event Center's so many Coliseum videos and jack-of-all-trades for the WWF. Whenever they needed Sean Mooney, he was there. And whenever Sean couldn't be there, they created a twin brother named Ian Mooney at one point. Just because Sean was on so many damn things, they, instead of hiring another guy, they just gave him a second name, and he didn't even try to look different. So he was an identical twin. Uh, of course, Ian Mooney at one point even hosted Spotlight for a, for a quite a, a bit of time. So Sean Mooney decides he's done everything he can do here. He's getting kind of burned out. He's got opportunities to go work in the news for New York City or New York and, and I believe in Tucson. And he's in Tucson again right now as well is Sean Mooney. I was wondering where he went because he tried to do in the whole, go into the whole podcasting business and make a run uh, using his wrestling cred in recent years, but I don't think it was really working out the way Sean wanted, and it looks like he's disappeared completely from the internet, although I did find him again on the Tucson News website, so it looks like Sean Mooney's back there now, but Mooney leaves here, and it's a big blow. It, it's sad to see somebody go that's such a fixture on your TV and your videotapes. Yeah, I always liked Sean Mooney. And we were talking about this offline, but he did so much. He's one of those guys like it's impossible to replace him because he did so many things that it would take maybe three or four people to do, and he did it by himself. So um, uh, that's a big loss for them. And I don't, to be honest, they don't. I know Todd kind of takes over and does some more things, but as far as like the event centers and stuff like that goes, uh, they never really got that figured out. I mean, in '94 they do the face-to-face stuff and. Well, we so got face to face coming up here pretty soon here. I think that I think we got face to face coming up in May, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, I, so I mean, like he leaves and they quickly reformat yeah. it to something else. I don't have any proof of this. This is just me speculating. But you know why that was? Because you see who takes over for Sean Mooney here by the end of this month is Mean Gene Okerlund, and he fucking hated doing the event center shit. He hated doing the, the all that nonsense back in the 80s. It was too much work for him, which is kind of why the whole Sean Mooney thing even happened in the first place. And now Mean Gene gets stuck back doing the event centers here for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, it's it's face-to-face. <laughs> yeah, they, they quickly change it, obviously, but that's the Jim Ross does it, Stan Lane does it, Gene does it, a bunch of people do that, and this is all within like less than a year. Mooney held it down for five years straight, and that it's we've talked about this before if we can if you can just have less things that you have to worry about the better off you are that's one thing vince never had to worry about because mooney was going to get the job done and uh now he has to figure it out that sucks big time loss for them finally one more guy on his way out the door here in mid-april and i'll talk a lot more about it when we actually get to that episode of raw but rob bartlett will be gone from the company here in a matter of a couple weeks uh two or three episodes of raw coming up and then rob bartlett out the door uh, the WWF, I, I went ahead and I looked up some things and I got some got some information from Rob Bartlett himself as in regards to why he left the company and at least his version of it. And it seems pretty, pretty fair to be true. Uh, I'm not going to discuss that until we actually get to Bartlett's last episode, though. Do you want to touch on it here or you just want to save it for, for later? Uh, we can save it for later. Why not? Just so everybody knows, Rob Bartlett will be gone before we conclude April here, though, in 1993. <laughs> Uh, with all those guys going out the door, there is a whole bunch of guys getting tryouts and on their way in, including the Smoking Guns, who had most recently worked down there in Florida at the old uh, Eddie Mansfield promotion. That The Guns uh, come in as uh, Brett Colt and Kip Winchester, 
Vince McMahon changes those names immediately. Colt and Winchester. Those are guns. Why, why go by brands when you can just be Billy and Bart, the smoking guns? I'm Billy, and this is Bart. And uh, <laughs> I can't wait for those vignettes to start airing here soon. Smoking guns on their way into the company. Mike Shaw, who you guys might know is also as Norman, got his tryouts last month. This month he returns. And he begins a new gimmick, and we're going to talk about that later. Uh, he does a couple of tryout matches <laughs> under the gimmick. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to it. So Mike Shaw has been hired, uh, the former Norman and the future Bastion Booger, but he was something else in between, and I'm not talking about Muck and Sing, so we'll get to that. Uh, Ron and Don Harris, the Harris twins, the future Blue Twins, a.k.a. Uh, Eight Ball and Skull and the DOA, and, of course, the Bruise Brothers, they get a tryout here. They also recently popped up on WCW TV for like a couple of matches. They were doing like a going to do a twins versus twins feud between the Cole twins and the Harris twins. Boy, that would have sold a fucking bunch of tickets, I guess. Uh, but yeah, they, they do a tryout here, but I think it's them that decide they don't want to come in at this point. A fellow by the name of Butch Bearden. I actually had to do a little research on this one. It was actually a guy I'm familiar with who wrestled as the giant warrior, basically a big tall guy with ultimate warrior paint. Didn't act anything like him. Didn't look, he was string bean type guy. Uh, also wrestled as Butch Masters at times. Uh, I know him best from a run he had ninety ninety one 91 uh, down in Puerto Rico. Obviously doesn't get a job here, so being tall, which he was, probably 6'10-ish, I would guess, doesn't always get you a job here in the WWF. Another guy who wasn't tall at all who got a tryout, Wild Thing Steve Ray, and I'm not talking Stevie Ray from the Harlem Heat. I'm talking about Steve Ray from the old Wet and Wild tag team with Sexy Sunny Beach. And Herb Abrams UWF. I just saw Stevie Ray, or Steve Ray recently on the uh, dark side. They did about Herb Abrams. And uh, he looks nothing like he used to back then. But he had the look. I never understood why he never made it higher up. Maybe it could have been due to size. But he had that long blonde hair. He had a decent body on him. So Steve Ray gets the tryout here. And no dice there. Uh, Frank Anderson, who popped up a few times in WCW, uh, worked a uh, European tour match. He was a legit Olympian. Uh, Frank Anderson had some unique moves, and uh, he was badass. I don't know that he you know, developed well as far as character goes to actually get a push in WCW or here in the WWF, but there are gifs of some of the stuff he was doing in WCW online, and they are freaking amazing. Uh, Tex Deaton. Uh, nobody seems to know who this guy was. It's probably a name Vince or Bruce or somebody slapped on this poor guy. He's given a tryout and does a job to the Brooklyn Brawler, of all people. So I'm thinking this guy just got a, a tryout for, as a favor to somebody somewhere. Uh, a couple of uh, interesting names here. I know them both from Global Wrestling Federation. Bonnie Blackstone gets a tryout with the company and ultimately gets picked up and hired. She'll be on TV by the end of May. Uh, Bonnie Blackstone. Yeah, I, rem I was uh, very uh, surprised when she popped up on my TV screen here. From <laughs> Come a long way from the Global days. <laughs> right leaving her husband yeah joe pedicino i don't know he uh he just didn't cut the mustard i don't think he uh passed the eye test for vince mcmahon here in the Definitely wwf <laughs> and uh, i saved the best for last there's one more fellow who got a tryout and got hired he'll be on tv also before the end of april a guy by the name of the lightning kid who i also first saw as part of the gwf i remember taking a doing a dive from the top rope onto the stage there in the Sportatorium or the Global Dome, as they rebranded it. It was a big deal at that time. I'd never seen somebody jump off the top rope onto anything before. So even though it was probably 10 feet, 
it was still a spectacle to me back in 1991. And of course, his uh, couple of matches he had there with Jerry Lynn were just next level for the time. So Lightning Kid on his way into the company. You guys uh, may know him better as, well, we'll save that for later. I want to let the cat out of the bag for the few that may not know. And just a couple quick pieces of random news, Steve. Jim Ross now. If you guys missed the WrestleMania 9 watch-along, Jim Ross has joined the WWF, the newest member of the commentary team. As he makes a surprise debut at WrestleMania 9, Jim Ross will also now replace Gorilla Monsoon on Wrestling Challenge. So it's JR and Bobby the Brain Heenan now, the hosts of Wrestling Challenge. There's also a new color commentator on All-American Wrestling, a guy simply known as The Wizard. Steve, have you ever heard any of The Wizard? I have not, no. I never really watched All-American. The Wizard lasts for a period of three to four weeks. I'll start by saying that. (laughs) Okay. He's never shown on TV, but he does commentary with Gorilla Monsoon. Something new they were trying, I guess, because Gorilla was out on Wrestling Challenge. They were giving Gorilla new things to do. And what they were doing for those few weeks on on All-American were, yes, they were still showing superstars in Wrestling Challenge matches, but they were doing new commentary. And that was featuring Gorilla Monsoon and The Wizard. And the way Gorilla would describe the wizard, it made it sound like the Grand Wizard. Now, I knew I'd already known by then the Grand Wizard had passed away. And this was Bruce Pritchard, by the way, people, the former brother love getting a new gimmick. Now, they never actually show him on air ever, so you never get to see it. But Gorilla talks about his crystal ball and uh, just kind of you envision him as the Grand Wizard type character with a crystal ball. It just sounded so fucking cool. But unfortunately, Bruce Pritchard, not the best color commentator in the world. It wasn't very good stuff. And uh, the wizard lasts a total of three to four weeks on All-American. He'll come back later on as Rio Rogers. That'll last about two weeks. So Bruce Pritchard, a couple of failed gimmicks here in 1993. Yeah, I remember Rogers. Yeah, I never watched All-American, so I never heard it. Might have to go check it out and take a peek. I, uh, I fancy myself as a gigantic wrestling fan, obviously, right? And growing up, I would watch every show. I watched Spotlight. I got Spotlight every Friday night. I got Superstars. I got Wrestling Challenge. I watched Prime Time before Raw ever ever was ever even close to a thing. I watched everything. I even watched Mania just because it was on. And, of course, I watched all the WCW programming. I, I watched The Power Hour and Worldwide and Saturday Night and, and, and all, all those good shows. And I watched Global and USWA Down. I watched everything. But All-American was the show that I was okay was skipping uh, more often than not, to be honest with you. It was just on late enough in the morning that I was just kind of over everything for the weekend. I was kind of done. And it was usually always mostly just replays of matches. I just happened to flip it on one day during this wizard phase, mind you. I think they were showing the Bam Bam Owen Hart match, if I remember correctly. And I hear this na- this voice I wasn't familiar with. And Gorilla starts talking about, oh, what do you see in your crystal ball? I go, what is this guy? What is I- I'm getting excited. Like, this guy sounds awesome. And then I never hear from him again. And it takes me years to find footage of, of this wizard character. And now I'm like, well, that wasn't very, there wasn't a whole lot to that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you always remember things uh, differently, usually. So it's kind of like an old video game that you played the hell out of. Yeah. And then you get it again. And it's like, yeah, this wasn't as good as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, I can say that too about some old TV shows that I watch. It just doesn't live up to the way I remember them. Yeah, for sure. So we go on. We're going to do a quick look at the USWA crossover. Of course, the WWF are loaning out talent to the USWA since Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler are up working for Vince McMahon and the WWF. 
I don't want to call it a light month at all with the USWA and the WWF feud because it's pretty big, but there's just not a whole lot to it as far as having to break it down here. Here in April, it's all Macho Man Randy Savage in the USWA. He's there for the month, feuding, continuing his feud with Jerry Lawler. Also in is the sensational Sherry. She's beginning to feud with Miss Texas, who some of you may know better as Jacqueline in the WWF and, and even in WCW. Uh, there was a, a steel cage match on the April 19th Mid-South Coliseum show in which Jerry Lawler defeated Randy Savage on a disqualification. Yes, there were a lot of disqualifications, cage matches in Memphis because it was Memphis. But it was how they got to the DQ that was most intriguing here as sensational Sherry climbs the cage and, yes, reunites with her former man, Randy Savage, as she helps him take down the King Jerry Lawler. So very cool to see Randy Savage and Sherry together again, even if it is just in the USWA. We see them together again on an episode of Raw here. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at something else, but I, yeah, I suppose so. Me too. <laughs> so. Now that is Raw! Oh, it's Raw. It, it does get Raw. <laughs> is that stuff out there for that? I haven't gotten that far with my USWA to know exactly everything that I, I can get a hold of. But yeah, there's there's some of it. Of course, I, I saw a lot of this stuff in the after mag, so I was just clamoring why is it USWA on my TV? There's fucking WWF guys there. Right. <laughs> I've heard a lot about this feud. It's so good. It's, it's just interesting that this happened. It, it's one of those things that kind of gets forgotten over time that this actually happened well before any sort of invasion angle in 2001 or anything like that, that they did something like this. I mean, it wasn't a full scale work together, right. but Vince was clearly helping these guys out and sending talent down there to try to boost their house and, and things like that. And uh, just some of the stuff you get out of it is awesome. And they did similar stuff with ECW later on. But yeah, pretty pretty awesome. Pretty uh, unique and different for the time. Yeah, and it's so funny to know they have this heated, uh, I, want, I want you dead rivalry down in Memphis. And then every Saturday, boop, they're sitting, <laughs> with Vince McMahon in between them, they're sitting at a table doing a commentary on WWF superstars. <laughs> Makes sense, huh? It is what you know, you know, that's a great segue, Steve. You know what never makes any sense? It's that time again, people. Time for the Virgil of the week, Steve. I know you're ready for this one. <laughs> I am ready for this one. This one oh is going to be great. Virgil thanks the people because it wouldn't be a Virgil promo if he didn't. And then he wants to make some people slaves. I'd like to tip my head to all these good people all over the world who follow behind Virgil, who gave me that lift, man, when I needed it. And I heard that name, Virgil, 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 come on. When I'm down, they bring me up to the top. I just want to thank all you people. And I want to thank all the people in the WWF because I'm coming at the top. I don't care who it is, man. I'm coming out there and I'm going to fight my way to the top. I started down the bottom, now I'm coming up. I see the light, man. I see at the top, I see belts, I see people, I see money. I want it all. And only way you can get to the top now is to fight your way to the top. So watch out, all the people in the WWF. I'm talking about Virgil is on his way up. And who gets in my way is going to get slayed. Does he say they're going to get slaved? I, I, or is he saying slayed? Because it's coming out a little more crystal clear to me now. It sounded like slayed. But I was so excited when I listened to this the first five times. And I swear it sounded like he said they're going to be slaves. So I don't know. But it's Virgil. So you never really know. I mean, this guy's, I mean, there's so many things to pick apart here where he says he's, 
He's tipping his head. He, he thought he was clever there, Steve, because he didn't have a hat on. He was tipping his head. But the whole idea of tipping your hat is actually <laughs> lifting it up off your head. So for him to tip his oh head, that would be just amazing if Virgil could do that. And then he's coming at the top, Steve. He sees belts. He sees people. He sees fucking people at the top, Steve. They're not going to let him up there. Oh, my God. He's coming at the top. <laughs> coming at the top. I see belts. I see people. Tip my fucking oh my head. God. Make you a slave, bitch. Um. Yeah, I, it did sound like it's 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 questionable there. Like, <laughs> obviously, you know, he's trying to say Slade, but it, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> so, well, it's, like I said, uh, it's Virgil. Uh, oh, my God. I can't expect anything less than Virgil. All right, we've had our wow. fun with good old Verge again this week, and there'll be more Virgil of the Week each and every week here in the 1993 WWF. I think at some point Virgil doesn't really, <laughs> he's not allowed to cut promos anymore. They finally catch on to this shit, and uh, so we're going to have to go back and revisit some old Virgil promos, but they're equally as funny as the ones here in 1993. I, I, I got one coming up next week. I think it's the next one on, on tap where he, he basically thinks he's an equal to Bret Hart. Yeah, that happened. Wow. Dead silence on Steve's in there for a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, Virgil. Put down whatever you're smoking, but Just put it down. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go on now. We'll look at the TV here. And we left off with WrestleMania 9 last week, the watch-along. That was April 4. Well, now we're on April 5 here on Monday Night Raw at the Manhattan Center. This was actually taped before WrestleMania. And if you remember, March to WrestleMania was last week. So this was actually taped two weeks ago. At the Manhattan Center, it's Vince and Randy Savage. No Rob Bartlett here this week. And Vince says, what a WrestleMania. But it hasn't happened yet, Vince. As they stand ringside and pimp WrestleMania. It's funny to think that they're doing that two weeks ago, or two weeks prior to the actual event. As we get to the ring, it's Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Virgil. Uh, and Virgil gets in some offense, really generic offense. But yes, he, he's, uh, he's going to try to make a slave out of Bam Bam Bigelow here. And the fans are not buying it. In fact, there's a giant Virgil sucks chant that begins at the beginning of the match. Virgil tries a crucifix, but Bam Bam quickly turns that into a Samoan drop. Then it's Bam Bam Bigelow with chin locks and bear hugs to drag out the time on the match. Virgil makes a break and does a shitty top rope drop kick. Oh, it was it was not pretty. Gets a two count off that. Virgil then eats the canvas as Bammer swats away a missed reverse cross body block off the middle rope, and Bigelow goes up, diving headbutt ends this thing unmercifully because it went seven fucking minutes. Oh my God. This was so boring. <laughs> uh, lots of rest holes by Bam Bam working the neck and a headlock. And that's, that's about three or three and a half minutes of your match. And then Virgil messed up everything he did. It seemed like, yeah. I don't know if you saw it where he tried to do the slide through the legs at the beginning. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe that's not in my notes. Holy fuck. He completely, he completely like stopped and lost all his yes. momentum. <laughs> and Vir Bam Bam Vir is just standing there with his legs spread and Virgil just looks up at him like, shit. <laughs> it's so bad. It's great. You guys oh got to go God. check that. It's at the early part of the match. Virgil tries to, as Steve said, slide through Bam Bam's legs. You've seen that done a, a million times. And he just loses all momentum the minute he lands on the ground to slide. He just, he doesn't slide. And he just looks up at Bam Bam like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Bam Bam like picks him up. He 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 recovers and helps him a little bit. But oh my god, it was so bad. Vince, I think he recovered for for it on commentary, like something like uh Bam Bam stopped him or something like that. Clearly, no, there was no stopping there. Virgil totally just blew it. 
It's like that dude going into second base, coming up like six inches short, not even touching the bag at all. Pretty brutal. But yeah, this match was terrible. Virgil's horrible. So even though the opening was taped two weeks ago, the commentary was more or less live. Vince always liked to keep current events and everything up to date here on the Raw shows to make it always seem live, even when it wasn't. So now we hear from Savage and Vince throughout the show promoting the replay of WrestleMania coming up. And Savage, uh, Hulk Hogan is an opportunist, and he seized it. So uh, you ain't shitting there, Randy Savage. And uh, they talk about Lex Luger KOing Bret Hart at the WrestleMania brunch and KOing Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania. And they say that these coincidences are starting to happen too often. So when he was knocking job guys out, that was okay, Steve. But now that he knocked out Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, oh, now we're going to look into this shit. We also learn at this point that Rob Bartlett is uh, supposedly stuck in Las Vegas, and he lost all of his money while he was out there. What's the deal with the, Is there, like, any backstory to this, or is this just an angle they decided to shoot to not have him on TV? Well, you know, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that he couldn't do the live recording here on the audio or be there with them for it because that's my only guess, simply because this was taped on an episode on 422 when Rob Bartlett was there. So he was there. They could have had him there if they wanted to to open the show, if they'd wanted to do that. But I guess they knew he wasn't going to be available for actual commentary for this show on the 5th. So they came up with this nonsense. That makes sense. Okay. I mean, I, I put that all together myself. I could be bullshitting myself. I mean, but it makes just sense. made the most sense. I got so excited. I remember watching this episode live way back in 1993 because I was finally going to see Jerry Lawler get in the ring and wrestle a match beyond the Royal Rumble match. And he was scheduled to make his Monday Night Raw debut. He makes his way out, and the crowd just won't shut up, Steve. And here he's out, and he cuts a promo at ringside. The, the Burger King chants start up. And Lawler dares them, you do that one more time, and I'm going to leave. And Lawler leaves. Sure enough, he walks away. Oh, I was so pissed off at that crowd when they did that. I blame that crowd. <laughs> I, I was sitting there, and I was so pissed off back in 1993. I really thought he had me, Steve. I really thought he, was, he just left. Not left the company, but he wasn't wrestling. <laughs> They're just building up the anticipation. Right. Yeah, I, uh, you, it's an old Andy Kaufman line, but Lawler used this one time at a show I was at, and it was just, it stuck with me, God, almost almost 30 years now. The crowd's booing the shit out of him, and he's like, if you, if you don't stop booing me, I'm leaving this place, and I'm never coming back. And of course, that just you know brings it up even higher. The best line, he comes back and goes, you know what, just for that, I'm staying. So it was a great, great line by Lawler there, <laughs> like he, he showed the fans. <laughs> That's great. Uh, we go on with the show. Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, this is recorded at WrestleMania. You see the WrestleMania background. He's talking to Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. This is presumably shortly after Yoko loses the title to Hulk Hogan. They have filed a, a protest, Steve, with WWE President Jack Tunney. Fuji claims no official contract was ever signed with Hogan, so the title should have never changed hands. You yellow belly. <laughs> yeah, it's funny on this one. Gene just does all the talking. Like oh, yeah. He talked the whole time. It's like, and then I let's to, get to uh, the point. I rewound it. Yeah, I rewound it. I'm like, did Fuji even say anything? And Gene was just explaining everything with Yoko doing his huss and bonsai crap and takes his robe off. And Fuji just shakes his head in like agreement. And that's the whole segment. I thought I missed something. But no, I, I didn't. Makes sense, though. Would you rather yeah, Fuji had explained no, it to no, me? No. Okay, okay. All right. Just no, make sure. not. no, no. I'm just like, I just... <laughs> 
I thought I missed something because you you know you you don't expect the interviewer that's right to carry every to carry the whole thing. So like you just thought I, I thought I just missed a part or two, but now and also I noticed that Gene was already in his suit. He was done with that. Uh, <laughs> he was done with that that toga, even though he had a cool one. But um, he was done with that shit. Ha! Time to go. Call the hotline and party all night. Mean Gene Okerlund. And uh, we go, so uh, Yokozuna and, and Fuji filing a protest. They want the belt back. They don't think Hogan uh, rightfully won the title from them at WrestleMania. I have to agree with them, uh, but we'll see what happens here by the uh, weekend TV. Is Bob Backlund in the ring getting ready to take on Kimchi? Kimchi with a cheap shot and some generic offense. Very long chin lock by Kimchi on Bob Backlund. He's uh, rocking purple trunks, I noticed, underneath his uh, Kimchi attire here. Uh, I wonder why he would do that. Kim Chi then tries a reverse monkey flip. Bob stops, simply steps over into the Backlund Bridge, picks up the win. Four minutes, Bob Backlund over Kim Chi. And then we cut straight to the bell sounding for our next match. Damian Demento taking on Jump and Jim Brunzel. And the only thing I could come up with, because I watched the original, the live version, this is the network version, is Jim Brunzel gets a ring entrance and he comes out to the old Young Stallions Crank It Up song, which Jimmy Hart sang. So I'm assuming... There was a copyright issue there that they thought there might be, so they just edited out the entrances, and we go right to the match, Brunzel and Demento, and that's when Rob Bartlett calls in. He says he's broke, he's stuck in Vegas, he asks Vince McMahon to wire him some money. Uh, this is supposed to be a comedy bit. Terrible jokes are made throughout this little phone call, and then uh, when, when Bartlett asks for money, Vince tells him, it's a, it's a bad connection, I, I can't hear you, and then hangs up on Bartlett. <laughs> It was a terrible match. I'm glad this happened during the match. Well, I think this, this match, match was a backdrop terrible. for for the for the phone call. Yeah, smart booking. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, Savage had a Savage had a line there that said uh, he wants nothing to do but to help Bartlett, but he doesn't have time. <laughs> I thought that was don't have the time right now, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this match was oh, terrible. Well, you can see my notes here. I wrote, Demento is awful, awful in all capitals. Then I wrote, Brunzel, Hope Spots, and Drop Kick! What a maneuver! The Jim Brunzel Drop Kick! One, two, Demento gets his foot on the ropes, sadly. Comes back and nails his hangman's neckbreaker in the loaded knee drop. Damian Demento picks up the win five minutes and six seconds. They couldn't have picked a better man than Damian Demento to throw in the ring if you wanted people to pay attention to the phone call instead of the actual match. Unfortunately for the people in the arena, they had to actually watch this poor match and poor Jim Brunzel. Yeah. Demento, when do we get to see him on the coming and going list? <laughs> Not man, soon enough. I, I honestly, I thought he was gone earlier than he is. I, I can't believe he sticks around as long as he does because we got other matches coming up here with him that where he just doesn't want to bump. Not because he's got an ego. He just he's, doesn't want to bump. Like, I, that hurts. I don't want to do that. Why are you in here? Why are you here? Why are you a wrestler if you don't yes. want to do bumps? <laughs> That's half the battle there, buddy. So yeah, we get, another, we get another chance. Jerry Lawler is a good man, Steve. He gives us another chance. Out to the ring a second time to take on his scheduled opponent, Jimmy Powers. But he's disrespected by the fans again. No! Jerry Lawler <laughs> leaves ringside a second. What heel heat? Jerry Lawler leaves his match again. Before the match can start, because of those damn disrespectful crowd, that, that crowd, oh, they were pissing me off. Oh, to no end here. Back in <laughs> April 5, 1993. Show goes on. It's the Steiner brothers taking on the Beverly brothers. I guess you can call this a rematch from the Royal Rumble. Beverly's get cocky 
and Scott keeps giving it right back to him, though. Double underhook powerbomb on Bo Beverly early on. Rick tags in. Blake Beverly delivers the power slam on Rick, so Rick comes right back and nails his own version. The Buzz Sawyer power slam, catching Blake in midair. The Beverlys take over and double team on Scott Steiner. A lot of cheating going on there. Heel team, cheat by the numbers here, as you would expect. The Beverlys really underrated at their basic fundamentals. Heel fundamentals, I should point out, and tag teaming. Distracting referee, working the, uh, working in their corner, all that good stuff. They're not exactly the greatest tag team of all time, but they do pretty good here for with what they got. Uh, Scott comes back, nails the tilt-to-whirl slam on Bo, nearly kills him, nearly drops him right on his fucking head, and then it's hot tag to Rick Steiner, but I wrote, the crowd is weak on the comeback. Not a lot of noise from the crowd at all. As all four men get involved, Scott tags himself back in as Rick gets knocked through the ropes. Bo comes off the top rope, but, but he nails Blake, and that becomes a recurring thing throughout the entire month of April here in 1993. Bo accidentally hits his own brother, Blake, and then Frankensteiner on Blake Beverly. Steiner brothers pick up the win, 8 minutes and 53 seconds. Anything to add for that? Pretty long match. The Frankensteiner wasn't nearly as good as the Rumble, um, but I don't know how you can replicate that one. Now, this crowd did seem a little dead. It was a little flat, but to be honest, what the hell did Vince give them to be excited for? <laughs> Damien Demento, Jim Brunzel, you really going to pop for that? I mean, that's just going to kill the whole, that's going to kill the crowd. Right, and this Completely. was the uh, second so. second hour of, of Raw as well, but it's only it's only two hours until you think you think they would pop for some of those moves Scotty was doing, and it's just uh, there was noise, but it just was really really not not a whole lot. It's not as good as the the crowd's not as good as it was, you know, January February. Those right. crowds were hot early, but you could kind of tell too. They're also moving out of there a little bit to Poughkeepsie and things like that. So uh, they they didn't overstay their welcome in the Manhattan Center. I'll, I'll say that. Well. Third time's the charm is Jerry the King Lawler back out to the ring for the third time tonight. Again, scheduled to take on Jimmy Powers, but Lawler isn't having it with this crowd. I think he's going to leave again, and damn this crowd. No, wait. Jimmy Powers to the rescue. Jimmy Powers attacks Jerry the King Lawler on the floor because even Jim Powers has had enough of this nonsense. So the match gets going when Powers attacks Lawler at ringside. And he bumps King around the ring. Lawler powders for the classic Memphis heel stalling on the outside and even taunts the macho man on commentary. So I thought that was a good little addition there. They're kind of playing into USWA without the New York fans or even the WWF fans realizing what's going on there. Powers continues the match on the offense, but winds up missing a drop kick. And then it's fun punching from the King. And nobody, nobody punches better than Jerry Lawler. I don't care what anyone says. As he continues to taunt the Macho Man from inside the ring, Lawler then charges into a boot. But again, the crowd weak. I know it's just Jimmy Powers, but he makes the comeback here. And King's got enough heat at this point. You think the crowd would pop, but they're just kind of, kind of weak. I don't want to call him dead. It's just really weak. Uh, Powers comes back, hits his token knee lift, nails a backdrop. And this crowd just isn't making any noise. Powers then telegraphs a backdrop and eats a pile driver from the king as Lawler hooks the trunks to pick up the win in six minutes, 16 seconds. Yes, Jerry Lawler hooked the trunks of Jimmy Powers after his finisher, the pile driver, not because he had to, but just because he wanted to be an asshole. So good heel work here from Jerry Lawler all night long. Yeah, classic, easy way to get heat. I mean, this is kind of the start of Lawler becoming like the top heel and the hottest act in wrestling in, uh, at the beginning, middle of 93 here. I don't care what anyone says. This dude had more heat on him than I've ever seen up to this point. Just stuff that he does with the Hart family and, 
and SummerSlam and King of the Ring, like everything he does up until uh, the Chargers come, which sucked, <laughs> but it, it completely derailed him. But yeah, I mean, from now up until that point, man, he was so hot and heated, like so much heat, and it was so easy for him. So I hated him. I hated him in 93, like watching the shows and the pay-per-views. I absolutely hated him. I hated the shit at SummerSlam because I wanted to see him get his ass kicked. <laughs> uh, so it, it was, it worked. Whatever he was doing, it worked. And uh, he's a master at it. I mean, he did very little in the ring, but he could, he, he had so much heat and, and things like that, that it didn't even matter what he did. The crowd was going to react for it. A legend for sure. As we close out the show, Jerry Lawler comes ringside to Vince McMahon for a ringside promo. Lawler then insults the fans, insults the macho man sitting there at the table. Uh, Lawler says they belong in the chairs watching the greatest wrestler in the ring, as does the macho man. Of course, Lawler referring to himself as the greatest wrestler in the ring, not Jimmy Powers. Lawler says macho doesn't have the guts to get in the ring with the king. And that's when Randy Savage stands up and it looks like shit's gonna hit the fan here and all hell gonna break loose and then i'm getting pumped steve i'm getting pumped as a kid and then lawler just walks away and then that wasn't enough we're informed the bushwhackers have a title shot next week against money incorporated that'll change but what a way to end the show you get me all hyped up lawler's lawler's calling out savage savage stands up and then the king just walks away and savage lets him walk away and and then vince announces the bushwhackers get a title shot next week what a what a fizzle. It's like uh, that AEW pay-per-view <laughs> with the uh, the explosion at the end. <laughs> yeah. Good way to sum it up. And watching back on it now, it's like, I know this goes nowhere that I can watch at the time. So it was it felt like a, a letdown for sure. Move on to the next week in WWF Superstars for April 10th. Tape back on March 8th in North Charleston, South Carolina at the Coliseum. Mania 9 in the books. And they question, is Hulk Hogan legally the champion? Does Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler, and Randy Savage at the uh, announce table? In the ring, it's the return. Yes, he's back. Ho! Hacksaw Jim Duggan makes his return from the attack in Yokozuna several weeks ago. He's taking on Barry Horowitz here. And as Hacksaw gets to ringside, he begins tossing chairs in the ring. And then it's all the basic Hacksaw moves in the match. Three-point stance ends this one easy in two minutes. And we see Hacksaw coming to ringside. He's looking a little invigorated, invigorated to me, Steve, with a um, with this story in place, with this Yokozuna storyline in place. Albeit short term, uh, Hacksaw's doing more here in the last couple months, even off TV, than they've given him in the last couple years. Yeah, he does. He does seem invigorated. He seems into it. Uh, he's working a little harder, and he looks in really good shape. Like he doesn't have the the huge gut or, or anything like that. So. He definitely took the time off to get things right and get that little break. I'm assuming it's for his daughter being born is why he was out, I'm guessing. No, he, he does look good. I noticed that when he came out, and we see him again, in, I think, on a on another show here soon where he's very similar. So he's definitely into it. It's time. From inside the pages of the WWF magazine, here's Update. And it's update with your new host, Gorilla Monsoon. You you sent me a message, something about Gorilla and the update. You laughed, and I wasn't sure why. He just seemed really odd here. Odd placement, Gorilla Monsoon, and update. And that's why I laughed. 
uh, <laughs> about about him being stuck here. We go back again to WrestleMania or post WrestleMania with Mean Gene along with Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna and that formal complaint promo. Uh, but then we learn that President Jack Tunney responds, and Tunney officially recognizes Hulk Hogan as the new WWF champion, saying that there was an oral contract, not a verbal contract. Tunney calls it an oral contract, and that the decision would stand despite the protests of Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji. So Hogan is the new WWF champion. I couldn't hate Jack Tunney any more than I did right now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Blame Jack Tunney for this. That's right. Um, it's all Jack Tunney's no, reason- hairbrain idea, brother. Uh, yeah, uh, sure. Um, no, what was weird about this update was... They had the old backdrop of WrestleMania from like that they used for six and seven, I think. Okay. Uh, with like the, the blue clouds, and then it said WrestleMania across the top with the bars, and then Gorilla has like a his uh, shirt, his button-up shirt, like the sleeves are rolled up. He looks like he's been sweating, and uh, <laughs> he's like been the, gambling. The lighting's terrible. The lighting's terrible. It's like he's probably at the blackjack table, and they right. say, "Hey." We need you to come in and do this update real quick. I need you to kick it to Tony. Damn it, Vince. And then he he just probably runs to get it done so he can get back to the tables. But um you expect WWF to look, you know, professional and clean and not trashy. Like this looked <laughs> second rate, like it was thrown together in thirty seconds because well, nobody it, wanted it, to do it. That's right. Well, that's and, what happens uh, when you're in Vegas. I, I can't blame them, but I'm um, like <laughs> they even threw together like they threw on that shitty old black backdrop the backdrop the blue one and i'm like it just threw me off like i never seen anything like that as far as they go as far as production value because that was uh <laughs> is bad, well, bad. Go, well guys that's on the peacock it's on the network go check this episode out april 10th superstars and watch this update gorilla monsoon in the uh apparently just just leaving the tables <laughs> long enough to to do this update <laughs> segment he was i'm sure he was like come on can we speed this along uh we go back to the ring it's Papa Shango over David Clements with a nasty-looking gourd buster. Papa Shango doesn't even bother to fall with the poor guy, just drops him right down on its face. And then the reverse shoulder breaker ends this two minutes and seven seconds. From there, it's El Matador. Tito Santana taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. Jerry Lawler on commentary says, he almost went blind wrestling Tito. I couldn't wait for the punchline here. Lawler says, every time Lawler hit Santana, hot grease popped into his eye. Jeez, oh man, King. I mean... (laughs) do you get that do you get that reference steve oh yeah how do you not (laughs) um my goodness the shit that they could say back in the day and not have to worry about huh and hey it's not even edited off the peacock yet macho man (laughs) macho man at one point in the match calls tito santana amigo mio his friend lawler responds what is that something from taco bell and if (laughs) if that wasn't enough post-match Oh, Lawler busts out the Magistrator, and as Tito's twirling around his cape on the screen, he draws a Chiquita banana, and the uh, the cape that Tito uses basically becomes a dress for this Chiquita banana, as Tito picked up the win, by the way, El Paso, as they call it, El Paso de Muerte, two minutes and 41 seconds. Jerry Lawler on a roll in this one. Oh, Lord. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I asked Tito. <laughs> I was like, did you ever get offended when Jesse would call him Chico? He actually went in the backstory, and I don't want to go too far into it, but his books don't call me Chico. That's right. the name of his book, so clearly it didn't bother him. But he said, he's like, I, I, 
I kept on people would always come up to me and say, Hey, can you sign this Chico? What's up, Chico? And he, he didn't never knew where it came from. And then one day he was off and he turned on the TV and he actually had a match on like superstars. He was watching his, his own match or something. And Jesse was on commentary and he heard him call him Chico. And he said, Oh, that's where it came from. And you know, him and Jesse were probably buddies from the AWA. So he didn't have any problems with Jesse at all. And he's like, no, actually, I never minded it at all because he was just getting heat on me. Like it, it didn't bother him one bit that they was calling him Chico and or things like that. So it's just a way to get heat and sympathy on him. So he's like, I didn't have any issues with it. He's like, that was just how it worked back in the day. So he didn't seem to have any problems. Yeah. I'm assuming the jokes didn't bother him, and it, it was just, it's just one of those things. So um, I just thought that was interesting. No, yeah, I mean, Bobby Heenan did similar things, and I, I laughed at him more often than not. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was just acceptable for the time, and I, but listening to it now, it's like, wow, man. I mean, it ain't like he did it once. It was just like the entire match, he was just going into it. Oh, WrestleMania 6 cracks me up every time. <laughs> Chico's Revenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the tacos from We the got truck. Tito and Barbarian <laughs> in the ring, and all they talk about is, uh, yeah, burritos and, and things of that nature. Yeah, so, Jesse's- yeah. Telling Tito should have brought him a thing of his burritos. He's like halfway through the match. Barbarian's going to have to go to the restroom. Uh, picked up some hookers in Tijuana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, they just came back from break on that one. So they yeah. <laughs> they were bored. I <laughs> they guess. to give that match what it needed. We'll jump back just, here. It's just the times, but we'll, oh, yeah. we'll move into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll jump back here to 1993. And the narcissist in the ring taking on Dale Wolf. On, on commentary, we learned there's finally investigation into the forearm after Lex knocked out Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect on the day of WrestleMania. The people at ringside take a minute to remove the mirror, and it was probably for the best because it's one minute less that we actually have to watch Lex Luger wrestle here as the narcissist after the bell sounds. But we do get the old KO forearm, but a little bit different this week. Luger nails the old pounce as he comes off the crisscross into the forearm, knocks Dale Wolf out, and gets the pinky pin. Two minutes, 52 seconds. I like the pounce version of the uh, forearm here. I wish he had continued to do this beyond a couple times. Yeah, me too. He's been he's mixed it up this month. Uh, he does the regular forearm. He does the pounce forearm. He does one where he kicks him in the gut to get him bent over, and then he just kind of comes down at it with an angle. Lex, for all his issues or, or whatever you want to call him, he is not doing the same thing here. He's trying to mix it up and get the move over in different ways instead of just going through the, the running through the middle of the same match over and over. So kudos to him. Kamala to the ring with slick in his corner, taking on Dwayne Gill. Dwayne Gill wants a handshake before the match. And then he attacks the Ugandan giant, but it's Kamala right back with the splash to the back. And Kamala picks up the win. Easy win. Two minutes, 43 seconds. We get a WrestleMania nine report with Sean Mooney, who talks all about the undertaker and giant Gonzalez match. Then back to the ring. It's the debut, the WWF debut, of Curtis Hughes, Mr. Hughes. This match actually taped as part of tomorrow's wrestling challenge, but it airs here on Superstars. I guess Vince just wanted to get Mr. Hughes over as fast as he could, taking on J.D. Stryker here. Of course, on commentary for this match is Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan, because, again, this is from Challenge. Uh, At one point, Mr. Hughes catches J.D. Stryker's crossbody and just drops him in a backbreaker that should have been the finish. But it wasn't over just yet. Mr. Hughes has, hits his variation of what he called the sidewalk slam, which was kind of like a choke slam into a boss man slam with, with like 9,000 more pounds of pressure. It was nasty. Sometimes <laughs> Mr. Hughes would yeah. deliver this here. 
Uh, fun story. I just actually heard this. I learned that Mr. Hughes, remember the tapings he did prior to this? It may have been these tapings. He actually drove himself to the show for a tryout. I don't know that he was even booked for a tryout. He shows up, gets a tryout, hired on the spot, begins doing tapings on the spot, and they're already planning to position Hughes as the next opponent for Undertaker after the Giant Gonzalez. So it works sometimes to uh, just show up, man. That's crazy. Got to be a go-getter. And uh, that's exactly what he did. So well, he, went, he, he went and got something because he's not long for the WWF year. No, but man, you get a gig and you're immediately throwing Undertaker. Like that's, <laughs> you, you impress the right person on the right day, I guess. Huh? Yeah, no doubt. Andre the Giant video again, because uh, they got to sell that Spotlight magazine. I couldn't figure out for a little bit why they continue to show this Andre the Giant music video, this tribute video uh, of his passing and, and induction to the Hall of Fame. And then it, then it dawned on me every time that they try to pimp this Spotlight magazine with Andre in the cover. It's all about Andre inside. So that's why we get the video, just trying to make a couple bucks off of the passing of Andre, would it seem at this point. At first, it was heartfelt, the video, and now it's, I don't want to call it played out. This doesn't sound like the correct term to use, but I feel like they're doing it for financial gain at this point, which, no shocker. Definitely feels that way. Bob Backlund to the ring, taking on Anthony Howard. And we get a Bob insert promo. This is good. He says, <laughs> I have the great honor to announce the first inductee into the WWF Hall of Fame, Andre the Giant. And I wrote, I wrote this before they cut back to commentary. I wrote, a little late, Bob. I mean, Andre was announced, what, like three weeks ago, right? Yeah, they cut back. Video. Yes. And they cut back to commentary. <laughs> and Jerry Lawler then makes fun of Bob Backlund for making the announcement after we've already known it for several weeks. So he's shitting on Bob Backlund. I mean, legit. It's, it's not even like you're making fun of him like he does Tito, right? This is just legitimately making Bob Backlund look like a complete asshole. And uh, I just thought this was hilarious. As uh, Bob picks up the win with a leg cradle here in one minute and 51 seconds, the job guy tries to leave the ring, but Bob pulls him back up to the apron. Keep working hard. You're a good man. How the fuck was this ever going to get over? It wasn't. I think Lawler made the comment of like, this is how far behind the times Bob Backlund is <laughs> or something like that. I always felt um, Bob was yeah. behind the times for when he was champion. I think he was 10 years before that. I mean, really, Bob's like 20 years uh, behind time. Well, he's talking about that. Like, he's making fun of him announcing Andre. Right, like, right. This is how far behind the times he is. He's, he thinks he's announcing Andre to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, it was weeks ago. This was never going to get over. It worked in the Rumble. Because he did last that long and he's an older guy, you just didn't expect to see it. But everything after the Rumble, I could care less if I see Bob Backlund on my TV screen. <laughs> April 10th, WWF Mania, Todd in front of a mansion. I wrote question mark. He said, it's my house. Well, it could be my house. You guys wouldn't know the difference. Uh, it's large enough that he can play golf in the backyard. So I'm kind of wondering, was he at Vince's house here? I don't really know what was going on here. The exclusive on Mania this week, Yokozuna over Typhoon in just one minute and 50 seconds. Thank God with the bonsai drop there. Also around this time, Repo Man had a second match. I had never seen this before. In that new gear, gets a win over Chris Katowski in three minutes and 24 seconds. So that there's a second match of Repo Man in that new gear out there. For those interested, uh, I might post a few pictures, a uh, screen cap or something like that down the line. As we move on to Sunday, April 11th, WWF Wrestling Challenge, 
taped March 9th in Augusta, Georgia at the Civic Center. Jesus. Yeah, I know. We're we're over a month behind as far we're as We're over a month out. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. We're selling this as post-WrestleMania, and this was taped a month prior to WrestleMania. Jim Ross, though, replaces Gorilla Monsoon as host of the show when Bobby Heenan joins Jim Ross on commentary. To the ring, it's the Steiner Brothers over the Executioners with the Frankensteiner. Three minutes and eight seconds. We learn at this point that the Steiners are headed for a title match. With Money Incorporated, they are the new number one contenders. Special report, again, verifying that Hulk Hogan is WWF champion. Back to the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Reno Riggins. He nails a hot shot, a nasty double underhook backbreaker. I don't know when Bam Bam stopped doing that, but damn. Did he fuck a lot of jobbers up with that? Because he double underhook them, <laughs> throw them about seven feet in the air or so, and then just let them guide themselves down onto his knee. Double underhook backbreaker of death is how I describe this particular one here. Poor Reno. And the diving headbutt yeah. ends at two minutes, 23 seconds. I'm surprised Reno took it. He's more of a... He doesn't really bigger, have much, much, of a, jobber. much of an option. I know he's really. a bigger name jobber, but... Uh... We then go to video stills of the sensational Sherry and Luna brawl from, well, I can't really call it a brawl. Luna attacks Sherry at WrestleMania later out and then later out again in the dressing room area. And we go back to the ring here. It's Tatanka over at Glenn Ruth. A backdrop on Ruth sends him to the floor at one point in the match. I was surprised Tatanka that aggressive here, backdropping a job guy out to the floor. Of course, Glenn Ruth, the future headbanger thrasher. It's the papoose to go that picks up the win. Two minutes and nine seconds. Then again, here we are. It's the Mr. Hughes over J.D. Stryker match we saw on Superstars Sidewalk Slam in 2 minutes and 12 seconds there. And it's a midget match, or the little guys, if you will. Little Louie out to the ring with the Beverly Brothers <laughs> in his corner to take on Tiger Jackson, accompanied by the Bushwhackers. And Tiger got his trunks. It looks like Tiger got his trunks back from Reno Riggins. Of course, we mentioned last month's episode of uh, The Grenade. It looked like <laughs> Reno Riggins had been borrowing tiger jackson's trunks they didn't really fit him too well tiger jackson seems to have him back here heenan says he was jobbed at mania by riding a campbell i I wrote i put that note in here because it was kind of funny they were using this match to talk about the pageantry at wrestlemania hard selling it before the replay so that everybody would go buy it and heenan talks about he was supposed to be the one that came out on the sedan not macho man and heenan got stuck riding a campbell he says he was jobbed at Mania, so I thought that was funny, Heenan, using that term here back in 93. Comedy ensues, if you want to call it that, Steve, all the midget guys. Even Earl Hebner, the referee, uh, he eats a slap from the little guys. He gets his ass bitten. Uh, he gets his ass slapped during another, another part of the, the match. So uh, we go into a crisscross spot. Tiger gets tripped on the outside by Bo Beverly, and that's when little Louie stands Tiger Jackson on his head, and they do the old Sky Lolo spinning top trick as he spins tiger jackson on his bald head the crowd pop for that the kids really eating this shit up i heard a lot, a lot of laughter in this match from the, the kids at ringside anyway yeah it's definitely working whatever they're trying to get out of it, it's definitely working I, these spots are funny man tiger jackson rubbing his ass in the corner <laughs> after he got bit was it's funny to me so if i'm i'm 35 if i can laugh at that i'm sure a six or seven year old kid in the front row is going to laugh at it too yeah, as long as it's not played out. I mean, you know, the, these spots, yeah. 90%, 99% of these spots go back 40, 50 years. I mean, so as long as it's not played out, it, it's an entertaining night for sure. These guys, you know, they know what they're doing out there. Uh, the match goes on, though. The referee, Earl Hebner, argues with Luke and the Beverly brothers. Luke confronting the Beverlys after Bo trips 
Tiger Jackson. So while the referee's over there in one corner with those guys, Butch slides in on the opposite side. He picks Tiger Jackson up, throws him on top of little Louie, and Tiger Jackson picks up the win in 4 minutes and 31 seconds. The Beverly's try to attack post-match, but the Bushwhackers run them off as well. So Tiger Jackson picks up the win here over little Louie in the one and only midget match here in 1993, at least as far as TV goes, a one-on-one. Yeah. Like you said, like if you do it every show or, you know, every house circuit, like it's going to get played out, but spot shows here and there where you haven't seen it in maybe five or six years and you got a six or seven year old kid, uh, it, it worked. Like you said, it can't get overplayed though. Show goes on. It's the Andre the Giant videos. They continue to try to sell that Spotlight magazine. It's the WrestleMania report again where Sean Mooney talks Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez. And then it's terrific Terry Taylor. Wow, he's got a match on a singles match on TV. Can't believe this. Terry Taylor to the ring to take on Joey Mags. And you remember what they did several weeks ago to poor Terry when they ribbed him? Well, yep, they do it again. As terrific Terry Taylor makes his way to the ring, Bobby the Brain, he and I've got to ask you, what exactly went on last Sunday at the big free WrestleMania brunch involving terrific the hitman hard and your buddy, the narcissist next Boomer. Hart was knocked out cold. What happened? Well, I wasn't there, but the way I understand it, through my sources, Hart said something, or he got up in Luger's face. Even though at that time he was WWF champion, Luger just does what he does best. He knocked him out. You're calling Bret Hart riffraff? Two things here. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you noticed the music as Terry Taylor heads to the ring. Uh, again, they, they give him the old Red Rooster theme. <laughs> I'm sure unbeknownst to him <laughs> until he was uh, making his way out. Classic. Never get away from it, right? No, he cannot hear the WWF. <laughs> but They're uh, not going to let him. No, there, the, another, re, you know, I, I picked up that soundbite specifically because I just love the Red Rooster music and I find this fucking hilarious that they, um, that they continue to do this to him just here and they don't do it every time they do it just enough so that he never knows when it's going to happen. Right. And, uh, y- you did notice when he came out, if anybody listened to the actual commentary as well, beyond the Red Rooster music, they never once really even discussed Terry Taylor because this entire match, all the announcers do is talk about Brett and Luger. And Hogan and Yokozuna. This match is complete filler, kind of like Demento was for Rob Bartlett. This is complete filler for them to sell WrestleMania and the, the feuds out of WrestleMania. I wrote, Terry Taylor gets the win on Max with an awful, Arn Anderson should kick his ass, awful oh, looking spine buster, just awful. Uh, Taylor picks up the win two minutes and six seconds. The only thing they mention in the entire match about Terry Taylor, out of nowhere, Bobby Heenan goes, oh, Terry Taylor's the host of Spotlight. Which which is true by this point. <laughs> Terry Taylor hosting Spotlight. And for you Canadian fans, he also hosted the WWF on TSN at this point. So we're watching a wrestler. The only way they sell him is the host of Spotlight uh, throughout the uh, entire duration of this match. And as Terry oh, picks man. up the win, they commence to play in the rooster music again. And then Terry says something directly to the referee. And I, I think it's something along the lines of, I don't give a shit. And then he just starts strutting like the fucking red rooster on his way out of the ring. I was like, wow, <laughs> fucking tremendous. Just, I love it. He, t- he took it right on the chin. It, was, it seemed to be okay with Right it. on the beak. Right on the beak. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a trooper. There was a line, though, at the end, that, like when he's strutting away, they show a heavy set woman in the crowd. And he oh, yeah. She weighs more than Yokozuna. 
So, like, they could talk about Brett and Yoko or Brett and Luger and Yoko and Hogan the whole match, and then all of a sudden it's over and Heenan spots her and can crack a joke just right, just like that. And I'm like, he's, I don't know, man. And again, it had absolutely nothing to do with Terry Taylor. Absolutely nothing to do with Terry Taylor. (laughs) We close out Wrestling Challenge. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, he returned on Superstars. Well, he returns on Wrestling Challenge as well, picks up a win over Barry Hardy. And if, if it's true, typically the executioners were always Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. If that's true to form, the executioners wrestled the Steiners earlier on the show. So Barry Hardy doing double duty on this episode of Challenge. Duggan with the wind-up slam and the three-point stance clothesline gets the win in a simple two minutes and one second to close the show. And speaking of Terry Taylor, really quickly here, WWF on TSN for April 4th. We're going to go back. I didn't have it last week when we covered the end of uh, the, the March episode. We did April 4th for WrestleMania. Uh, there was a, a couple of matches on there. It was a pretty stacked show, and I wanted to point that out. I wanted to give a shout-out to the Canadians who got a show that featured Owen Hart over Skinner, Doink in a match that only aired otherwise on Spotlight, Yokozuna over Typhoon in that two-minute extravaganza we saw on Mania, Tito uh, does the job to Lex Luger, and Tatanka over Blake Beverly. So as you see, Bo Beverly starting to get phased out here as far as the Beverly brothers go. We go back to April 11th, though. We're going to talk All-American Wrestling. It's Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan. The exclusive this week is, ho, Hacksaw Jim Duggan again, making the trifecta here. Gets a pin. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch this match. Hacksaw Jim Duggan (laughs) over Damian Demento with the three-point stance clothesline. The match was short, though. I'll give it that much. Three minutes and 45 seconds. I did skip right to the finish. I, I just wasn't, wasn't going to put myself through that one. Uh, not short enough. <laughs> no, not, no, never short enough. Not short when enough. <laughs> da- Damian Demento's in the ring, especially. And we head to Raw for April 12th. It's Monday Night Raw, and it's live in Poughkeepsie, New York, at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center for this one. Backstage, we see Money Incorporated talking with the Beverly Brothers who are holding money in their hands. So it seems Money, Inc. has paid the Beverly's off to expose the secrets of the Steiner Brothers. They want to know everything the Beverly's know about the Steiners. I wrote, the Beverly's, they know how to lose, Steve. The Beverly's say there is, the Steiners are as strong and fast as they look, and the Frankensteiner is devastating. So they'll want to ground the Steiners as soon as possible and avoid the Frankensteiner because nobody survives that. I wrote, Jeez, pay me for that fucking info. I mean, seriously? They give them money for that shit? Avoid the Frankensteiner? <laughs> yeah, that's obvious, clearly. It's almost like that report I saw that said the the way to beat the Rams with Sean McVay is to be ahead at halftime. Like, that's not how you beat the Rams. Like, how do you <laughs> like how do you get the lead at halftime? Because he's like terrible. His record's terrible if they're down at the half. So like, well no shit, you avoid the Frankensteiner. How do you avoid the Frankensteiner? That's the info I need. Right. So, um, uh, lazy, but I get it. Well, it all sets it's up something, you know, right? We, we know where it's going. It's, yeah, we know where it's going, but it's something like a lot of times matches are just thrown to go. At least they gave him something. They're, they're utilizing this live format to, to its advantages. Clearly they're still learning, but they're, they're doing better with it. Well, welcome to a live edition of Monday Night Raw. It's Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and uh, yeah, he's made it back from Vegas. Rob Bartlett is back, and now he has a new name. They've decided to begin calling him Rambling Rob Bartlett, as Vince calls him that about 46 times throughout this episode of Raw. And remember, it's only a one-hour episode of Raw back then, and Vince still manages to do that. 
As we, we go to the ringside, it's Scott Steiner with Rick in his corner taking on IRS, who is accompanied by Ted DiBiase. I wrote, wait, no money incorporated against the Bushwhackers? Darn. Now, remember, that was promised last week. It's classic fashion here by the IRS man as he says, it's April 12th, which means there's only three days left to file your taxes. Tax sheets. Basic match here, nothing great, nothing really bad either. IRS takes control. They go out to the floor. DiBiase lays in some cheap shots on Scott until Rick makes the save as we go into a commercial break. And uh, when we come back, IRS working over Scott Steiner on the mat. And here we go. Remember, we've talked about <laughs> Vince and, and more, more so Savage bullying Rob Bartlett. Here's another one. And I can't really blame Macho Man here, but uh, Bartlett uh, decides to uh, give his own op opinion of what Scotty should do to attempt to make a comeback on IRS. He says, snap his suspenders. And then uh, Macho chimes back, something's wrong with Bartlett's mic. It works. Uh, so Macho just shitting all over Rob Bartlett here. And I know when people hear that, they go, <laughs> well, that's a joke. Like, no, no. You go back and listen. Like, a lot of these things that Macho Man says to Bartlett when we say them here on the show, it sounds like they could be a joke. Go listen to the Macho Man's voice. I know all of you have heard plenty enough Macho Man to know what's real and, and what's kayfabe. And he's dead serious. He just, he can't stand. He's done. Yes, he's over Rob Bartlett here. As IRS comes off the top rope into Scott Steiner's foot, and it's comeback time for Scotty Steiner. IRS's shirt is see-through at this point. It's transparent. It's so drenched in sweat. Not really surprised there. I just wrote, gross. I mean, it is IRS. I expected him to sweat. Scott does the old macho man. Shout out to macho man. Grabs IRS by the tie, runs to the ropes. Leaps over the top rope to the floor and drops IRS throat first across the top rope. Now, Macho Man, he was a little more nimble. Scotty just throws himself, no ca like caution of the wind. Scotty goes flying over the top rope to do to deliver this move, but it still looked cool here. And then back inside, Scott Steiner with the double underhook power bomb on IRS. One, two. Ted DiBiase breaks up the count, causing the disqualification. Scott Steiner picks up the win. Twelve minutes and five seconds. Post match, Rick Steiner attacks DiBiase. And the Steiners set DiBiase up for the assisted Bulldog, but the Beverly Brothers make the save, and they shove Rick Steiner off the top rope. It's DiBiase and the Steiners triple teaming. Scott Steiner at this point. DiBiase then holds Scott for the Beverly Brothers to double clothesline him, but Scotty ducks, and the Beverly Brothers nail Ted instead. Beverly's then try to help DiBiase up, but he shoves him away, and everybody gets into a big shove fight there as IRS gets dumped to the floor by the Beverly's. The Beverly Brothers then corner DiBiase, and they're getting the babyface reaction here as IRS grabs his brief briefcase. Looks like he's going to sneak in behind, but he doesn't. And Money Incorporated decides to bail instead. And the Beverly Brothers challenging Money Incorporated to get back in the ring and fight him. Uh, it was kind of a shocker. came out of nowhere. Beverly Brothers, I won't say they made a face turn because that's not really accurate here, uh, but they are the face team in this particular little two-week arc. Yeah, which is weird when you get to the match because they're the ones who get a lot of the heat. <laughs> or they're they're getting Ted the heat in the match, and they're, Ted gets the hot tag, so it doesn't make much sense. But it's weird seeing the Beverly's get a positive reaction. I didn't mind them, and this was something like, at least it was two established teams, you know, actual teams instead of something that's quickly thrown together and working together. So um, not that bad. And I'm glad it's just not a match thrown together. It's, it has a weak build or, like you said, a two-week arc. Good on them for actually trying to make something that you want to tune in for. Whether you do or not, I don't know, but you know, at least they're trying. Yeah, it's something different, and uh, 
they're giving you little angles and things to follow on Raw. And uh, another thing they've been doing last week, last Monday on Raw, all throughout the show, and again tonight, it's very obvious that following this episode of Monday Night Raw, it's the WrestleMania 9 Encore. So go and order the Encore, uh, the Encore episode of WrestleMania 9 immediately following Raw. What a maneuver! What a maneuver by Vince McMahon to put the pay-per-view on directly after Raw. Hard shill here tonight on Raw as we go back to the ring. Tatanka taking on Big Vito, or Von Cruz as he is here in 93. It's paint-by-numbers Tatanka, and then out of nowhere, for no reason whatsoever, it's fucking Doink in the aisleway, squirting water at the fans. Cruz mocks the Indian stereotypes of the ring, uh, putting his hand over his mouth, wah, 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 and uh, doing chop things in the air and all that good stuff, but it's it only pisses Tatanka off, makes the comeback, Papoose to go. Four minutes, Tatanka picks up the win. I should mention, Doink came out, squirted some water, and just left. I didn't really know what was going on there. <laughs> I was almost looking forward to a Tatanka-Doink feud. Oh, that would have been interesting. It probably would have been better, a little bit better than the Crush, crush. feud. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anything. Uh, that would have been, that would have worked. I, I like it. That would have been good. Might have been the way they were going to go. Had they not had to change things with plans with Bam Bam Bigelow, who knows? Another WrestleMania 9 report with Sean Mooney. He covers the double WWF title change. Of course, it's Brett to Yoko and then Yoko to Hogan. That officially does stand. He talks a little bit more about The Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez, as well as the double doinks. All of this to hype the replay. Did I mention there was a replay tonight after Raw of WrestleMania 9? And now it's time for a very memorable segment that was rawer than Raw. As uh, I think the Macho Man once said, something along those lines, right, Mach? That was more raw than raw. Okay, more raw than raw. It's Rob Bartlett, ringside. He's going to interview Luna Vachon. I wrote, chewing gum. That's what Rob Bartlett was doing. He was chewing gum. There's no way that didn't drive Vince nuts here. He was smacking this gum throughout the entire introduction and into the promo or into the interview. Uh, Luna is out to ringside. She says see, she is the true woman of the 90s. She is erasing the line between genius and insanity and between beauty and beast. She calls Sherry a witch, at which point Bartlett asks her if she's going to spit up pea soup. And she yells at Bartlett some shit I didn't really understand here. And uh, Bartlett says, be careful. You might <laughs> pop one of those veins on your face. Of course, she had all the uh, the veins painted on the side of her face. Uh, finally, finally, one of the last episodes of Raw with Bartlett, and he makes me actually laugh as he tells her she's going to uh, pop a vein on her face. Uh, Rob says Luna wouldn't say any of that stuff to Sherry's face if Sherry was out here. Luna says she absolutely would, and wouldn't you know it, out comes Sherry Martell, sensational Sherry out. And she says Luna is crazy, you're telling me. And Rob Bartlett should have more class than to invite Luna out here for an interview. To prove that she is not crazy, Luna responds by saying, I am a bandit from the wild, untamed future. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Sounds like some kind of a movie, maybe. I don't really know, but... Uh, Sherry calls her crazy. She's trying to prove she's not crazy. And we get, I am a bandit from the wild, untamed future. She also says that she is from a place that was before and will be again. I wrote, is she the new ultimate warrior? None of this shit makes any sense. (laughs) Oh man. It doesn't. Sherry responds. She says she's been up against bigger men than Luna will ever be a woman. Sherry asks Luna, do you want a piece? Sherry then attacks Luna 
And then in the middle of all that, they rip Rob Bartlett's shirt off as uh, Luna gets suplexed on the outside of the ring. You didn't see that on the ladies back in the day. So it was a pretty big deal, a fight at ringside here. And it's a nasty fight. They're clawing at each other. They're, they're yanking hair. They're going at it pretty damn good. Sherry chants in the crowd as Rob tries to break it up and just gets attacked too from both ladies. And that's when it happens, Steve. Sherry gets her top ripped off. She's got that small black bra that just can't contain those those jugs. And I mean, I'm just telling you. What a maneuver! What a maneuver is <laughs> Sherry's cans are just flopping around left and right all over the place. And she rip, rips part of Luna's pants off as Luna tries to escape in the crowd. Now that is raw! And uh, yeah, no doubt about it. That was more raw than raw! I'll agree with that, Macho. In fact, <laughs> Macho Man says, this is kind of exciting. Uh-huh. And uh, so we got Sherry's tits and Luna's ass fighting into the crowd. At this point, I wrote, EC-dub, EC-dub. Now that is raw. So, so they fight into the crowd as officials try to break it up. Sergeant Slaughter comes out, picks Luna up over his shoulder, and carries her back t- to the locker room. That was more raw than raw. More raw than raw as we head into a commercial break. We come back. Randy Savage standing ringside with sensational Sherry. Savage tries to interview Sherry, who covers her tits with his macho hat. Uh-huh. And he takes his hat back. Uh, need a little excitement, he says. I love it. Macho Man having a lot of fun here with this, <laughs> with this uh, segment. As Luna returns from the back, and then we get in a second wild brawl between Sherry and Luna, and there's just... Tits bouncing everywhere, and he wrote, Jerry, Jerry. What a maneuver. What a maneuver this was from Vince. Now that is raw. It was uh, rawer than raw. And here's old Pat Patterson out to spoil our day. Sorry for being hetero, Pat. Yeah, I said it. Sergeant Slaughter then pulls Luna away a second time, and uh, I wrote, um, <laughs> those tits. That's not terrible. Well, uh, they get they get an A for effort in, in getting this feud over. I hope that's like one of our segments of the year here in 1993. Uh, not not just in oh Rob, but on the grenade. Is uh, yeah, that was uh, that's not terrible. Not too terrible. A for effort from these ladies, anyway. Even if they don't really do a whole lot with them moving forward. Yeah, like, you see that, and you make it. You make. It looks like they hate each other, like for real. Like it felt real and genuine and authentic. Mm-hmm. And um, you didn't really touch on this part, but man, when Sherry attacks, like she kicks her with Bartlett in the middle of it, so she gets her foot around. And it looks like she gets the the front of her toe, like the toe of the boot. She's wearing like cowboy boots. It looks like that toe like nails Luna right in the face. Like it didn't look comfortable. And then also Sherry had some blood on her face where she must have got clawed for real. So absolutely, 100%. They went balls to the wall in this one. It felt authentic and real. I want to see more. Like, not for everything that you mentioned. I mean, that was a nice addition. But uh, this was a, uh, a hell of an angle. It was very, very... Raw! Raw, Steve. The, the and, word is uh, raw. It was very raw. It is raw. <laughs> yeah, and authentic. So, uh a plus to both ladies. Excellent, excellent angle. So we're live and timing is everything. So they cue Papa Shango to the ring because they got to get this shit in, right? Papa Shango heading out to take on Scott Taylor, or as the Fink calls him this week, Skip Taylor, even though even the Chiron says Scott and Vince says Scott. It says uh, Fink nails, uh, announces him as Skip Taylor. Uh, but Papa Shango 
on his way out to the ring as Sherry's leaving and they pass each other. I'm like, how's this going to work? Because Sherry's walking around with her jugs hanging out and Papa Shango, well, we know his background in real life. But Sherry passes Papa Shango by and he, he just stays in character. He doesn't even look twice. And I go, well, he's used to tits, though. So that makes a lot of sense here. <laughs> Papa Shango. <laughs> this, this match, remember Demento last week, was nothing more than a backdrop for a Bartlett phone call. Well, this Papa Shango match was nothing more than a backdrop for Rob Bartlett's comedy skit as he returns to ringside looking more battered than bruised than when he left. His shirt was more torn as he staggers out. His clothes are all ripped up. And he has a black eye for some reason now, Steve. I don't even know where he got that from. It could have been, well, we'll talk about that as the show goes on. And then as he makes it to the announce table, he collapses on the floor and he asks the macho man to help him out. Oh, he helps him out. All right. Savage goes over and slaps Bartlett across the face three or four times to the point where Bartlett actually picks his hands up and tries to grab Savage by the wrists to stop him from slapping him anymore. Uh, there was a match going on, by the way. Papa Shango in no mood this week, even though he's working a pretty solid job guy in Scott Taylor. He no-sells everything Scotty does here and just murders him. And then the reverse shoulder breaker takes it home. Two minutes and 24 seconds, Papa Shango gets the win. But more importantly, Rob Bartlett eats some nasty slaps from Randy Savage, who's just bullying him just a little bit more. Yeah, the first slap, you can really hear it connect. Uh, pretty <laughs> nasty sounding. but yeah. Shango wasn't horsing around, and this was just, like you said, a backdrop to get Bartlett over. Uh, that's really all this was. Not bad, though. We begin to hear the Druids chant, and I thought, my God, is this our first Druids chant for the Undertaker? It wasn't for the Undertaker. Let that be a bit of trivia for everyone out there. The first time we hear a Druids chant in the WWF was not for the Undertaker. No, instead, it's for a fellow by the name of Friar Ferguson. That is Mike Shaw. Uh, we talked about getting a new gimmick here <laughs> in, the, in the WWF. He's dressed as a monk, a friar, if you will, here. He's not allowed to be a monk. Actually, they tried him out as the Mad Monk, a heel-type gimmick, and then they were afraid they were going to get backlash from the uh, religious community. So he became a babyface, and he, be he became a friar. Friar Ferguson here taking on Chris Duffy. Uh, i, I got to ask, if Mike Shaw was still around, I'd say, Mr. Shaw... What did you think of this gimmick? Nah, nah, yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> so uh, even Norman the Lunatic isn't crazy enough to fall for this gimmick here. The Mad Monk? That's a terrible idea. A terrible idea, says Charles Barkley. And where do I begin here? As he comes to the ring, this doesn't even feel like part of the character. You tell me what you think, Steve. As Friar Ferguson heads to the ring, he has a piece of toilet paper on his face from shaving. Yes, he, he cut himself shaving, and then he drenches himself in some old-timey-looking thermos thing. I don't even know what it was. And he wears a pad of paper because, you know, he's got to be silent and all that good stuff. So since he can't really speak, he's a, he's a monk or a friar. I don't even know how the fuck that shit works. He has a notepad tied to his gimmick, his gear, and he has a smiley face on it. So I guess I guess that means he's happy. I don't know why you would be happy with this, but... This is awful as he does some dancing during the match and shakes his leg, pulls his gimmick up and sh shows off some legs, uh, nails a big splash, but pulls the jobber up. You must have forgot you're not a heel, Mike Shaw. You don't pull the job guy up. Uh, nails the avalanche in the corner, gives the guy, uh, poor Duffy, last rights at one point, uh, sticks Duffy's face under his dress even, 
And then it just kind of slows down. It's like Friar Ferguson's looking for offense here. He just doesn't know what to do. In fact, this match is so damned <laughs> terrible, so damn terrible that we want Brett Chance breakout during this match. So they're looking for wrestling, not gimmicks here. And then boring chants begin just as Chris Duffy tries a sunset flip, but it's the old Norman trip to the Bat Cave. Is Friar Ferguson lands balls first on Duffy's face? That's a terrible idea. I don't know who came up with that. And Friar Ferguson picks up the win four minutes and 21 seconds. The one and only TV wrestling match for Friar Ferguson. Yeah, this was terrible. Uh, I never liked it. It was dumb. I'm pretty sure they get heat for this, too, even though it wasn't a full-on monk. Bad idea, stupid, a waste of time. That's really all it was to me. Well, he'll stick around for one more week because this is a taping, and they got one more week of Friar Ferguson. So we will see Friar Ferguson one more time next. I should point out, you know, I totally left out that he has like a Road Warrior Hawk-esque type haircut almost. Uh, it's black hair. I mean, it's not, it's not painted up or anything like that, but it's uh, kind of weird. Just really weird uh, version or vision of what a Friar would look like. It's a WrestleMania video package. Speaking with the fans ringside, we even see Superflan, uh, Superfan <laughs> Vladimir. Out there talking about the this is the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Uh, now we know you're full of shit, Vladdy. <laughs> Next week, it's interview from <laughs> Brett the Hitman Hart. Razor Ramon takes on Virgil in that match you were re- referencing earlier. And the Beverly Brothers going to seek uh, a little action with the WWF Tag Team Champions Money Incorporated. And we close the show with a backstage promo from Money Incorporated. And Ted DiBiase says they've beat everyone. They barely get going before the Beverly Brothers run out of the dressing room and attack Money Incorporated. A brawl breaks out between the two tag teams as Raw goes off the air. That's a great, nice little angle there to get you more heat on the match going into next week. So uh, I like you didn't see those. Like I said, we didn't see them very often either. Um, it's usually just promos selling a match. So the fact that we're getting this little TV angle, uh, one of the first ones uh, for Raw wasn't bad. Like. I don't care for the Beverly brothers, but they made it the match important enough that you'd want to see it. Okay. They, they've had some issues. They fought this whole show. I want to see him go at it in a match. So solid job by them to get this over and give it meaning going into next week. Yeah. It's sad to say, I mean, this is a, a two week little story arc here between uh, the Beverly's and money Inc., but it's probably the best thing the Beverly's have ever done. I mean, look at, look at their past, the, the Legion of sissies and, that whole Jameson thing with the Bushwhackers, this might be the best thing the Beverly Brothers were ever given. Yeah, the most high profile as far as placement because Money Inc.'s the champs. So uh, I guess Legion of Doom, yeah, that's something. But it's a little less believable with the Beverly's against the LOD. Like, everybody knew they had no shot at that. So um, Money Inc., they seem to be a little on the downturn, so to speak. So uh, it is believable to me compared to like LOD. We continue on to the following weekend. WWF superstars for April 17th. You thought it was crazy last week. We're in April 17th. And this was taped also back on March 8th in North Charleston. We opened things up with a promo from Bam Bam and Owen. This is one of those ones we talked about a few weeks ago with the black screen background. It's just a wrestler and a black and a black background. And they're looking off. One wrestler's looking off to the left. The other one's looking off to the right. They're individual promos, but it's like they're facing one another. It's kind of unique for the time as Bam Bam Bigelow and Owen Hart have words for one another. 
they'll go at it later on here in the show. Yeah, very cool. And they, they kind of play off each other. It's almost like they're in the same room. Right. Because uh, it's like Bam Bam's like, Owen's rocket's going to go down in flames. And Owen says Bam Bam's going to be his rocket's launch pad. So they're they're very similar in what they're talking about. It just focuses on the other person's gimmick, and they attack it, and that's it. So it's just like a two or three sentence promo, and that's the end of it. So uh, very effective, and it's like okay, and this is how they cut right in. Like there's no superstars or anything like that. It's just straight to Bam Bam, straight to Owen, and then you get the the opening video and graphics and the guys at the booth. So if you're flipping through the channels and you just happen to see Bam Bam or Owen, like you're like, oh, I wonder what what, what is this. Oh, they're going to wrestle? Okay, I'm I'm staying here. Like, I want to see this. So, um, definitely effective and great production, I think. Uh, very good idea, whoever came up with it. To the ring, it's Crush taking on Glenn Ruth. During the match, we get an insert promo from not one, but two doinks. It's all an illusion, Steve, as Crush picks up the win with the Cranium Crunch. Two minutes and 12 seconds. And then we get our final update with Sean Mooney as he talks about the Luna Vachon and Sherry Brawl from Monday Night Raw. So this is it's at this point, April 17th, that we bid adieu to Sean Mooney and everything he did for the company for those five years there in the WWF from 88 to 93, right about this time in 1988 and here in 1993. This is his final appearance on WWF television. Got to miss you, Mooney. Who? Ian. Show. <laughs> yes, Ian. Ian's been gone a while. <laughs> I should point out. Yeah. Uh, show goes on. He's Joe Fowler, though, right? Yeah, Joe, Joe <laughs> Fowler's coming in. Uh, hey, guys, what's going on? I'm Joe Fowler. Uh, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be here. But, hey, kid, it's our first SummerSlam. Can't wait for that. So here we go. Head Shrinkers with Afa in their corner, taking on Ron Preston and J.D. Stryker. Fatu gets the win over Preston with the splash off the top ropes. Two minutes and 41 seconds. During the match, Alpha is seen picking his nose, to which Lawler says, Ever wonder why their nostrils are so big, Steve? So Jerry Lawler added again, even with the heels. And then we go back in time, and we see clips from WrestleMania. Actually, we see uh, clips of the post-match uh, between Mr. Perfect and Lex Luger. Luger knocks Hennig out with the forearm, then Hennig back up, chases Luger backstage, but runs into Shawn Michaels, who attacks him with a garbage can. That was so cool. Uh, never seen something like that before at that time. So uh, very, very cool shit. There uh, is Shawn Michaels basically getting set up to feud with Mr. Perfect over the summer. As we go back to the ring, Mr. Perfect takes on Barry Hardy. We get an insert promo from Shawn Michaels. He says at WrestleMania 9, Mr. Perfect took a perfect beating. And it's back to the ring. Hennig hits all the basics, the rolling neck snap, the knee lift, and the perfect plex. Picks up the win here three minutes and one second. Here we go. It's main event time, or at least uh, feature match time here on Superstars. Is Bam Bam Bigelow ready to take on newcomer to the singles ranks here in the WWF? The Rocket, Owen Hart, with his new gear. I, I know you put over his new powder blue gear here. You like a little light blue <laughs> Owen Hart gear? I do. It looks awesome. always like the gear. He's come a long way from the baggy gear, that's for sure. Absolutely. He actually looks like a wrestler instead of a cartoon character. Owen actually attacks Bammer to start the match with a dropkick, but Bigelow responds with an enziguri. Very impressive. Owen then uses his speed and nails his own enziguri and a missile dropkick. And as Owen takes the back bump, he kips right up and continues 
on the offense. Owen looked like a million bucks as this match gets going. Handles his own against the guy literally twice his size. Owen locks in a Fujiwara armbar, but Bam Bam breaks free and drop kicks Owen out of the ring as we go into a commercial break. When we come back, Owen flips into the ring over top of Bigelow to re-enter the ring, and Bam Bam then turns a crucifix from Owen into a Samoan drop. Bigelow then launches Owen straight up in the air and right onto his face, his stomach, and according to Vince, his knee, I think this was obviously the commentary is done in post-production. I think this is Vince creating a reason for what happens later. I don't know that Owen actually gets hurt here. I didn't really notice any injury at this point, but Owen does come down hard as he gets launched straight up in the air, kind of like in a backdrop, but where you land on your stomach. The match continues on. Owen tries a slam, but Bam Bam falls on top for a near fall. Hart then takes the chest bump in the corner, a la his brother Bret Hart, and Owen tries to go to the top rope for a reverse body block or a a backflip or, or something along those lines, but as he leaps to the top rope, his knee blows out. He comes down on it hard, and it's legit, and it's very obvious. He comes right down. He slips on the top rope, lands on his feet in the ring, but man, he blows his knee out, and it's it's obvious immediately. Yeah, definitely is. And the way the match ends, like he slams him, and the knee doesn't even touch the ground. Like he's holding it up. Like be careful. Bam Bam is a professional. Goes right home. Not only Bam Bam is is a pro here, he clearly knows something's amiss because uh, they have to they have to take. Bam Bam tries to give Owen whatever the plan was from here. I don't know that what what the plan was because remember, according to Meltzer, before this happened. Owen was supposed to go into some sort of a feud, even if it was one of those house show feuds for the spring summertime. Uh, this was supposed to be a Bigelow and Owen Hart feud going forward. So you have to wonder, was Owen going to get a, a surprise win here or whatever, or whatever else they were going to come up with for the finish? And instead, as you said, Bam Bam the Pro, they go into another spot. Bam Bam misses a charge into the corner because he still wants to give Owen that opportunity to make that comeback that he's supposed to make. But I think at that point, Bam Bam realizes Owen is not, He's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm done, I'm done, and Bigelow just slams him in place, and and then off the top rope with the diving headbutt, just finishes him straight up there. Match went seven minutes. I just wrote, damn, it's just, I mean, what could have yeah. been? What a hot start! Owen looked better than he ever had in the New Foundation, the High Energy time, even the Blue Blazer, because he wasn't really given a lot there. He looked like the Owen Hart from Stampede. Or, you know, what we would, you know, later see as Owen Hart as far as uh, just the ability he has. Yeah, this is really good. It's unfortunate he got hurt. I think Bam Bam even checked on him after he pulled, pushed up off the uh, headbutt after the pin. So he, he made sure he was okay and just a professional. But, yeah, this would have been pretty good. It almost feels like they was going to go to the comeback and Owen was going to get, like, a sneaky win. And uh, that was going to kick off their feud. So... It's unfortunate. I would have loved to have seen more of Owen and Bam Bam, but this is pretty much it for Owen up until what Survivor Series. I mean, he we may he, see him here and there, but yeah, he comes nothing. back. He, he continues to work, but he's not on TV a whole lot at all. Because I remember, I remember thinking there were large periods of time where I'm like, "Man, is he gone? That sucks." Because I, you know, I really was looking forward to seeing him wrestle, and then boom, he would pop up again on TV. So I think he was there. He was working the house shows and things, but he wasn't doing a whole lot of TV. Uh, they really didn't have much, much uh, by the way, of uh, ideas for him, at least, uh, you know, until Brett slid Owen into that storyline there. It's, like you said, Survivor Series. Yeah, unfortunate for him. We go on, and uh, it's the WrestleMania music video again, Steve. You know the one I'm talking about. You, you know what I'm talking about, Steve. Yeah. 
Yeah, that one. And it's back to the ring. Yokozuna with Fuji in his corner taking on Chris Katowski. We get an insert promo here from Jim Duggan, who is back, and he is looking for revenge on Yokozuna. I wrote, Death by Bonsai, because this is one of those Bonsais where Yoko doesn't bother to hold the rope. He smashes poor Chris Katowski here. Yoko picks up the win three minutes and three seconds. Vince promises next week an update on Owen Hart as we close out this episode of Superstars. Over to WWF Mania, April 17th. Todd in the WWF Warehouse, which is kind of fun. He's in a ring backstage in the warehouse or in the warehouse area, but uh, no exclusives here. So we fast forward to Sunday, April 18th, Wrestling Challenge. Tape back on March 9th in Augusta, Georgia. It is Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan as the old Afro doink to the ring to take on Jim Powers. And we get another doink, a second doink, in an insert promo. Apparently he's standing by. And the announcers wonder, how could this be? I wrote, don't they do this all the time? Don't we always? Didn't Bob Backlund just wrestle? Were there two? God, please don't tell me there's two Bob Backlunds. But I swore we just saw Bob Backlund speak and wrestle at the same time last week. But they sell this as two doinks. What the hell is going on here? Uh, I think the, the big thing here that separates it is the insert promo doink is actually answering Bobby Heenan's questions, if you will. Yeah, I think that's what separates this one from the Backlund is Bobby shoots him a question and doink answers it by referencing Heenan back. So it's like they're having a conversation and talking to each other right there instead of just an insert promo. And, of course, Bobby says it's an illusion. It's all an illusion. But, of course, one doink has an afro hair, and the doink in the insert promo has, has the other hair. So I don't know about that. We'll, we'll have to see what happens with this doink thing as it continues to unfold here in the WWF 1993. Jimmy Powers misses a drop kick. Doink on the attack with the stump puller. Picks up the win. Three minutes and two seconds. We go back to Raw. It's uh, We get to relive one more time. Now that is raw! The sensational Sherry and Luna Vashon brawl. So raw as it makes its way on TV all week. And that probably wasn't the initial plan, but I think after what happened happened, they were like, we got to get the sun on TV everywhere. And uh, back to the ring, the Beverly Brothers in action against the Nasty Boys. Man, the Beverlys have done more in this last three weeks <laughs> than they've done in the last three years. And they haven't even been here three years, Steve. It feels that way. It sure they're all does. over the place, and and uh, they're getting all, their last run is uh, they're getting the most out of it, I guess. Yeah, Vince is getting the most out of it. Vince's call. Yeah, yeah somebody's getting the most out of it. They're putting everybody over on the way out. It seems the Nasty Boys dominate the first five minutes of the match. At one point, Blake even slaps Knobs. Another bad idea. That's one guy I wouldn't do that to. Not because I fear Knobs, but because I fear the repercussions when I give him my body. After the fact, the Beverly's have to sneak attack knobs, not once, not twice, but three times in order to finally take over control of the match. And immediately, it's the, minute, the minute they get control of the match, we go to commercial. <laughs> and when we come back, the <laughs> Beverly's cheat. They use the double teams and the tag rope to choke Brian Knobs in their corner. Knobs then reverses a Blake Beverly suplex, but Bo tags in to stop the hot tag and knocks knobs out to the floor. Throat first across the guardrail as Nobbs gets dropped, and back inside, Brian Nobbs drives Blake's head into the mat and makes the hot tag finally to Sags, and Bo tags in as well. Sags gives Bo the old pit stop to himself, just grabs Bo and shoves it into Sags' uh, underarm. Sags in a double DDT on both Beverly Brothers, turns into a four-way melee at this point. Bo then accidentally decks Blake. 
man, somebody should go have a conversation with Bo Beverly. In the last three weeks, he's hit three people he didn't mean to at this point, and I don't even know that it ends here. So Sags Ducks, Bo Nails Blake, and then Schoolboy by Sags on Bo Beverly. This match went ten and a half minutes on Superstars. Unheard of. Ugh. And it had to be these four. Well, <laughs> this is what it is. <laughs> uh, Nasties are on their way out, too, so they're getting the most out of them. No, this was okay. It wasn't too bad. I'm pretty sure these guys worked before, so it's probably easy, easy for them. Nothing special out of a 10-minute match, but nothing horrible either. Post-match after the Beverly's lose, they try to attack the Nasty Boys, but Epic fail as the Nasties run them off. I wrote, this quite possibly could be the longest syndicated TV match I can ever recall with a finish, mind you here. It's, there's a finish involved, too, which makes it doubly weird. Uh, but the Nasty Boys going over the Beverly Brothers as we go back to the ring. It's the narcissist Lex Luger taking on Jesse Carls, or as they call him on commentary, Curls. I don't really know who he really is. I've never, never heard of this fellow before. So I wonder, Steve, how many autographs do you think the narcissist signed? Uh, probably none. Okay. So I figure, I figure the, the fan would come up to Lex and it would go something, something like this. Lex, can I have your autograph? No, you can't. Oh, I've been waiting to play that again. <laughs> As uh, Lex comes in and he poses oh, in front of that, that funhouse mirror, Jim Ross begins to question the forearm and Heenan says, there's nothing special about the forearm. It's the speed in which he delivers it. It kind of made sense, even though it was Bobby Heenan basically telling a bunch of bullshit. He calls it bat speed. Uh, it's in the speed of the bat when it hits a ball. Bobby Heenan here explaining Lex Luger's forearm to Jim Ross. Ross explains there have been x-rays taken, and we're going to find out more about Lex Luger's forearm in the very near future. Hmm. And again, Luger nails the pounce forearm and does the kneeling double biceps pose to pick up the win here over Jesse Carl's curls. Whatever the fact, he's the loser of this match. Luger picks up the win two minutes. Show continues on. El Matador Tito Santana, who's all of a sudden getting a resurgence on TV lately, taking on Dale Wolf and Headlocks O'Plenty, because even though he changed gimmicks, he still does the same moves, does Santana. Even Bobby Heenan has Tito figured out during commentary. As Bobby points out, he does two or three moves, and he does a headlock. Then he goes back and does two or three moves, and then back to a headlock. So Bobby... Even has uh, Matador figured out. He truly is the brain. As El Paso de Muerte ends this two minutes and 18 seconds. <laughs> Classic commentary there by Heenan. Love it. Special report time with Alfred Hayes. As he talks WrestleMania 9, he talks the narcissist Mr. Perfect match and the Sean attack afterwards. Back to the ring, tag team champions Money Incorporated. Take on Ricky Nelson and Anthony Howard. IRS says there's new tax laws coming into effect that will make you pay your fair share. Bobby said he paid $78 this year to the IRS, which Jim Ross questioned. I thought that was an interesting amount that Bobby threw out there. Yeah, I paid $78. <laughs> uh, I always enjoyed Nelson here and in, in the NWA as well. He was a good job kid. I mean, uh, didn't really have the body to make it big, but he still looked good, and he was really good at bumps and things in the ring. So always cool to see Ricky Nelson pop up from time to time. He even gets to work over IRS a little bit. They give him a little bit of offense here on IRS, but DiBiase blasts him with a knee in the back from the apron. First time I've ever seen a job guy eat the old knee to the back as they're hitting the ropes into the apron there. Ted takes over, but he avoids bumping. Not one bump 
on the offense or defense does DiBiase take here? And this match is IRS gets the win on Howard with the write-off clothesline. Two minutes and 55 seconds. We close out the show with the WrestleMania music video. You know the one I'm talking about, Steve. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that one right there. And we close out Wrestling Challenge for this week. And then we go to All-American April 18th, episode 499. Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan now after WrestleMania. The WWF is cutting costs, Steve. Uh, If you guys have been watching, January, February, March, they were on tour. They were going to Las Vegas. They were going to California. They went to New York. They They went to Philadelphia. Did Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan. Now, the WWF has gotten cheap. We get... Fake backgrounds. This week, they're in front of a fake battleship in the background as the Wizard is on commentary. And there it is, that Bam Bam Owen match I mentioned. I remember as a kid listening to the Wizard on this particular episode. And this episode of the All-American ends in uh, hokey fashion as they're standing on top of this battleship. And Bobby Heenan finds a grenade. Steve, what do you think happens here? He pulls the pin and... Bobby Heenan explodes as All-American goes off the air. (laughs) Classic. I need to watch some of these All-Americans. There's some interesting things and unique things that they go on there. Less stuff that Vince cares about, the more free they are to do what they want to do. That's exactly right. uh, Yeah, you're right. So probably a little little carefree and people taking advantage of the situation. So, and that goes uh, back to explaining the virtual promos. The less Vince cares about something, the more you can get away with. Absolutely. He's not watching that. <laughs> it may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW. Raw versus Nitro. The Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down, from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the Battles Within, exclusively as part of the WrestleCopia brand, available on WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. And we're going to move on to Monday Night, Monday Night Raw for April 19th, 1993 in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mid-Hudson Civic Center It was taped last week on April 12th. We kicked things off with another one of those promos like we were talking about with Bam Bam and Owen Hart not that long ago. The face-to-face promo with the black background, only they're not really face-to-face. This time it's Money Incorporated and the Beverly Brothers. They have a few things to say to each other. Million Dollar Man says two bleach blonde morons can't do it if Hogan and Beefcake can't do it, which makes it makes sense. DiBiase making sense. They're kind of ripping on the Beverly Brothers, but the Beverly Brothers are coming tonight to attempt to defeat Money Incorporated, maybe earn themselves a tag team title shot in the near future as the show kicks off. It's Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and Rob Bartlett. More on Mr. Bartlett before the show comes to a conclusion. Uh, We kick things off. You talked about this earlier in the episode. (laughs) Razor Ramon taking on Virgil. And I wrote, well, let's see if Razor knows where to land. If you remember the promo from a week or two ago here on the grenade on the Virgil of the Week, Virgil said when he gets in the ring with Razor Ramon and his Mr. T startup kit, 
Razor's not going to know whether to land here or drop here, drop there, or fall into the stands. So we're going to see if Razor falls into the stands here. <laughs> During the match, Bob Bartlett says, you know, what, you know what amazes me, Vince? And Macho Man replies, probably everything. Uh-huh. So already starting right away <laughs> on poor Rob Bartlett here this week as the match gets going. Virgil looking clumsy and sloppy, maybe even more clumsy and sloppy than usual. Tries a schoolboy, but he's up against the ropes. Who in their right mind tries to schoolboy somebody when their back is against the ropes? Only Virgil. That's who. Razor is forced to take a hip toss when he clearly doesn't want to. You can tell. But Virgil's in the middle of a comeback, and Razor has to take the move. And it looks like you can tell he's kind of fighting it. He's like, all right, I'm going to go, but my leg, man. And damn that, Virgil. Clearly, that leg's still not 100%. We can see right here. Virgil misses a drop kick. Razor takes over with the old abdominal stretch, slaps Virgil around. Razor chants begin to pick up because, well, I guess Virgil sucks. I thought the people were behind Virgil, though, Steve. Isn't that what he says every single week in those promos? You people are behind me, so I'm behind you. And apparently Virgil, uh, he doesn't have the support of the people here this week. Anyway, Virgil does manage to make a comeback. He hits a middle rope clothesline, but misses a reverse body block, and it's razor's edge time. Into the stands! Goes Virgil as Razor picks up the win in about seven minutes. Uh, this was almost all rest holds from Razor. I wrote, yuck. Uh, Ramon clearly working hurt, but they're keeping him relevant. They're keeping him on TV, and they're protecting him. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I like that they are keeping him on TV, even though he's hurt. He probably shouldn't be because these are terrible. This match was horrible. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, I'm, I guess it's, I'm glad he's on TV because you don't forget about him. I will say, like, in that comment you made about Bartlett, mm-hmm. <laughs> Vince, like, as soon as Savage says probably everything, Vince <laughs> just keeps on talking, and Bartlett never even gets a chance to finish it. I think he does like 45 seconds later. He says the toothpick always stays in the side of Razor's ear. Uh, the uh-huh. one behind his ear always stays in place. Right. But they no sold it. And that's probably that's a theme for the night until later on for sure. Well, I can't wait to get into all of that at the end of the episode. Speaking of later tonight, Vince McMahon claims Rob Bartlett is going to interview Brett the Hitman Hart, but Rob declines after what happened last week with Sherry and Luna Vashon. Rob starts to blame the Macho Man for giving him his black eye from last week, and Macho said, no, you tripped. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, it's like a, a wife beater here. No, you tripped. That's exactly what happened. I'm used to telling this to Elizabeth. Sorry, guys, I, I didn't say that. We're going we're gonna to go on with the show. Giant Gonzalez out for a squash match over L.A. Gore, and he's back to the fur this week. So WrestleMania, we get the uh, airbrush, but back to the fur, at least for this week on the Giant Gonzalez. Gets the win with the choke slam. one minute and 20 seconds. During the match, Harvey Whippleman shouts into the camera. He challenges Hulk Hogan and the hitman Bret Hart to matches with the Giant Gonzalez. I can only imagine what those would have been like. And Yuck. There's no way even Bret Hart could work a masterpiece with the Giant Gonzalez. No, absolutely not. He'd probably maybe <laughs> get something, but uh, <laughs> not a lot. Not, not, not a lot at all. We go to a Luna Vachon pre-tape promo. She's in a dungeon somewhere used air quotes around dungeon there two guesses who this promo is about steve that would be sherry martell i didn't even let you guess their past is filled with mayhem and evil wow sherry got involved in her business at wrestlemania 9 i wrote question mark sherry got involved in luna's business i'm totally confused there if anything sherry was the one that had the right to be at ringside during the Shawn michaels match but hey heels tell their own version of stories all the time we go back to WrestleMania. We see the clip of Luna attacking Sherry at ringside. She says Sherry got what she deserved last week, 
and she finally tore at Sherry's flesh and clothes and her very soul. And, uh, yeah, she certainly tore at her clothes. I'll give her that much anyway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now that is raw! Luna promises to haunt Sherry's very breath from this day forward, wipe her from Earth, and become the goddess. What a promo. It's something. It was pretty good, I thought. I didn't mind it. It was out there, but I wouldn't expect anything less from Luna. She nailed it. Her voice is something else. It's different and unique, and uh, it's not what you saw in WWF back then. Um, It was definitely interesting, to say the least. Yeah, you know what always stuck out to me about these promos? She did a couple of these in this dungeon setting here. Is everybody else got that old green screen background, and here uh, Luna got her own real actual setup background in in this dungeon-looking situation, and that stuck out to me. They, They did something special for her. It didn't continue on beyond this, but at the time this aired, I'm like, what is this? And it made her feel more special. The problem was we only had two women in the company at the time. And that worked back in the day, back in Dallas or, or in Mid-South, when you had two women feuding, Dark Journey, Missy Hyatt, Sunshine, what have you. And that, I think that's what they're going for here. And, and it could have worked, but unfortunately, it's, it's, uh, it's going to take off even bigger than this, really. And then it's, you know, it just dissipates because of what, what goes on over the summer. But we'll get to that when we get to that time frame. Right For right now, it's very hot after we come off that wild, crazy brawl last week. Luna's still cutting promos on Sherry here. We go back to the ring, though. It's Tatanka over Mark Thomas with the Papoose to go. Two minutes and 29 seconds, and then here it is. Just as promised, as Tag Team Champions Money Incorporated taking on the Beverly Brothers. They announced it as non-title. I wrote, aw, poor Beverly's can't even get a title shot. You better have filed your taxes, says IRS, because you'll get no extension. What an evil heel. No extension on my taxes. IRS, you know exactly what to say to piss that crowd off. Money Inc. jumps the Beverly's. It turns into a four-way melee early on, but Money Incorporated bail from the ring. Macho Man asks, who's going to win? Rob Bartlett says, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Macho Man says, sorry I asked. So Macho is just not a fan of Rob Bartlett here, more so this week than ever. Uh, back to the action. The Beverly Brothers work over Ted DiBiase early on, double teaming. It's like a different teamer this week. The Beverly Brothers moving fast. I can't really call them the faces, even though storyline purposes, they technically are the faces, but they're the ones getting the heel heat on DiBiase. So it's really weird. It's just like, it really is just like two heel teams going at it. As the Beverly's cheat, a lot of double teaming. The referee hold, holds IRS back, which I found comical. And it was just fun watching the heels play the faces. IRS, the Beverly's did some babyface things. It was really weird. weird. Really weird dynamic here from both sides as uh, Bo eats a back elbow from DiBiase. Finally, Ted tags out, but the Beverly's now beat down IRS. They take control as we go into commercial seven minutes into the match back from break. IRS has the old front face lock on Bo, and now it's Money Inc.'s turn to cheat with illegal switches on the Beverly brother. Bo nails IRS with his own write-off. And a neckbreaker to Ted DiBiase. Hot tag to Blake Beverly and the Beverly's back on the offense, but IRS breaks up a pin and IRS gets tossed to the floor. Blake then holds Ted, but Ted ducks. And for the fourth time this month, Bo nails Blake. Yes, you heard me right. That should be a new new soundbite. Bo nails Blake. Unfortunately, Bo's on his way out, so really no point at this point. DiBiase, schoolboy's Bo from behind. Money Incorporated picking the pin. Even here in this non-title match, 13 minutes, Money Incorporated. I wrote, where have I seen that finish before? Bo has terrible aim. He's, uh, <laughs> he's caused Money Incorporated. He aided in hitting Ted DiBiase. But this is the third time he's caused Blake, or, or at least hit his brother, this month. Unbelievable. He's either doing it on purpose, 
<laughs> there's something going on we don't know about at home with the Beverly Brothers, or they got to come up with a new finish. Yeah, I'm one, it, they, they never acknowledge it. This is like the third or fourth time that he's done it, have they? I don't no, think they ever do. I don't think they pay attention. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it just makes you wonder if they were going with, some, with it. It's just very odd you see this. Like They're not that stupid to do the same thing over and over <laughs> four weeks in a row. At so it almost point, feels like they they probably wanted to split them, but maybe it's because they knew Bo was leaving, so they just dropped it. I don't know. Blake never really came off selling it. What was odd was they were doing this more than Mr. Perfect was countering back backdrops into Perfect Plexus. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's true. That's I kept true. waiting for a Blake Hill turn, but he just never sold it like it was a big deal. Well, we lost. <laughs> Life goes on, I suppose. Money Incorporated, man. I didn't notice it back in 1993. And he's fine for an average wrestler in 1993, but it's obvious looking back, Ted DiBiase is not the same Ted DiBiase here. No, he's definitely not. I mean, I don't know if he's just tired or worn out. I know he has the injury, if that's completely derailed him. I think that he's been in this tag team for so long that he just kind of was done with it. I mean, he's burnt out. What is this? 12 years, 13 years, like heavy run. He was the top of Mid-South, and he came right into WWF in the main event and has been doing it since the end of 87. So we're six years in a 300-day-a-year run. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> – I'm done, too. Like, it's time to move on. I, I need a break just thinking about it. In-ring promo from the hitman Bret Hart. Those are always fun back in this era. Vince talks about how Bret Hart was the underdog against Yokozuna at Mania, but Bret says he's been an underdog most of his career. And as WWF champion, he was also the underdog. He liked being the underdog. Brett says he's won and lost titles before, and he doesn't look or feel like a beaten man. The hitman says he's making a hit list. That makes sense. On his way back up to the top and says Lex Luger is first on that hit list. They show clips of Luger laying out Brett at the WrestleMania brunch. And if you guys have never seen this, it's blatant, and we've made fun of it. Well, me and my, my brother, my cousin, we made fun of it. Since the first time we ever saw this clip, Brett lets out this ridiculous uh, cough. He coughs into his hand. <coughs> and then Luger runs at him with the forearm. Jeez, I wonder what the cue was, guys. Really? My God. And for anybody that never noticed that before, you'll never look at it the same again. Brett, I mean, it just oversells the cough. And the Luger, which runs right in with the forearm immediately thereafter at the brunch. Anywho, back to the promo. Brett says <laughs> Luger's running around saying he cost him the belt but he's not going to give Luger any credit for that. Vince brings up the ongoing investigation into Luger's forearm. Brett says he's been hit a lot in his life uh, since it comes with the job, but he's never been knocked out by, by someone. It's, that's questionable, Brett. I'm sure somebody's knocked out. I think out he said by, by a forearm. He was talking about the forearm. He's like, I've been hit with, a, with forearms. It comes with a job, but he's never been knocked out by one. Okay. about the forearm. Brett thinks there's more to there's there's more than bone in that forearm. Well, you're right again, even though that sounded absolutely stupid. There's more than bone in there, Steve. After revenge <laughs> on Lex Luger, it doesn't matter if it's Hulk Hogan or Yokozuna because the hitman is going back to the top to take back what's rightfully his, the WWF title. Maybe not the worst Brett promo, but still, it was a Brett promo. Uh, he, he's like, I'm going to go straight to the top, and then he came up with like four other ways to say the same thing yeah so it sounded terrible <laughs> but uh just, if he would have just said i'm going straight he's like i'm going straight back up to the top like <laughs> instead of straight to the top it's i'm going straight back up to where i belong to the top or something like he just he lost his train of thought which is normal for him uh in 93 now overall 
this was a decent promo by by the hitman. I wish they would have done more with the hit list. That's perfect. Like, <laughs> if they had had, never used it more than this. But. Yeah, had they uh, actually put some thought into some things, that would have been fun for sure. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I like it. Raw goes on. It's Bam Bam Bigelow in the ring taking on Phil Apollo. Doink returns to ringside. He was out here last week during a Tatanka match, spraying the fans once again with water here. This is Steve Kern Doink, and you can tell immediately because he has no facials. He has all the mannerisms down. I give Kern credit for that. He does a really good doink until the camera pans to the face. And I don't mean he doesn't look like Matt Bourne. I mean, he just doesn't do those Matt Bourne facials. And you can immediately tell it's not Matt Bourne. Bam Bam. Beats the living crap out of Mr. Phil Apollo, and at one point he beals him across the ring. For those who don't know what a beal is, it's almost like a hip toss, but where you throw the guy really far. And what do you think happens when there's a guy watching this type of move? And he's never seen one before because he doesn't watch wrestling, and he's caught up in the moment of watching a guy fly all the way across the ring. He may utter something that, well, you, you may not want to say on TV. I want you guys to take a quick listen to this. Vince McMahon's got to be really loud. Uh, during this uh, this little quick soundbite, but I want you to listen to another word that's uttered in the background. Apollo for the ride. Yeah, what a ride it's been thus far. What was that word? Let's listen one more time. Apollo for the ride. Yeah, what a ride it's been thus far. Rob Bartlett busts out shit as he watches Phil Apollo fly about ten feet across the ring. There. <laughs> Classic. It's great. You like that move. He must have liked that move. I uh, and I'd never <laughs> noticed this before. I, I picked up on it for the first time ever here, and I and I thought I discovered. Hey, is that why he got fired? Did Vince hear that and have a conversation with him? No, we'll get to why Mr. Bartlett leaves the company here at the end of episode of Raw. But I just I caught that. I never heard that before in all these years, so I wanted to grab that soundbite. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you heard what I heard. I heard it. Apollo for the ride. Yeah, what a ride it's been thus far. The crowd's kind of dead for this match. It is a squash match after all, but then Bigelow does a 400-pound senton onto poor Apollo and lands 400 pounds onto Phil Apollo, and that wakes the crowd up. Oh, boy, does it ever. And probably (laughs) made Apollo shit his pants as well. Bigelow goes up top, nails the diving headbutt, gets the win, 4 minutes and 43 seconds. Post-match, Bigelow delivers a second diving headbutt. And then out comes... It's your favorite guy from last week, Steve. Friar uh, Ferguson back for one, sure. <laughs> one more trip onto Raw. Nah, nah, yeah. So this was a taping, and technically last week was the only week we'll ever see Friar Ferguson in a WWF ring, but he's out here this week to check on poor Phil Apollo. But Bigelow isn't done yet. He wants back at Apollo, and that upsets the Friar who's trying to take care of this poor job guy. And Friar Ferguson drop kicks Bam Bam Bigelow out of the ring. So, man, could we have a, a Friar Ferguson Bigelow feud on our, our, our hands here on Raw? Nah, nah, yeah. Uh, luckily, no. This is the last you guys will ever see of Friar Ferguson. Yeah, but we will get Mike Shaw back. Can well, that's he right around the Bastion Booger <laughs> is right around the corner. That's right. I don't know if it's, it's that's my pick. It's, yeah, that's right, Bobby Heenan. Booger's my pick. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Next week on Raw, Lex Luger, the narcissist, going up against Crush. That's an intriguing visual uh, before we get there. And uh, so I did mention earlier in this episode, this is the final week of Rob Bartlett in the World Wrestling Federation. This was Rob Bartlett's last appearance, his final appearance on Monday Night Raw. There is no Rob Bartlett anymore, Steve. 
Thank God for that. After a while, like we talked about, you kind of feel bad for him because I don't think it's necessarily his fault. Vince wanted him. He came in. He did his gimmick. This is what he is. But it's Vince's fault that he didn't realize this dude has zero interest, doesn't like, probably doesn't even like wrestling, and has no clue what the hell it is. And he didn't take the time or effort. He probably was hired to, hey, man, just come in and do your, your comedy. I love it. And then when they start shitting on the product, obviously the, the boys and, and them are going to get mad about it. And that's kind of what Macho did. Vince kind of just went along with it and just made him a punchline. So I, I don't blame Bar- I blame Bartlett for being lazy as far as not learning the business and the ins and outs a little bit, taking a little bit of time to learn a few things. As bad as our Donovan is, at least he wanted to know how big people were and what this guy does. So he, he was trying to, to learn. He wanted to know who Razor Ramon was because somebody told him backstage that was his guy. Is that Razor? Yeah. Is that my guy? Is that who I'm supposed to be cheering for? <laughs> Oh man, but at least he, you know, he was asking questions to kind of get to know him <laughs> while he was out there. He was probably a one night deal, so can't really do it in the back when you're out there in front of everybody. But Bartlett had five months to figure it out and never four really months. tried. Four months, and never three really, and a half, yeah, four really. months. Yeah, never really tried. So no. that's that that rings on him. But so Vince should have cut bait early. Yes, all you trivia buffs out there. Name two guys that left the company in the same night, Friar Ferguson and Rob Bartlett. There you go. Bastion Boyer will be back, though. <laughs> so, do you remember a few weeks ago when the Raw version of March to WrestleMania 9 featured a wraparound with Rob Bartlett in the Manhattan Center by himself as a kind of like a spoof, a comedy thing that nobody likes him, so they tricked him, and they're all at the March to WrestleMania show while Bartlett is stuck in the Manhattan Center by himself because nobody told him where they were going? Do you remember that, Steve? Oh, yeah, I remember that, yep. So it was all part of that we hate you gag that, you know, well, we thought it was a gag with Macho Man and Vince McMahon hating on Rob Bartlett. Well, Rob Bartlett had this to say about that gag. Let me preface this by saying Vince McMahon was not at that show where Rob was not Vince McMahon, where he was the not Vince McMahon character. Vince wasn't there. And the only people on that show that even knew what he was doing Going into that show were Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Vince wasn't there. He was at an award, the Michael Landon's Awards or whatever, and he had no idea what was going on. This was Rob's idea that he was going to do this without an okay from Vince, and he does that Vince McMahon shtick for the entire hour. He said at the very next production meeting, the first thing out of Vince's mouth once everybody sat down was, you're fired. You're fired! Whoa! He was just kidding. He was just kidding. Anyways... They send him to the Manhattan Center for the next episode of Raw, knowing that they were going to be elsewhere that night because March to WrestleMania 9 had already been taped. So Bartlett shows up to Raw to do Raw, and there's nobody there. Well, let's let Rob explain it. Vince got me back for playing not Vince McMahon by not telling me that they were going to be somewhere else. So I showed up at the Manhattan Center. McMahon was so determined to play the prank that he hired a camera crew to film a remote shot of me standing alone in the arena. Vince tricked Rob Bartlett into going to the Manhattan Center, how cruel, and paid people, a camera crew, to show up just to make it look real uh, for Rob to fall for this. So, ha-ha, fuck you, pal. Now that is raw. That is raw, Steve. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm not even mad at it. Oh, man. So we've speculated 
what happened? We've, we've been doing this since the beginning of this show, all the way back in the January episode. What happened to Rob Bartlett? Why does he leave? Does his contract expire? Does he get fired? Does he quit? What is the, what is the catalyst of Rob Bartlett finally leaving the company here in the middle of April 1993? Rob Bartlett said this about quitting the WWF. He said, I think Vince knew it wasn't working. He probably would have let me stay for a while in hopes that we could have found some way to make it work. But I basically resigned or quit to Kevin Dunn, and he was sad to see me go because he thought we could have done something. I just felt like the chemistry wasn't there, you think? The sensibilities were quite far apart. I wasn't familiar enough with the world or the rules of the universe as well as I should have been. The kind of comedy I did didn't fit in too well (laughs) with what they were doing, you think? Part of the problem is you can't make fun of something that doesn't take itself too seriously to begin with. Not that the wrestlers weren't serious. You know, they took their craft very seriously. But with Doink the Clown and stuff, it was hard to poke fun at it. That's what Rob had to say about quitting the WWF. Uh, He's probably not wrong. That seems very fairly uh, accurate. Probably realistic. Uh, This is Vince in 93 that I can speak to. I can't speak to Vince McMahon today, but... He was never, he wanted to he gave people opportunities to make it work and figure it out. Like if it sucked initially, they would go back to the drawing board, as we see with Friar Ferguson. I guess it goes from bad to worse with that, but at least he just didn't fire the dude and send him packing and say, See you later. Uh thanks for coming into the company a hundred pounds heavier than you were. Right. You know, stuff like that. So he gave people chances and I could see him I mean, for heaven's sakes, Jameson was on T V for like two years and <laughs> He wasn't funny at all to me, No, but I th- they could have done something with Bartlett. I think his wit and some of his jokes were funny, but like he says, if if the wrestlers are serious, but some of the stuff that, how do you joke on a clown? Like, what do you say about a clown like doink? Like it's so serious, but it's not serious at the same time. So if you do a joke about it, it's just going to be flat because the joke itself is doink or, or something along those lines. So I, I could see it, but also like, he didn't understand characters that you don't joke around with. Like Yokozuna, this is your champion. <laughs> like you don't play jokes about a, whatever he did with his uh, gear and, and things like that, because that just diminishes him as a champion or a possible champion. Um, so I don't think he get it, got it. The jokes could be had, but they just weren't with the right people. And it's probably difficult for him. And he, like you said, he didn't put enough time into it to make it work. But I could see Vince wanting him to stick around. But he probably is glad he left before Macho killed him. Uh, I, you know, I like the one sentence where he admits that he, there are a lot of rules and things like that behind the scenes in wrestling, things you don't do. He didn't understand any of that. He didn't come from this world. So it's a, it's a, it's a completely different bubble. And it's like, oh, that's a thing here? So I get it. He's just completely lost in this world of, of wrestling. Something that he clearly never really followed or had no interest in prior to being offered this p- potential position to showcase himself. And he quickly learned this wasn't the Rob Bartlett show. This was, you know, the World Wrestling Federation. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And we'll go on. WW Superstars April 12th, tape April 6th in Tucson, Arizona at the convention center. So at least we have new tapings. In the ring, Intercontinental Champion over uh, Shawn Michaels over Dale Wolf. Uh, Wolf runs into a super kick. Shawn continues to tease the teardrop suplex, but he pie faces Wolf, makes the cover three minutes, 23 seconds. I think at this point, Sean's looking for a new finisher, and he's just toying around with the, the guys until he figures it out. We get a Mega Maniacs promo, brother. 
and Brutus Beefcake in the mask and Hulk Hogan rocking the uh, black eye from WrestleMania night. What a, what a duo there. And they're talking all about coming up. (laughs) It is nasty. And they're going to be taking on money incorporated in the Meadowlands on May 22nd. in this event center promo back to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers against Reno Riggins and Billy Jones. Rick with a belly to belly superplex on Jones. And he lets him tag Reno who doesn't want to tag in Riggins drops off the apron. You don't see heels or you don't see job guys doing that often. Riggins drops off the apron, refusing to make the tag in. And then Scott in the ring with Jones, he launches him over his head with a belly to belly suplex. Reno turns his back to argue with the fans and Scotty makes Jones tag Reno in. And now it's on poor Reno Riggins eats the Frankensteiner. Scott Steiner picks up the win three minutes and 59 seconds. And it's interview time. Raymond Rougeau scheduled to speak with Bam Bam Bigelow. But instead, it's sensational Sherry who cuts off Bam Bam Bigelow. And boy, oh boy, in this blue dress, those tits are flowing. Now that is raw! This may be rawer than actual raw here, uh, if you ask me. Anyway, this blue dress is uh, where it's at with sensational Sherry. But she cuts off Bam Bam on his way to the stage, which is just amazing that she would do such a thing. And she wants to talk about Luna Vachon. She challenges Luna any place, any time. Meanwhile, Bigelow's standing or at the bottom of the stage looking up at Sherry. He's not really happy uh, with her cutting him off. He climbs up the steps and onto the stage to confront Sherry. And they have a little bit of an argument. And he grabs Sherry by the arm, grabs her by the hair. She drops to her knees as he's holding her wrists. And he grabs her hair, yanks her back. He's going to fuck her up, Steve. This is pretty violent shit, even for 93. Yeah. Woman beating. <laughs> oh, he, man. He's got Sherry down pleading, and he, out of nowhere comes Tatanka to the rescue. And what does he come? What do I do when I come to save a woman from being beaten? I throw chops, Steve. Tatanka throwing chops up on the stage. And then what? He drop kicks Bam Bam Bigelow off the stage. Bigelow does a tumble down the steps. And then what do you do when you launch yourself onto a guy? Tatanka jumps off the stage with a flying chop. Off the stage onto Bam Bam Bigelow. Tatanka back up on the stage again. He comes off, launches himself, body block onto Bigelow as he hammers on him on the outside. We've got officials out to separate the two. Really fun little angle here, even though I'm having a little fun with it. It was still pretty cool. I love the, the interaction between Bam Bam and Sherry. It was a little edgy for the time, and it made sense because Sherry always stood up to the guys anyway. She never showed really much, much any fear towards any of the, of the men in the company, in real life or in <laughs> kayfabe. And then Tatanka makes a save, so obviously we're moving into the in, into a feud between Tatanka and Bam Bam at this point. That becomes clear. But I just thought it was odd some of the choices Tatanka made in this attack. A drop kick on a stage. Who thought that was a good idea? Tatanka. I Buffalo. Mean, he's doing his moves that he does in the match because that's, that's all he knows. That's all he knows how to do. Yeah, that's right. So he's throwing <laughs> chops a, and a drop kick. The end of the trail. Yeah, I know, right? Who's to go? Run at me, Bambo. Run at me, Bam Bam. I got this finisher to drop you with. <laughs> I like Bambo oh, better. Lord. That's good. I got to tell you, the dropkick probably was the uh, the best thing on the whole thing. But then he jumps off the stage with a tomahawk chop. Unbelievable to talk. Come on, man. Well, I don't know what else he's going to do, like jumping off of that. I mean, he's not going to do a cross body or, or something like that. But uh, jump it I, I know it's a fight. It's better to just do like a pull apart because if you're fighting and you're angry, like in a real fight, I'm not going to bust out a chop and a tomahawk over the head. Like they're just going to look at me like, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's going to get your ass kicked even more. So pull apart probably would have been better. But this was this was a hot angle. Like you said, I know we're laughing about it and making fun of it. But I think instantly you just automatically support whoever came out to 
to help a woman in, in uh, stress there. So the fact that Bam Bam was about to beat up on a lady, that's instant heat. Tatanka's getting it. And, um, like, I'm interested in seeing the match. And we're not done with this yet. So no, this, no, t- I, this gets even this gets even better later on. This, so. Yeah, before this episode of Superstars ends. It uh, continues, actually. Yeah. Uh, this shit was hot. It was over with the crowd. The crowd was eating this up during the, the brawl between Bam Bam and Tatanka. But you got to look at it like this. From the March 8th taping with the Owen and Bam Bam feud that was getting started, here you are a month later, April 6th, uh, just two days after WrestleMania, and they have to move away from Owen because he's out for at least another month at this point, and they go with Bam Bam and Tatanka, which probably makes better sense. I'm not saying Owen and Bam Bam wouldn't have had better matches, but Tatanka's a bigger guy. His, his size probably matches up with Bam Bam a little more, so when you're looking at it, it probably makes a little more sense to the average fan. Yeah, it's going to make more sense to him. And plus, Tatanka's already kind of established, so uh, it goes to a little bit different dynamic of they were going to establish Owen with Bam Bam. Well, now it's just two established guys in a feud over over the lady. And we Not saw a bad trade-off, but it would have been interesting to see uh, what Owen and Bam Bam would have done. That, that would have been pretty good. Oh, no doubt. You can tell it. by that first match. You can tell yeah. by that first match. Yeah, and Bam Bam was willing to work with him. Bam Bam wasn't, there was no ego there. He was willing to make him look good, even though he weighed, you know, half his half his size. So, And Owen was going to make Bam Bam look like a million bucks, too, compared to Typhoon and Big Bossman that he's been dealt with. <laughs> <laughs> so, so last far. week, at the end of the episode, after Owen got hurt during the Bam Bam match last week on Superstars, at the end of the show, Vince promised an update on Owen Hart this week. Like, it was a really big deal. We get that update, Steve, during an El Matador entrance, of all things. And Vince just says, Owen blew out his knee. And we move on. So that's all Owen gets here after the, the big promise of an injury update. Uh, we wait till a Tito Santana match to announce that, oh, he blew out his knee. And then Tito in the ring over Luis Spicoli, El Paso de Muerte, two minutes and six seconds. We move along to Damien Demento over Casey Cleric. And he makes the jobber bite his own fingers in this match. That was unique. Uh, even the announcers, they, even Macho Man was like, oh, that's different. Never seen that before. So Demento actually puts Cleric's uh, fingers in his own mouth and then squeezes his chin and his head. And I don't know. It was it was just unique. And da- it was the only thing I ever saw Damien Demento do where I was like, oh, OK. Uh, speaking of which, this match goes two minutes, 38 seconds, neck breaker and the loaded knee drop. I wrote, he's awful. Just awful. Go away, please. Yep. Yeah, he's terrible. Most I'd rather, li- I'd rather listen. Him. I, I think uh, about three months. Oh, shit. I don't know that he's on TV all three of those months. I don't remember him being on TV for that long, but I know he's doing the house shows for probably another three months. Sorry, guys. Well, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't pay for house shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what it's time for? It's time for our very first vignette of the Smoking Guns. I'm Bart, and this here's Billy. And they're up on a couple of horses in the rain. They're in the rain somewhere. They probably film these, what, out there in Las Vegas, maybe outside of Las Vegas? And <laughs> you see the cacti probably. and everything. Yeah, it could have been. They're out in the desert somewhere, the Wild West. Well, fuck. They're here and they're on horses, Steve. Yeah! Smoking guns headed to the WWF. Things will never be the same again. Back to the ring. It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Tim Patterson. And Hacksaw now rocking a singlet. You pointed out how good of shape he looked in there at the first set of tapings. Well, it's funny the difference a a month makes because he's got a big <laughs> gut here. And you can yep. see it sticking out through the singlet. Uh, the blue singlet with the uh, the red, white, and blue knee pads and the red, white, and blue back to the singlet. 
Uh, he stops the cover at one point after the old glory knee drop, that disgusting, shitty finisher he had in WCW. He gets up, he gets to the camera, and he calls out Yokozuna before the three-point stance clothesline, picks up the win, three minutes. And he comments about Hacksaw and his amazing gut. I didn't mind the gear. It was a different look, but I, but my comment was it hides the gut. So yeah, uh, what a what not a very well because makes. I saw it. Oh yeah, you can still see it, but <laughs> what a difference a, a taping makes, huh? <laughs> yeah, four weeks, man, and Hexo <laughs> was eating eating well. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, he had thirds and fourths at that WrestleMania brunch, I think. <laughs> Maybe fifths, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From inside the pages of the WWF magazine, here's Update. It's Update with Gorilla Monsoon as he discusses what's going on with that forearm and the narcissist Lex Luger. The Jack Tunney has had Luger under investigation, had his forearm under investigation. Let's find out what the findings were from the president, Jack Tunney, via Gorilla Monsoon. Following the events at WrestleMania 9, President Jack Tunney's office launched a complete investigation into the forearm of Lex Luger. The investigation consisted of a complete physical and x-rays of that forearm. Get this, folks. The x-rays showed that Luger does indeed have a steel plate in the forearm area just below the elbow. This plate was surgically implanted following a motorcycle accident. Because it is considered to be part of his anatomy, Jack Tunney's office is now powerless to do anything about that implant, even though it gives an unfair advantage to Lex Luger. Here's what Luger had to say. Is it fair that I look the way I do and all of you look the way you do? And is it fair that this world-famous elbow had a steel plate implanted into it after a motorcycle exit and Jack Tunney can't do anything about it? And is it fair that I knocked Brett the Hitman Hart out at the WrestleMania brunch and he proceeded to lose his title? <laughs> well, maybe not, but you know, life just isn't fair. Unless, of course, you're the narcissist, Lex Luger. Obviously, Lex Luger very happy about the situation, but guys like Brett the Hitman Hart, folks, you can bet your bottom dollar, are not. And he'll have a whole lot to say about this in the very near future. Nobody likes to be knocked out, especially by the likes of Lex Luger. For update, this has been Gorilla Monsoon. So here we go. We find out finally that Lex Luger was in a motorcycle accident. He has a steel plate inserted into his forearm with the six screws. They even put put over in future matches. You can you can see the screws sticking out into the skin there. So uh, now now all of a sudden everybody sees it. They can see screws and it's a steel plate in that forearm. It's been knocking people out left and right here in the WWF since uh, the narcissist got into the ring a couple months ago. And uh, there's nothing they can do about it. I like that initially here as it's part of his anatomy. Yeah, I like that too. What are they going to do? Make him take it off or take it out? I mean, obviously that's not an option. So, Well, Doink um, took his arm off a few weeks ago. Well, that's true. Uh, in, the, in the mind of Vince McMahon. Took his arm right out of his socket. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, I like it, though. And the promo was pretty good, too. I thought it was pretty funny. And I, going into challenge, I thought he was going to do the same thing, but it gets better. I don't know if you read his book, but, man, the description of that motorcycle accident is uh, he's very, very lucky to be alive. That's <laughs> the way it sounded. I've never read all of Luger's book, and I definitely didn't read that part. But I, I did read the observers that described the, the motorcycle accident. So I'm assuming they're fairly accurate. 
uh, yeah, he's lucky to be alive. Like he was going around a turn, I think at 40 or 50 and uh, hit a car and he went flipping over the bike and skid like across, the, like through the street, like a hundred yards or something. So it was uh, pretty brutal, pretty nasty. And just from the description. So it's definitely legit, which is cool. I did, that's something else too, that they didn't really do. They usually gimmick it and come up with something, but they, they went with the truth here and that's pretty cool. Yeah, these x-rays don't look like real x-rays. It looks like somebody drew a steel, no, steel plate in there. Yeah, but that That's fine, but I mean like the actual reason for why right. he has the plate, that's pretty cool that they acknowledged the motorcycle accident. Yeah, it didn't work for me. Not not this, here, the update, but it didn't work for me when he debuted and he was knocking people out with a, a forearm. I was like, really? A lousy forearm? It's knocking? This is a finisher? And it took them this many months to explain it. I see where they were wanting to go with it eventually. I just wish they could have started with that so that I understood it, and he had more heel heat on him when, when he initially debuted in the ring. I think it would have helped him more at the beginning if people were understanding this rather than this slow build, which I'm, I'm, I get slow builds, but I don't know that it was yeah. the best decision here. Yeah, I don't think it was. I think you mentioned it earlier in this episode where like, nobody noticed it until he started knocking out people like Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. So right. I, I just wish more people, like, a month ago or maybe two months before mania kind of just mentioned it, you know, that, that forearm seems to be pretty deadly. I wonder what's going on with that. Just, just subtle. I'm surprised Cena never did. Right. Uh, to, be, to be honest with you, but um, that would have been cool. And then like, it's like, okay, now you need to pay attention to it. Like what the heck's wrong with that forearm? And then once it hits like Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart, like we've already thought about it and now it's serious. Cause you're taking out top guys. Yeah, with this forearm. So what the heck is going on? This is this feels cold a little bit. Takes him knocking out Brett and perfect for them to even look into it. Well, he's busted now, but Jack Tunney says we can't do anything about it. It's part of the anatomy. We'll see if that changes in the weeks to come. We go back to the ring. It's Steve Vega waiting his awaiting his opponent, the Native American Tatanka. The Tatanka music plays once, but there's no Tatanka. They restart the music. The Tatanka music plays twice. Still no Tatanka. And then all of a sudden, up on the video walls, we see backstage Tatanka laid out face down in the hallway. He's been beaten and battered by Bam Bam Bigelow, or so it would appear Bam Bam standing over top of Tatanka, and he just happens to have a pair of scissors, and he cuts some of the red hair off of the top of the Native American. He has scalped Tatanka, so a little revenge from earlier today on Superstars during that brawl between Tatanka and uh, Bammer out there during that Sherry promo. And now Bigelow comes for some serious revenge. Yeah, this is cool, too. I like how they didn't go into the backstage area. They just kept it on the video wall because it was getting, I guess it was violent or whatever. So they didn't feel the need to go into the, the video or the back. So that was pretty cool and unique. I'm glad they didn't wait a week to do this. And they just went like, you know, 30 minutes later into the show or whatever it was yeah. to get this in. So it's just a continuation. It's like, okay. Tatanka got his, Bam Bam got his, now I want to see the match, let's get it. So, um, good work here by whoever came up with this idea. Yeah, you know, in the world of the WWF, we never really got to see the repercussions on the same episode as the initial part of, of the angle. And this might be the first time I can think of where we get two parts to the angle in the same night. It's almost like they're trying to fast track to get us where we need to go with these two for, for upcoming needs or, or whatever, maybe on the house shows or, or whatever the case may be. But back to the ring, it's Mr. Hughes taking on Raven Clark. Vince calls him Curtis Hughes throughout the entire match, giving away his real name. I mean, he is Mr. Hughes, so it's okay to call him Curtis. Harvey Whippleman cuts an insert promo. He says he could do the most for Mr. Hughes. The story here is 
all of the managers in the WWF, which is like what two or three left, three. <laughs> yeah. are, Jimmy are, Hart wants him. Are, oh my god, <laughs> you make a great bodyguard, dude. Yeah. So the story here is all the managers in the WWF want a crack at Mister Hughes as their next charge, and I wrote, "Holy balls! What a sidewalk slam here! He murders Raven Clark. Mister Hughes picks up the win. Two minutes." In 40 seconds as we end Superstars, next week begins the King of the Ring qualifying matches. Right here on Superstars, it's going to be Mr. Perfect taking on Doink the Clown. (laughs) Hey, Mr. Perfect, next week it's me and you in a big qualifying match for the King of the Ring. (laughs) And as you well know, I am on a roll. (laughs) One thing I want to know, do you have perfect vision? Or will you have double vision? (laughs) Doink, don't concern yourself with my vision, because next week right here, the winner of this match qualifies for the King of the Ring tournament. The only thing you have to be concerned about, Doink, is how you're going to get around Mr. Perfect. Don't miss it one-on-one. Mr. Perfect versus Doink right here on WWF Superstars. So there you have it. We know our very first King of the Ring qualifying match. Very cool times to be part of the WWF universe, as I guess they would call it nowadays, as we're seeing something completely different. I've never, I didn't know what a qualifying match was back in 1993. So it was a really cool deal where you had to qualify in order to get to the King of the Ring when the pay-per-view was actually about the King of the Ring tournament and there was actually three rounds on the pay-per-view. When it was actually good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so does everybody have to qualify? Or... Brett. Brett doesn't qualify. Brett is the number one seed. Okay. That, that makes sense. So, all right, I was just curious because I know... He says he's the number one C, but he hasn't had a match. So, well, here, buddy, uh, take take this uh, for Hogan screwing you. That's basically <laughs> it. Yeah, Brett got screwed, and it's like uh, King of the Ring report. Brett Hart's the number one C. Jack Tunney automatically inserting Brett into that number one slot there in the King of the Ring tournament. The other seven spots, though, they need to be filled through these qualifying matches. It's going to be fun to run through those here on this April episode, and then the remainder of those in the May episode upcoming in a couple weeks as well here on The Grenade. We go on with WWF Mania April 24th. I wrote Todd Pettengill and nothing. No exclusives, no nothing. So it's time to move on to Wrestling Challenge April 25th. Tape April 6th as well. Phoenix, Arizona. America West Arena. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. It's still weird hearing Jim Ross open with that Wrestling Challenge music. I'm so used to Gorilla after all these years. And then it's Jim Ross. Hey, guys, what's going on, Jim Ross? It's, uh, it throws me off a little bit, even all these years later. <laughs> Good old JR, huh? Yeah, by God. We go to the ring. It's, G- it's Jim Ross. It's Yokozuna <laughs> with Mr. Fuji in his corner taking on Rudy Boy Gonzalez. He nails the corner butt splash and the bonsai drop. Picks up the win two minutes oh, and 15 geez. seconds. <laughs> what, another murder Did bonsai here? No, well, I think it was, but after he dropped the leg, Hina says, no burritos for Rudy tonight. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. You know, I, you know, we've been prepping these new Monday Warfare shows, too, and Heenan's had some good lines lately. I've had to write a few down there as well. It's uh, Bobby Heenan. You know, for some reason, I didn't remember 93 like it is as far as Bobby Heenan goes. I felt like he kind of 
checked out a little bit. I'm not even saying that to be mean. It just felt like he was just doing his job. But now that I'm actually, I'm loved that I'm actually having to go back and listen to Bobby because he's at the heights still. He's peaking still here. A lot of good shit coming out of Bobby. And Raw, now think, that he's now that he's headed to Raw, it's going to be even better. Yeah, I don't think Bobby checked out to like 98, 99 WCW. Well, I, I checked uh, out too. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say I blame him. Like, man, he's so good. Uh, that's stupid. That's a stupid comment. I mean, obviously, it would never fly today, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I Gene Okerlund, when he passed, like, they did all this shit for him and uh, and everything. And I'm like, Bobby Heenan is one of the greatest talents, greatest everything that this business has ever produced. And he gets like a 30 second video and then a, a like a 10 minute, 15 minute documentary or something stupid on the on the Peacock Network. And and I'm like, eh, this should be the other way around, because <laughs> for all th- everything Gene did, like Heenan was better, uh, absolutely. Well, Heenan and, was um, a, so well rounded. He was the jack of all trades. Trades. You, you say he's one of the best. He may be the best overall when you put everything together. He was capable of doing everything. Yeah, I can't remember who said it, but if some, I think somebody said if they were starting a company with any any anything any person. That's ever been a part of with the business. They said, I'm taking Bobby Heenan and I'll have the number one company no matter who else is on my roster. They they would take Heenan number one. And um, it's hard not to argue against that. It it really isn't. No, you know, and I don't want to sidetrack here. So I'm going to try to make this story really fast here. But I used to be involved in a lot of fantasy writing, fantasy wrestling from the old school days. So we would write about early 80s wrestling and stuff. And we would do these drafts like you do a mock football draft or whatever. And you would pick your lineup or your roster for your territory. And those are the guys you work with. And it's usually the same guys off the board when you get started. And it's like, who's going to take who? Who's going to take what? And it's always a wrestler. You want your top draw. Everybody's going to take Hogan and, and Savage and, and whoever. And the, the one draft we did, a guy took Bobby the Brain Heenan. And it was like, what the fuck? A manager in the first round of the draft? <laughs> because he got to sit there and write for Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, it was, it was genius yeah i mean he can get heat on anybody he can get any talent over terry taylor the red rooster and the brooklyn brawler have like a a pretty significant feud because heenan was involved with it and plus gorilla getting beat up on primetime is yeah i don't think it ever happened before or after but uh so i mean it's memorable because of that and a lot of that has to do with bobby heenan and uh it had it's everything to do with bobby heenan to be honest but uh it just goes to show his talent and i just he said he Shane McMahon didn't like him. That's why he never got his spot back in the WWF, and that's it's just sad. It, it's sad. He kind of just got shoved aside and forgotten after yeah. WCW closed. Yeah, it really is. We continue on with this episode of Wrestling Challenge, though. It's special report time with Lord Alfred Hayes. He talks about the Luna and Sherry brawl from Monday Night Raw, another Luna promo from the dungeon. Sensational one from this day forth. I will haunt your very breath. I will be your shadow in the darkness. And then soon, very, very soon, I will wipe you from this earth. And I, Luna Vashon, I will be the goddess of the squared circle. Some time ago, 
The father of English prose, William Shakespeare, wrote, Hell hath no fury like the scorn of a woman's tongue. It's certainly held true under these circumstances. But following Sherry's fiery challenge, we are bound to see a lot more of these two red-hot spitfires. For the World Wrestling Federation, this has been Special Report. Not going to lie, I only recorded that for Alfred Hayes. He just <laughs> sounded so awesome there. So I was like, I got to go back and grab that. <laughs> it did sound great. They just spliced the, they just chopped the end of her first yeah, promo. Yeah, I, I caught that. Yeah. Again, I only recorded that for, for Alfred Hayes. <laughs> Alfred's awesome. <laughs> we move on with the show. It's Mr. Perfect taking on Blake Beverly. So you can see Bo is now gone. Blake attack. Well, he's kind of gone. Well, you'll see what I mean here in a minute. Uh, Blake attacks Hennig with his own towel and begins choking with it to start the match. He swings him around a la WrestleMania 7 when the boss man swung Hennig, Hennig around by the hair. Uh, that is uh, reminiscent of that. <laughs> uh, the match is clearly clipped. There's some sloppy uh, botched spots from both guys here. It's, they're not really working well together. I don't know what's going on, but there's actually a clip because you see Hennig coming from one side and it's clipped to a different camera angle, and then he lands a running drop kick from a different side. Bo Beverly then sneaks down to ringside, but he gets backdropped out of the ring as he tries to attack Mr. Perfect. Bo then gets tossed by the referee, and it's bye-bye Bo. I believe this is the last time we're going to see Bo Beverly in the WWF ring. So he causes a distraction long enough, however, for Blake to take control, lands a hangman's neckbreaker, but can't get the win. Blake tries the old backdrop, but you can't backdrop Mr. Perfect. It's the perfect plex. Five minutes, 32 seconds. Hennig picks up the win. And this is where I was talking about Mean Gene takes over the, the event centers here, and, and I'm sure he wasn't happy about that. We can go back to the ring, though. It's the Head Shrinkers with Afa in the corner taking on Sean Dakota and Jim Armstrong. Fatu picks up the win with the splash. Two minutes, 15 seconds on Armstrong. Kamala to the ring with Slick in his corner, taking on Billy Anderson under the hood as the white shadow. It's the backsplash, the splash to the back. And Kamala rolls him over, finally gets him over. Turn him over, damn it. And gets the win. One minute, 41 seconds. During the match, there's an insert promo, Steve, in which Slick asks Kamala, can he get an amen? You know, the members of the World Wrestling Federation congregation have been wondering, can I communicate with the big man from Uganda where the lines of communication are developing? Kamala, can I get a witness, brother? Yes, amen. There you go. Oh, my. <laughs> What else can you say? Oh, wow. Amen. <laughs> uh, Jim Harris utters his uh, first word in the Kamala character ever. There we go. God bless Kamala. Love him. So we get Jim Ross on commentary now after the Kamala match. He's talking with Bobby Heenan at the announce desk. They, uh, Jim Ross announces that the Lex Luger investigation that was ongoing, well, it's been solved. There is a solid steel plate surgically implanted into Lex Luger's forearm. After a motorcycle accident, there's nothing Jack Tunney can do about it. Bobby Heenan says there's nothing the superstars of the WWF can do about it either. It's tough and live with it, says the brain. As we go to Raymond Rougeau up on the stage, he's going to talk with the narcissist Lex Luger. Jim Ross is the Luger's entering the uh, uh, approaching the stage. Jim Ross says he thinks Luger should have to wear padding on that forearm. Jim Ross, you're giving away too much too soon here, buddy. Lex makes Raymond hold his cape. While he admires himself in the standing mirror, Ray says that Luger has knocked out more people than Frazier, Ali, Foreman, and Tyson combined. Let's not get crazy here. It's not fair, says Rougeau. Unfair advantage over everyone else. And then 
Lex replies, You have an unfair advantage over everybody else here in the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> Did you say unfair? <laughs> unfair? Is it fair that each and every day of my life I have to look out at people like this? The genetically short change I'm talking you know who I'm talking about you fat disgusting people with rolls and globs of fat hanging from your waist you know what I'm talking about all oh, you fat disgusting cellulite ridden women with cottage cheese hanging off the back of your legs try to look like me but you never will and is it fair and no wait a second and speaking of being disgusted Bret Hart you totally disgust me because I was disgusted with you when at the Wrestlemania brunch I knocked you unconscious and you laid at my feet in a curled up fetal position and I said to myself is this the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion laying here unconscious and is it fair Bret Hart that because of me you are no longer the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion and you know as disgusting as it is for all of you to look in the mirror every day I relish it and Brett the Hitman Hart I know that you're disgusted when you look in the mirror because you know that your days are numbered because when you step into the ring with the narcissist Lex Luger your career will be terminated give me that Probably, to me, the best promo from Lex Luger here, uh, at least since the old 1989... Lex, can I have your autograph? No, you can't. Yeah, that promo after his heel turn in 89 on Steamboat. I know you were talking about you were really impressed with the Luger promo. I'm assuming this may have been it? Yeah, this is it, definitely. Um... (laughs) You fat, disgusting people with rolls and globs of fat hanging from your waist. Unbelievable. Good shit by luger here it feels real like yeah it doesn't, Go figure. it doesn't feel it doesn't feel real from like the narcissist gimmick no but man this this would fit right in in 1989 lex luger which is peak lex luger uh to to me and probably you too so um th- i i immediately thought of no you can't when i heard this promo because it felt <laughs> just the, like it very it's similar the same stuff and, yeah like, yeah and I said, like, man, this would have fit right in in 89. So um, Lex turning back the clock here one last time <laughs> before uh, he hops aboard the Lex Express. But uh, dare I yeah, say I this it. is like Lex's last good promo of his entire career, possibly? It's definitely possible. I mean, you got the clown <laughs> show one where he's trying to get this shirt off. But uh, as far as actual 
legit, serious, good promo. It's possible. I mean, we're we're doing the Monday Warfare show, so we may run into one there, but I, I doubt it. I we'll see. Show goes on. It's Typhoon taking on Barry Horowitz. He nails two avalanches and a big splash. Dude picks up the win. Two minutes and fourteen seconds during the match. Bobby Heenan on commentary says, "You know what I like about Typhoon? When you order him a pizza, you don't have to cut it." And then there's like a five second pause, and then Jim Ross laughs because it takes him a second to get the joke. And it took me five seconds to get the joke, but I loved it. When you order him a pizza, you don't have to cut it because he's fat. This is the guy Lex Luger was just talking about. <laughs> Should have fed him to Luger. <laughs> that would have been good. You fat, <laughs> disgusting glob of fat. Could you imagine, like, they sent somebody out there, like a typhoon or something, to just stand there and let and just let him berate him? That'd be tremendous. So you might be asking after all these months, why is Typhoon getting a squash match here on TV? Well, they actually recorded this for a very different reason. What's not shown after this win is that Typhoon is attacked in the middle of the ring by the Mad Monk, who would go on to be Friar Ferguson. You've seen on Raw the last couple weeks. This is where the Mad Monk makes his debut a heel. Can you imagine Bastion Booger versus Typhoon in a feud? Oh, my fucking Jesus. Oh, my God. Whose idea was this? (laughs) Well, it never made air, thankfully. (sighs) They cut to commercial before the attack happened, so the attack never actually happened. So, yeah, but the Mad Monk actually attacked Typhoon here with a wooden staff when this is originally recorded for this episode of Wrestling Challenge. It's the smoking gun vignettes, uh, vignette number one, yet again on those horses. And then back to the ring to close the show, Razor Ramon over Alan Reed with the Razor's Edge, two minutes, 31 seconds. During this match, Razor's still wobbly on that knee. He tries to kick at Alan Reed, and he kind of, one of his knees, he almost loses balance trying to kick at the jobber. So get out of the fucking ring. Damn, Scott Hall. Right, exactly. And we close out the show. We learn yet there's another King of the Ring qualifying match next week, this time on Challenge. It's Bob Backlund taking on the Narcissist. Wow, what a contrast of style there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Lex Luger and I are in a match to qualify for the King of the Ring tournament. And Lex Luger, I know you very well. You've worked hard, hard all your life. You're very strong, you're very determined, and you like yourself tremendously. We're going to get into that ring and see who comes out victorious. Mr. Backlund, I have to agree with you. I am incredible, but tell me something I don't already know. But being a likable sort of fellow that you are, I'm going to make it as quick and painless as possible for you next week. Can you imagine them making me qualify? That's pathetic. Alrighty, so Bob Backlund and Lex Luger, can't wait to see how that one unfolds next week on Challenge as we move on to All-American Wrestling, April 25th. It's the 500th episode of All-American Wrestling. Wow, that's that's a lot of episodes of All-American, 500. And Gorilla Monsoon, wow. Gorilla Monsoon and The Wizard still on commentary here, I think second or third week in a row, third week in a row now for The Wizard. The big exclusive for their 500th episode, Steve, Kamala fights Papa Shango, wow, to a double <laughs> countout. In three minutes and 32 seconds, when Kamala chases Papa Shango backstage. What a sight to see. I wish I could unsee that sight I saw. That's tremendous. <laughs> what, a way, what a way to celebrate the 500th episode of All-American, I must say. Oh, man. <laughs> but we must go on with the show. Far cry it's... from what All-American was, right? All-American, the... you could see some 
Florida and <laughs> NWA and everything. Oh yeah, else back in the, the, the beginning, class. the beginning days, yeah. Vinnie Mac hosted, and mm-hmm. here we are, five hundred show, Papa Shango, and the Wizard, Kamala. yeah, and the Wizard on commentary. It's amazing wow. <laughs> where how far we've come. We move on to Monday Night Raw, April twenty sixth. We're live in the Manhattan Center. You can actually hear the countdown with the Fink and the. <laughs> during the Raw opening. It's Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and not Rob Bartlett. It's Bobby the Brain Heenan. Heenan will replace Rob Bartlett moving forward. Macho says, where's Rob Bartlett? We're wondering where Rob Bartlett is. Aha! Uh-huh. Vince exclaims that Bartlett quit because Heenan was joining the cast. So, bye, Rob. That's that's your write-off that uh, Bobby Heenan was joining, so Rob Bartlett quit. Bobby Heenan says, Bartlett is off with Jimmy Hoffa now, meaning we have no idea where Rob Bartlett went to, but he's gone. And Bobby oh Heenan God, takes his place. <laughs> so Savage said that Bobby couldn't wear Rob's jock, jock strap, and Vince right. asked if Rob wore jock strap. Mm-hmm. And Savage says, yeah, on the outside. And then Heenan says, well, he has to to keep his ears warm. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Aldo Montoya, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, that's probably where the idea came from. Rob Bartlett's jock strap, Aldo Montoya. There you go. Oh, my God. We head to the ring. It's Mr. Perfect taking on your favorite man, Damian Demento. Now that Rob Bartlett's gone, this is probably your new favorite, huh? Damian Demento. We got rid of one of them. Now we got to get rid of the other. Demento doesn't realize you have to take bumps as a wrestler, Steve. Mr. Perfect on the offense early on, and Demento doesn't want to bump. And I've said this before. If you go watch these matches, I don't mean he doesn't want to bump because he's one of those guys with an ego that thinks they're not supposed to be knocked off their feet. He doesn't want to bump. He takes the bumps, but he doesn't want to land on his back. But I just don't understand why he chose his profession if he doesn't want to take bumps. Hennig controls the match until Demento sends Perfect out of the ring and into a cameraman. But Perfect makes the comeback. More awful bumping by Damian Demento makes the whole match terrible. Demento tries for a splash. Hennig puts his knees up, but that's okay because he doesn't even try to uh, splash Hennig anywhere near his stomach area. He actually splashes Hennig on his feet. It was fucking awful. Mr. Perfect gets up. He's had enough of this shit. Perfect Plex ends this <laughs> after five minutes. <laughs> yeah, wrong profession. He just wanted to go. He wanted a job where he could wear some stupid outfit and then look up into the sky as if somebody's talking to him and get paid for it. You know, this worked uh, on the indies. He was bigger than the average guy. He, all he had to do was beat on them and, and beat them. But here in the WWF, everybody's nearly the equal size to Damian Demento, and he doesn't know really what to do here. And he made even Mr. Perfect look bad here. And that's really hard to do. Uh, you know what else makes someone look bad? This next segment here, Steve. And I don't care if you go to defend it after the fact. I'm not fucking defending this shit whatsoever. We go to a PSA about not doing drugs. I wrote, sigh, because the minute they threw to this, I remembered it. And I sighed just like I did then. I'll, I'll never forget this. There's an essay winner by the name of Jasmine McNeil. She wrote an essay about (laughs) saying no to drugs. And uh, she had a little cameo here from a WWF superstar. As she says, there's no hope with dope. You may ask, well, which superstar agrees with Miss Jasmine McNeil? Well, I'll let you listen to the uh, soundbite and you tell me who it is. There's no hope with dope. Yes, they implant the Undertaker, this dead guy character who is a superhuman being and it doesn't hang out with normal humans and things like that. I'll never forget the first time I saw this PSA 
of the undertaker randomly appearing behind this little girl telling you not to do drugs. Now I'm going to let you defend it, Steve, because it was a, it was a, it was a PSA uh, and he was just doing the right thing, but I'll never forget when this happened. I don't remember who I was with. Somebody was over my house. This airs and we just look at each other like, what the fuck? I, I I'm not going to defend this. <laughs> it's just a, it's a continuation of good publicity. I'm not shitting on the girl or the, the poem or whatever. I mean, it was. No, it was it wasn't bad at all. No, I just I just um, don't understand the placement of the Undertaker. Well, other other, the, other than it was about death and and doing drugs, but even still, yeah, she was she was kind of talking as if she died from a drug overdose. Yeah, and that's what the whole poem is about. So mm-hmm. it's like no hope with dope, and you're going to end up dead. And then this is your future, and it's the Undertaker. Like it makes sense in that regard. Cause that's what the whole poem is about is death and dying from drugs. So I get it. Like it, it wouldn't work if you sent in like a flashy Bret Hart wearing a pink single. <laughs> Don't do sandwich. drugs. There's no hope with dope. No hope or, with or dope or high. <laughs> stay away from hyenas. <laughs> stay away from Shawn Michaels. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't do jobs in Canada. Oh my God. Or in front of the military, the Canadian military. <laughs> okay. But, uh, Oh my god! Um, Hogan's uh, like, I don't do jobs. Period, brother. Japan, Australia, uh, <laughs> countries that don't even exist. I'll make them up, dude. I won't do jobs anywhere. I don't know how we got off the PSA, but anyway, sorry about that. I have no clue either. But um, uh, yeah, that's what it is. We can just move on. <laughs> There's no hope with dope. So we go from The Undertaker warning us about the uh, deadliness of drugs to the Rosati sisters, the Raw girls in the ring here. Bobby Heenan says, don't they usually hook their trunks together with their tails? And uh, I had to think about for a second, what the hell is he? Oh, elephants. Of course, the old circus videos of the elephants walking down the the road or whatever with with their trunks tied to the tail of the elephant in front of them. So he's referring (laughs) to the Rosatis as elephants here. That's only Bobby Heenan can do, and only you can do back in 1993. And there's a fan at ringside we cut to, front row, by the name of Paul Sosnowski. He will be proposing to his girlfriend here later in the show, girlfriend by the name of Louise. I wrote, oh boy. And back to the ring, Lex Luger, the narcissist, taking on Crush. I said a good visual when you look at them up against each other, but not a good visual when the actual match starts. And I wasn't expecting much either, so I got what I was expecting. I wrote, interesting match for sure. The Luger x-rays are shown before the match. Bobby says there's new meaning to the word, put the screws to you. I love it. Lex looks strong here, but Crush overpowers early on in the lockups and a test of strength. Luger even gets press slammed. Wow, I've never seen that before. And runs up the aisle. Luger shouts, what was that? Even Luger can't believe he was lifted that high off the ground. Crush controls the match into a commercial break. And then when we come back, it's a belly to belly for a two count. Crush misses a charge into the corner, and Luger takes over. Knee from behind sends Crush out to the floor. Lex with some very boring offense here. And a frickin' bear hug on Crush just doesn't look right. Yes, Luger is jacked to the gills, but Crush is like six foot eight or something. I don't even know. Uh, Crush makes the comeback, though. It's Cranium Crunch, and he picks Luger up and drops him not once, but twice. But what's that, Steve? What's that up in the balcony? It's Doink. And so Crush has to release the hold. He sees Doink, so he has to just let go of his finisher. I hate when guys do this shit. And wait a minute. On the other side, in the other side of the balcony, 
There's a second doink. And it's crazy shit, Steve. We got two doinks up in the balconies. Crush doesn't know what to do. And meanwhile, the cameraman completely misses Lex Luger, who nails Crush from behind with the forearm, not conveniently knocks him out of the ring, knocks him out, and Crush takes the countout loss. Luger picks up the win in 13 minutes, and the camera, I should say Kevin Dunn, the director, misses the forearm. So the announcers have to tell us what happened as Crush is just taking a bump to the floor when we cut back. Yeah, they, they showed the second doink over on one of the balconies and totally missed the finish. So, um, yeah, this was, there wasn't a lot to this one. Uh, not a very good match at all. 13 minutes. Wow, that's a long time for those two. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Uh, but uh, I don't know why they're going back to doink with Crush. Like, I, feel, I, I know it wasn't like definitive at Mania, but, man, come on. It's time to move on, I feel like. It's ran its course. So uh, I know they're trying to continue to sell the house shows. House but, shows, yeah. Which I, I attended that, so it's unfortunate. I, yeah, um, well, we got the double doink though, so that was cool. Oh, okay, well, I guess that makes up for it, but um, nothing special here. No, we got Mister Hughes still without a manager, taking on ECW's Jason Knight. The sidewalk slam ends this two minutes and eight seconds. During this match, Bobby Heenan does what Rob Bartlett did several weeks ago. He's got a little monitor, a little TV on top of his uh, monitor. And he's flipping channels, and he actually stops it on TNT of all channels, Steve. A little foreshadowing there. How did, how did Bobby know? He stops it on TNT to prove that there's nothing on as uh, movies coming on TNT. Of course, that'll change in a couple of years. But I just thought it was funny. Out of all the channels Bobby Heenan was flipping through, he left it on TNT. Yeah, that one. And then also Mr. Hughes beating up his future manager. That's right. Good call. Good call. <laughs> we get that Smoking Guns vignette number one one last time. Yeah! And Vince McMahon in the ring to interview Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels. He says sooner or later, Shawn will have to beat Mr. Perfect. But next week, Shawn defends the, ta- the Intercontinental title against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Shawn <laughs> says there's a couple of guys in the crowd that attended the March in Washington. He's talking about the Gay Pride March in Washington that had recently happened, which drums up a very loud Shawn is gay chant. That just rings on. It it lasted longer than I ever would have imagined. And it just it remained yeah. very, very loud. They tried to ignore it at first. Actually, you, you took a screen cap and said, listen, you said, look at Vince's face during this chant. And <laughs> Vince just doesn't know what to do. But Vince finally tells Sean, listen to the people. I wrote, wow, okay. <laughs> it's uh, Vince acknowledging the chant of Sean is gay. Meanwhile... Heenan selling it great on the commentary. Listen to him. They're shouting, Sean is great. Sean is great. So Bobby Heenan getting in on the fun there. Uh, They discussed the video where Sean attacks Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 9. Sean put Perfect in the garbage can, he says. He's like the trash can Muppet on Sesame Street, and he refers to him as Grover. Now, Sean, I haven't watched Sesame Street in more than 30 years, but I can tell you that Oscar the Grouch was the one that lived in the trash can. The problem was there were localized promos where Sean continued to refer to the trash can monster as Grover, and that just kind of upset me a little bit, Steve. Come on, get your fucking Sesame Street characters right, Sean. Get real. He has better things to worry about. Somebody could have corrected him, right? I mean, how many times are you going to call him Grover? I mean, he knew Grover. He knew the name. Fuck's sakes. <laughs> I never watched Sesame Street. I couldn't oh, my God. How do you not? How did you not watch Sesame Street in the 80s? Everybody, I thought everybody did. That's how I learned to Bro, count like, and spell and shit. I was like three in the 80s. Like uh, I was born in 86. I'll get my age away. I don't give a shit. I was born in 86. I don't remember what I was doing 
when I was three or four years old. <laughs> Sadly, my the my earliest memory is getting ran over by a car, but also um, <laughs> uh, WrestleMania Seven. I was like my first. That's like my earliest memory. And I was wow. not five years old yet. So, <laughs> what a hodgepodge of memories there. <laughs> well, well, uh, it's quite the event there getting hit by a car. They cut my so, Ninja Turtle shirt, man, and uh, I was so pissed about that. Like, it didn't even hurt getting hit by a car. Like, I, I was coming down an alley on my bike, and I thought my dad came home, so I was just hurrying up, and this lady was going down the street and nailed me, and I landed on the curb, and uh, they took me in the ambulance. and uh, To a medical facility, right? Yeah, yeah, they took me to a medical facility, and uh, <laughs> they cut my Leonardo shirt. I had the Goodyear logo on my leg where they ran me over, and uh, I got a sprained ankle. So, uh, yeah, it was a good time. The the wow. worst part, two weeks later, I'm on my bike on the back of my brother's bike. Same my car? foot got too close. To, no, no, no. <laughs> so it, my foot got stuck. My foot got too close to the spokes on the tire, and my foot got stuck. The same one that was the bad ankle. And uh, he turned, and so your foot's in the spokes, and you turn the wheel. Yes. Oh man, I I couldn't I couldn't walk, man. My leg turned blue and purple, and I couldn't walk. I was laying down for like three weeks because of that. It was worse well, than getting hit by a car. Well, Mister Perfect was probably about as upset as you were at this point because he was called Grover the Grouch <laughs> instead of Oscar the Grouch. So Mister Perfect comes ringside to correct Sean and tell him, in fact, it is Oscar. No, he doesn't really do that. But the officials have to hold Hennig back as he's coming out to confront Sean Michaels, who's talking trash on him about hitting him with the trash can, and then Sean sneaks in a nasty kick to Hennig's face and runs off as Perfect goes chasing after him. So it was kind of a long promo. I feel like the Sean is gay chant prolonged the promo because they kind of had to stop yeah. there for a second. But the point there's two points here. Next week, Sean has Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and they're also continuing the feud with Mr. Perfect at the same time. Yeah, good job. I, I, I sent some like legit animosity between these two, Hennig probably feels like he should be in Sean's spot. So some of this feels a little authentic. Plus, when you get potato like Perfect did at Mania with that trash can, he's probably not too happy. So <laughs> Waiting for a revenge. Yeah, he's waiting to get it back. And it ain't going to be pulling one tassel off every night. No. <laughs> we go on with the, the show. We, the dude. Yes. <laughs> we get a feud recap of the recent Tatanka Bam Bam Bigelow angles back to the ring. Typhoon. Over Von Kroos, the future Big Vito with the big splash. Toot! Typhoon picks up the win. Two minutes, 39 seconds. During the match, Jim Duggan calls in to talk Shawn Michaels. And Duggan calls this his first ever title shot in the WWF. That may be correct. At least the Intercontinental title. That's crazy to think, considering how long he's been with the company. And uh, he I don't says, think he ever did have a title shot. I mean, I know he worked Slaughter, but I think that was before Slaughter won the belt. So you could be right. Wow. <laughs> that's that is surprising that's yeah one two title shots essentially well he was the king though didn't count the king crown i guess perfect yeah, time true. to perfect time to do that too going into the king of the ring but no uh, they don't sell it as such duggan tells sean he better be prepared next week tough guy ho and then bobby heenan over to paul sosnowski and his girlfriend louise in the crowd and bobby heenan tells the young man to get down on his knee to pro uh, propose she doesn't see it coming. He does propose. She says yes, and the rest is history. Bobby trying to talk them into getting married on Raw. Paul Sosnowski says, no way. 
And uh, here's some interesting tidbits on Mr. Sosnowski, Steve. This guy apparently went on to be known on the internet as the Green Lantern fan. He attended many, many, many shows and upset many, many, many wrestlers with his less-than-kind words. And, uh, yeah, he has, a, he has a lot of hatred on the internet. A lot of people do not like Paul Sosnowski on the internet. He's since made a babyface turn, and he's apologized for his uh, discretions in his youth, his younger years, at the uh, various indie events and, and comments he's made online. He's no longer a Green Lantern fan online, and, and the reason he picked up that name was because he, he typically wore a Green Lantern shirt to most of the wrestling events that he attended. Now you can typically find him under the name Paul Sosnowski on most of the uh, wrestling boards like uh, Pro Wrestling Only. So he's still out there. Anybody wants to talk to him? And in case you're wondering, he never married Louise. <laughs> it was all an angle? No, no, I don't think it was an angle. It just, it never happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, good for him. Or her. Sounds I like a know. douche. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> Oh, man. Well, he's admitting to admitted to being one, at least in the past, as we move on to WWE Superstars May Good 1st. For Good for him. Yes. <laughs> as we move on to WWF Superstars May 1st, taped back April 6th in Tucson, Arizona, Raymond Rougeau kicks things off with an interview on the stage with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Taker says he has met the Giant Gonzalez in his element, and now the Giant will have to meet Taker in his. So the Giant Gonzalez's element is apparently a Roman Coliseum. Uh, Taker says his element is the dark side. Rest in peace. And there's no hope with dope and all that good shit. There's no hope with dope. So I certainly hope Giant Gonzalez hasn't been smoking any crack before their rematch. Yeah. The show continues on. The Head Shrinkers take on Scott Bezo and Bob Young. Commentary sells the Nasty Boys Head Shrinkers feud. Of course, we know the Nasties are on their way out of the promotion, however. Fatu with the splash on Bezo, two minutes, 45 seconds. Lawler on commentary regarding the King of the Ring all throughout this match and a few others as Vince and Savage continue to push him. Why don't you go qualify? Why don't you participate in a qualifying match and prove that you're the real king? Lawler says you can have your tournament, but he's the real king. That's the way he looks at it here on Superstars. It's Mean Gene Okerlund interviews Hulk Hogan, the Mega Maniacs, in fact, on the set of Thunder in Paradise. They're talking about upcoming Mega Maniac Money Incorporated matches on the house show, Steve. With Sergeant Slaughter as the referee, they sell it because of the way Danny Davis came in and cheated, in their eyes, at WrestleMania. They can trust Sergeant Slaughter. To conclude, <laughs> to conclude the interview, Hulk Hogan tells Beefcake to give Ted DiBiase an IRS haircuts like Baldo Ronaldo, dude. Oh, Hulkster. So two years later, we can finally trust Sergeant Slaughter. That's right. Coat. Yeah, he has no problem with Hulk Hogan. Now. Or Hulk Hogan has no problem with, with Sarge now, apparently. Oh, boy. Anywho, isn't the same guy that fireballed him? And Never mind, whatever. Anyways, we go on. It's Smoking Guns vignette number two. Yeah! And this week, Steve, they've got guns. And Alec Baldwin would not approve. Billy and Bart <laughs> shoot down some cans. They shoot down some bottles. They shoot down pieces of cacti. Do the smoking guns here. They're, they got some great aim. And back to the ring. It's Virgil taking on the white shadow. Gets the win with an awful Russian leg sweep. Two minutes and two seconds. The entire commentary for the Virgil match 
spent teasing again why Lawler won't enter the King of the Ring tournament. So they're using these matches wisely to tell a backstory for what's to come with the King Jerry Lawler. And now it's the first ever King of the Ring report. This is where we learn Bret Hart qualifies as seated number one. He will not have to wrestle a qualifying match to participate in the tournament. Also, this is where we learn that Yokozuna will challenge Hulk Hogan for the WWF title, and we get more from Hulk Hogan on the set of Thunder in Paradise. Five-time World Wrestling Federation champion Hulk Hogan is holding court here on the sands of the beautiful Gulf beaches of Clearwater, Florida. He is on the movie set. Gentlemen, that's the business of the hour. However, there is future business that is going to be conducted as part of the King of the Ring, June 13th in Dayton, Ohio. I don't have to tell you I am talking Yokozuna and the World Wrestling Federation. Well, what I can tell you right now, little dude, is you're talking trash, brother. Because the only reason I'm out here on the movie set, the only reason I'm in Hollywood is simply because it was a prior commitment. Is that straight between you and me? You, you've got it. You darn right I got it, brother. I got the World Wrestling Federation title for the fifth time. And I'm going to hang on to it, brother. All I got to say is in Dayton, Ohio, when the strongest power in the world, Hulkamania, runs wild, the ring crew from the WWF better reinforce the ring. Because when I get old fatso up in the air, when I get old Yuko Zuno, Stinko Buno in the launch position, I'm going to press him over my head. I'm going to show him off to all my Hulkamaniacs in the arena. And then when he splits the ring in half, don't panic in L.A., New York, Kansas City, or Tokyo. It's not a worldwide earthquake. It's just Yokozuno going down for the second time. Now to cut to the quick, brother. We're going to take care of that dude in Dayton. But you, Fuji, Yokozuno, or anybody else that messes with me, my little hosters, or the brothers at my side, you're messing with my family. I precious that. I pressure that. I precious that. I regard that more than life. I'm so excited. Hey, I, can't even I talk. can tell it. But the thing is, in Dayton, Ohio, brother, you got a date with disaster. Brutus the Barber's going to be hanging in back. And after I beat Yokozuna for the one, two, three, you're going to get a little haircut. You're going to look just like Mr. Fuji. What you going to do? I precious that promo, Steve. I precious that. Do you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Uh, at, least, oh. at least he acknowledged that he lost his train of thought and said, uh, I'm so excited, but yeah, I'm this so is excited. terrible. Yokozuno, Stinko, Buno. Wow. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan 1993, everybody. man, running wild here. He said he's going to hold on to that belt. Boy, that was his intention all along. He's wrong. <laughs> yeah, but man, did he, <laughs> did he screw Brett in the process? We'll continue on with this episode of Superstars. So King of the Ring qualifier, our very first. As Doink the Clown takes on Mr. Perfect, Doink attacks Hennig on the floor, and his hair is hanging out of the wig. You can easily tell this one is Matt Bourne. He usually has it tucked up under there. Not so much this week. Mr. Perfect takes over once they get inside the ring. Neelif sends Doink out to the floor as we go into commercial break. Back from break, it's Perfect now down on the outside, and Doink off the top rope to the floor. Meanwhile, we get an insert promo from Doink, who appears on the screen. It's an illusion, Steve. And he blinks in and he blinks out. So they're selling it like there's two doinks, but it's an illusion. The funny thing here is both of them are Matt Bourne here. So I found that comical. <laughs> Mr. Perfect makes the comeback in the ring. 
several pinning combinations, inside cradle, backslide, the O'Connor roll, back suplex. He can't get the win. And once again, Doink reverses an Irish whip, and you can't backdrop Mr. Perfect. Perfect plex, but the bell sounds. There's not even a countdown? The bell sounds, that's right. Savage asks 80 times. How long was it? What was the time limit on this match? He gets no answer. Vince does not want to answer this question because they don't have a real time. Unanswered, I guess, I suppose. The match clocked in at about seven minutes, Steve. So seven minute time limit? It's a pretty short time limit there for a match. (laughs) I would like to see more of this, like with maybe a feud. It was pretty good uh, for the most part. Well, we do get Um, more. Obviously, as the the qualifying matches continue on, we're going to see this two, no, three times. Before we finally get a winner, yeah. Okay, well, I like that idea of it. What's weird is, like, they never talk about this. Maybe once in passing, like, on the King of the Ring pay-per-view, but I would have really sold that up to hype up Mr. Perfect that it took him three or four matches with Doink just to get into this thing. What do I know? I think that would have helped Doink a little little more than Hennig there. I mean, mean, it took he was a tough guy. It took Hennig three times to beat him. But we go back to the update, and it's promos. This week, we follow up the brawl and the haircutting incident from last week between Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka. This week, both guys have comments about the incidents. Oh, yeah, Tatanka, the big bad warrior. He likes to sneak up behind people and chop them in the head. That was a real good laugh, huh? Well, I had the last laugh, pal, because <laughs> I not only got you, I not only got you, Indian, but I scalped you. <laughs> bam, bam, Bigelow. There are many things sacred to my people, like the eagle feather. But to me, which is most sacred, is the red hair, the red streak that symbolizes all my Native Americans and all my people. And when you attack me from behind, and I awoke, and I realized how you had desecrated my heritage, you started a fire in me that will burn until I get my revenge! So I'll likely throw these promos up on social media so you get a better look at this, but the visuals here are Bam Bam talking about scalping Tatanka. He holds up some of the red hair that he cut off of Tatanka, and during Tatanka's promo, he bends down and shows off the missing pieces of his red hair. Yeah, really cool. Uh, Very good job by Tatanka to get that in there and show it. Bam Bam's promo was good. Um, Just another way to pass this feud along further. Solid job by both guys so far. Yeah, hot stuff there. I mean, Tatanka, really deliberate in that promo. Uh, probably the most heated I can remember him being. Did a good job there to sell this angle. As we he sounded go. real passionate. On, he uh, did. I, it might be the yeah, best like he's it, ever it, done. Like, you could hear it in his voice. Like, he's almost in tears that he feels like he let his people down and, and things like that. So, excellent job by him to sell the importance of what happened. Show continues on, and now it's the opposite end of the spectrum. We go from a hot feud between Bam Bam and Tatanka to Typhoon in the ring, taking on Larry Ludden. We've seen Ludden quite a bit here in 1993 doing jobs, but he must be on IcoPro now, Steve. That's code word for steroids, because he looks like he's put on quite a bit of weight and muscle mass. So IcoPro, you've got to want it. Typhoon, though, however, picks up the win here with the big splash, toot, two minutes and 30 seconds. Then again, one more match on the show, but it doesn't take place. It's supposed to be the narcissist Lex Luger taking on one Terry Zeller. But after Luger gets done looking at himself in the mirror, Zeller decides he's going to check himself out in Lex's mirror. Big mistake. 
This upsets the narcissist who, wham, nails the running forearm, knocks Terry Zeller out before the match. Basically a no contest here as Luger just knocks out his opponent for looking at himself in Lex's mirror. You just don't do that. Don't mess with his mirror. That's his. Only he's good enough to look in it. That's right. It's all for the narcissist. So we close out this episode of Superstars. We learn next week as part of the King of the Ring qualifying matches. It's Razor Ramon taking on El Matador, Tito Santana. Yo, Santana. Oyame, chico. Next week, right here, Razor and El Matador. The winner, he goes on in the King of the Ring tournament. You such a tough guy, chico. Don't sing it. Bring it. Razor Ramon, next week, you and I... The winner of this match qualifies for the King of the Ring first round tournament coming up. And I guarantee you one thing, Razor Ramon, when the bell sounds, this Mexican is going to be coming at you, and I intend to put it to you. Razor and Tito next week. So it's a Cuban taking on a Mexican here. Next week on WWF Superstars, as we move on to WWF Mania for May 1st, Todd Pettengill back in the studio. Luna Vachon, the in-studio guest, all throughout this week on Mania. Not a bad little fun segment, uh, segment or two with Luna and Todd there on that episode of Mania, if you guys are looking for something unique anyway. I can only imagine when they called Cut, how Luna changed from this, I am Luna, to... Hey, how you doing? <laughs> kind of gimmick there with Todd in the uh, studio. I'm sure it's an uh, interesting dynamic Todd Pettengill's gotten himself into here in wrestling. Yeah, to say the least. And he's um, adapted well as compared to Rob Bartlett. Yeah, see, it can work if you put in the effort. That's Todd right. put in the effort, Rob did, you can see the difference. We move on to May 2nd Wrestling Challenge, taped back on April 6th in Phoenix. And right out to the ring, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan once again in that USA singlet taking on Al Burke. And there's the gut again, Steve, as the three-point stance clothesline gets the win. Two minutes, 47 seconds. Special report with Alfred Hayes this week. He talks all about the new Bam Bam Bigelow Tatanka feud. Then it's Mr. Hughes in the ring against Mark Ming, the sidewalk slam by Hughes. Gets the win one minute and 49 seconds. During the match, we get an insert promo with Slick, even Slick is interested in managing Mr. Hughes. He says Hughes has a lot of self-confidence, but it's heading in the wrong direction. Let's change it to a positive light. So the the former Dr. Style looking to manage Curtis Hughes, as it's once again the Smoking Guns vignette number two. And we're off to the ring for Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels taking on Brian West. It's the super kick, and again, he teases the teardrop suplex, and clearly... Just moving on from that finisher, Pie faces Brian West to the match, makes the cover. Sean picks up the win, 3 minutes and 15 seconds. We get our King of the Ring report once again, and it's back to the ring for our next King of the Ring qualifying match between the narcissist Lex Luger and Bob Backlund. Backlund immediately near falls O'Plenty on Luger, and Luger has to powder up the aisle to catch a break. Lex gets into the ropes as Backlund mounts him, and that's when Luger pops Bob across the side of the head with the elbow. Honestly, I thought that was the forearm. I thought he'd knock Bob out. Bob sells it pretty damn good here. As, uh, basically, he has Luger chest first in the corner, Luger using the ropes for a break. Bob starts to give him the break, and Luger, bam, nails him with that back elbow to the face. Uh, brief offense here by the narcissist, but Backlund, again, makes the comeback, hits the running atomic drop, and a roll-up 
He tries the Backlund Bridge, but Lex's strong legs kicks yeah. Backlund off before he can uh, finish the Backlund Bridge, sends Backlund through the ropes out to the floor. Bob goes down, but only briefly. He's back up. He climbs up onto the apron, tries to get back in the ring, but boom, running forearm by the narcissist sends Backlund flying down the aisle. And Bob Backlund, he gets countered out here. Four minutes, 51 seconds. Lex Luger will advance. So this is what they're doing with Lex now, it looks like. He's beating the big guys on a count-out knockout. Not a bad, not a bad idea. Well, it's, we just saw it with really... Crush on Monday. So, yeah. was it, I mean, this is a little too close together. Plus, really, you can't beat Bob Backlund. Uh, maybe Vince is still protecting Backlund for some he reason. He is. He is. You're right. I mean, I mean he, that's definitely the reason why. I just, I don't understand why. They're still waiting to figure out what they want to do with him. <laughs> uh, well, it's going to be a couple years. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, I remember watching this as it happened and wondering, Lex Luger can't beat Bob Backlund? Really? So he's definitely not winning King of the Ring. Can't beat Bob Backlund. Well, that's a good point. Good way to look at it. <laughs> Unless he just keeps knocking everybody out and wins the whole King of the Ring by count. Wouldn't that have been tremendous? That would have been tremendous, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> well, great great booking there. Instead, we get 15 minutes of him and Tatanka. I don't know uh, what's better. Well, that's a valid point. We go on with this episode. It's Crush over Reno Riggins with the Cranium Crunch. Two minutes, 23 seconds. And there's Doinks everywhere. Steve Doinks in the insert promos. Tag Team Champions Money Incorporated over Jesse Storm and Raven Clark. IRS with the write-off clothesline on Clark. Gets the win. Three minutes and four seconds. We go back to an event center. A yet another on-set at Thunder in Paradise promo from the Mega Maniacs. Different promo. Completely different promo but the same exact lines that Hogan used in the prior Mega Maniacs promo talking about Money Incorporated. So didn't even try to come up with anything different. And Brutus, it looks absolutely ridiculous wearing this mask on the beach. Uh, but once again, this is selling the upcoming matches with Money Incorporated. This particular promo, they're headed to the Meadowlands, May 22nd, with Sergeant Slaughter as the referee. And we close out this episode of Wrestling Challenge. We've got more King of the Ring qualifiers coming up next week. On Wrestling Challenge, it's Papa Shango taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But uh, next week, King of the Ring, Jim Duggan, you must face Papa Shango. You must face the power of voodoo and all the magic that's in store for you. Jim Duggan, you will lose and you must beware. Beware of voodoo and beware of Papa Shango. Hey, folks, no old Hacksaw was just a little tiny boy. I'd have to look under my bed every night before I go to sleep because I was afraid of the dark. But I'm not afraid of the dark no more. And I'm not afraid of no voodoo. Papa Shango, blow your smoke. I got a board for you, okay? All righty, Papa Shango and Hacksaw next week on Challenge. All-American for May 2nd, Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan this week. They're in a fake field of horses, a green screen of horses, Steve, because they've stopped paying for these guys to visit different cities. Now you wish they'd visit different cities. Oh, my God, this is terrible. Ter you, you can tell the background is absolutely awful as they pretend. Well, they're, they're having fun with pretending like they are in these random places. Uh, it looks like Gorilla and the Wizard's still here this week, so maybe four weeks of the Wizard before he's cut off, I guess. And it's on to Monday Night Raw for May 3rd. Taped back on April 26th last week at the Manhattan Center. And it kicks right off 
with Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Immediately we get an USA chant because Shawn is maybe a KGB spy. I don't really know why the fans are chanting USA against Shawn Michaels here. Michaels bumping good for Duggan early on. He tries to run away, but Hacksaw carries him back. As we go into a commercial break, we come back. Shawn Michaels drops Duggan throat first across the ropes. He takes over for a solid bit of time. Duggan with some hope spots in between, but things start to slow down. Sean grabs a chin lock about nine minutes in. Duggan then hacksaws up, makes the comeback, three-point stance and clothesline, but Sean rolls out to the floor. HBK then tries to leave for a second time. Duggan brings him back yet again. They begin fighting at on the floor. Duggan clotheslines Sean over the rail into the crowd. Wow, two times in like three weeks is when he goes over into the crowd. First Luna and Sherry, now Sean Michaels. You never even got that before. Duggan rolls inside the ring. He beats the count. Shawn Michaels is counted out. Duggan will pick up the win in 11 minutes and 30 seconds, but he won't win the title. I wrote, Hacksaw has been more relevant in the last three months than in the last three years. They've literally given Hacksaw more to do in 1993 than they have in the last three years combined. Yeah, the dude stayed over to a degree. Like He wasn't like super hot or super cold, but Vince probably trusted him and um, he can easily rally a crowd around him, and uh, he can deliver if he has a good opponent. So uh, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Which explains a lot because he probably hasn't had a good opponent in about three years. What, since, like, Macho King? Yeah, probably. Dino Bravo and Earthquake, yeah, it's a little dicey. Um, Sergeant but, Slaughter? Uh, yeah. So, then the tag run, obviously, with Slaughter. But um, no, I, I just think it's uh, – if you look at the main event scene, or not main event, but this like that mid-card or upper mid-card, mm-hmm. there's absolutely like, hardly anybody there on the face side. Crush, I mean, he looks weak after what he happened to, with Doink. You should be able to destroy Doink, but I get it. So there's really just not a lot of guys there on that side. So throwing Duggan in here and these hot little angles is perfect, I think. Yeah, it's – uh. Really weird dynamic to see Hacksaw. You don't really see Hacksaw being implemented in these title matches like this, much less against Shawn Michaels, of all people. Such a weird opponent for Shawn, yet it works here for a couple weeks here on Raw. And post-match, Hacksaw is not happy with his win because he didn't win the belt. Shawn got to run away. Hacksaw says the WWF gets a lot right, but they got this one wrong, Steve. And it's not fair that he beats a guy all around the ring and he and the guy can just make a run for it to retain the title. So, Hacksaw says he's not leaving the ring until he gets another piece of Shawn Michaels. Tough guy. Hacksaw throws a chair into the ring and has a sit-down strike, but he's facing the wrong way. He should have been facing the hard camera. Hacksaw's back to the hard camera, facing the crowd as he has a sit-down strike in the ring. He's not leaving until he gets more of Shawn Michaels as we go into commercial break. Back from the break, Duggan's still sitting in the ring as they throw to a King of the Ring report. And then when we come back, Duggan finally randomly gone from the ring. Vince says Hacksaw was persuaded to leave the ring as President Jack Tunney is on the phone to speak with Jim Duggan. And it's back to the ring for more action. Doink the Clown taking on a guy by the name of the Kamikaze Kid. Doink on the way out, he has a fake tongue hanging from his mouth. He rips it out of his mouth, so I'm surprised Vince didn't say he ripped his tongue out of his socket. Or however you word that, I'm not really sure. <laughs> so this uh, kamikaze kid, he looks familiar, Steve. He has a, a the word L period kid on the back of his trunk or his singlet. 
Uh, I've seen this guy somewhere before. I know where I've seen it. It's the Lightning Kid from Global Fame. 1991 was the first time I saw the Lightning Kid, and I knew who this was immediately. I marked out that the Lightning Kid randomly appeared in the W. Now, I hadn't seen the Lightning Kid, remember, since 1991. Yes, there were repeats aired on Global throughout 92 featuring the Lightning Kid, but he hadn't really actually been in the company since 91. So where has he been for the last year and a half? Well, he's been all over the place, including Japan, but now he's here in the WWF, but as a job guy? Early on, Doink with a nice-ass belly-to-belly suplex, and he just mauls the kid, locks in an STF at one point, then the stump puller, and the timekeeper is deaf because the referee tells the timekeeper five times to ring the fucking bell. It took forever. Doink picks up the win with the stump puller in just two minutes, just squashed this L kid who is called the Kamikaze Kid. That's insane that he, his tights say L kid, and they, they won't even let him be the lightning kid here. So what did you make of this uh, young Kamikaze Kid? Uh, nothing, because <laughs> he did nothing in this match, and I yeah. didn't know him. This is the first time I've ever seen him, so he didn't mean anything to me. Uh, he just looked like another jobber with, who had some money to buy some gear. So um, <laughs> That's a good way to ex- uh, describe it, I would. <laughs> All I know is WWF should pay that WCW timekeeper. The WWF guy doesn't want to ring the bell. The t- WCW guy doesn't want to stop, stop ringing, ringing the bell. Stop ringing the bell, yeah. So, so, um, <laughs> Going into business for himself. You hear that bell? You hear that bell? That was me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was funny. Like The kid's like shaking his hand, like pointing, like, let's go. I quit. Let's go. And nothing happens. And then this goes on and on. Felt like forever. It felt, yeah. probably felt like forever for him, too. It's probably only 10 to 15 seconds, but still, that's a long time when the match should be over. Yeah, ref just standing there. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. And uh, anyway, I don't want to keep going on about that. But uh, just my initial thoughts when I saw this match right away, I go, well, that's the lightning kid. Then I see the L and the lightning on his on his trunks. I go, yes, I know for a fact that's the lightning kid. I knew, I'm not I'm not a fool. I realize he's going to do the job here because he's in the jobber position. But when he got no offense in whatsoever, I was really bummed out. I'm like, I know what this guy can do. And I was just really bummed out. That's that's all I'll say about that here this week on Raw. Of course, yeah, was, that'll that'll change as time goes on. Yeah, I was hoping to see something because I know who he is now, obviously. But mm-hmm. I was surprised by this. Like he just completely. It's funny we have the same note. He mauled him. Uh, Doink just went after him and destroyed him like immediately. Like kid had no chance. So it was kind of surprising. I didn't. I don't remember it happening that way. Um, but obviously we know where this heads and what happens down the line. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, I th- and I think that's why it's booked this way for the kid not to get any offense in whatsoever. So maybe one day if he ever should get offense, it'll be even more spectacular, more surprising. Yeah. It's smart. Initially it's stupid when you think about it, but once you know the whole story, it actually turned out really well. They did, they did good by him. Absolutely. We go on with the show. It's Bob Backlund taking on Dwayne Gill. And during this match, they announced that there will be a rematch next week between Shawn Michaels and Jim Duggan. This time, it will be a lumberjack match. Meanwhile, in the ring, they do the old short arm scissors spot. Dwayne Gill gets backlit in these short arm scissors, so Bob can show off his insane strength as he lifts, deadlifts Dwayne Gill up into the air on his bicep. I was always amazed when Bob used to do that way back in his WWF title run. And... <laughs> As he does the O'Connor roll, right before he rocks back into the bridge, he looks at the camera and gives two thumbs up. You can't get any more cheesy than that. Into the Backlund Bridge, gets the win. Three minutes and 40 seconds. Bob Backlund, Jesus Christ. 
Never changed, Bob. And he hasn't. So Hacksaw is back out for promo number two on the show. Vince speaks, speaks with Duggan about the upcoming Lumberjack match, again for the Intercontinental title. Duggan says Sean spends more time on the outside of the ring than the inside. And while Shawn Michaels sure is pretty and can wrestle pretty well, he can't fight worth a lick, tough guy. So Duggan looking to beat down Shawn Michaels next week and take the title. So we got rematch on our hands. Let's go. I'm ready for it. Yeah, and I can't tell you the last time I saw a lumberjack match in the WWF. It has to be the 1980s, I would think, off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't think of any. It's not a gimmick they usually ran very often. Smoking guns out here again with a vignette. The second one, that's where they pull out the old Alec Baldwins. And we continue on. Captain Lou Albano randomly appears ringside in the ring, actually, and joins Vince McMahon for commentary for the upcoming match. This is Lou's first WWF appearance since a pre-WrestleMania three Piper's Pit way back in 1987 when Lou tried to convince Andre not to do the heel turn. So Lou then talks some Samoan. That's pretty much what Lou does here. Couldn't get away with that today. But uh, Lou, Lou does his version of what Samoan speech sounds like. Remember, he used to manage the tag team champion while Samoans often speak. Of. Speaking of Afa, he accompanies the head shrinkers to ringside for the upcoming match. Remember Lou on commentary for this one. They're taking on Jay Sledge and Jim Bell. They just destroy these poor jobbers. Pile drivers, a nasty super kick from Fatu. Fatu with the splash on Bell. The head shrinkers. Get the win in this extended squash. Match went five minutes and 42 seconds. Post-match, they even rip poor Jim Bell's singlet. It's probably the only one he had. Poor guy. Probably. They had to give Lou more time on the commentary. Yeah, and Bruce Pritchard once told a story on one of his podcasts. I, I don't know if it was this time when Lou shows up or maybe another time when Lou shows up, but one of these times, Lou randomly shows up trying to get on TV or whatever. Just randomly shows up at the garden because he'd been there a zillion times before. And Vince sticks him with Bruce Pritchard for the day. And Bruce is like, what the fuck? Because Bruce has shit to do, right? He's producing the shit back there and everything. And so Bruce thought it would be funny if he just sent Lou out there to do commentary with Vince and kind of get Vince back there. So I don't know, I don't know if it was this, uh, this incident or if it's the next time Lou pops up randomly on one of these episodes of Raw, but I thought that was a funny, <laughs> funny story. That's great. You can tell Bruce has a good relationship with Vince if you're playing jokes on him like that. Yeah, Bruce Bruce is the right-hand man. Bartley gets fired for making fun of Vince, and Bruce sends out Captain Lou to piss off Vince, and nothing happens. So, uh, <laughs> pal, you got me. Oh, I'm sure Bruce <laughs> I'm sure Bruce paid for this six ways from Sunday or whatever the fuck. But. Oh, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. But he didn't get fired for it. So there's a new Coliseum video coming out called Smack 'em Whack 'em Steve. And on that video, you'll see home improvement tips from the Bushwhackers. And that's supposed to make me want to go out and rent or buy this shit? Nope. <laughs> As the Bushwhackers prominent, I'm good. No thanks. It's at this point we learn that both Yokozuna and Mr. Perfect will both be lumberjacks for the Shawn Michaels hacksaw match next week because that makes a lot of sense. Of course, Hennig in the middle of the feud with Michaels, and we know what Yoko did to Jim Duggan, so let's let's throw him out there ringside for the title match. Why not? This isn't gimmicked. Come on. No. <laughs> this isn't like you're writing a storyline of any sort. I don't see anything. I don't see, foresee anything coming of this. This is real. Yeah, it's like the it's like Slamboree '96 Lethal Lottery. It's <laughs> real as real gets. 
Yep. We go on with this show, and we say goodbye to the former Doctor of Style, now the Reverend Slick. He is no more, Steve. He may pop up on syndication, I'm not really sure, but he is gone, as you can see right here. Kamala to the ring, all by his lonesome, to take on Rich Myers, and Vince even acknowledges. You may be wondering where Slick is. Well, there's no more Slick. Slick has been teaching and tutoring Kamala. Slick no longer thinks Kamala needs him anymore. Kamala's his own man. No longer needs Slick. AKA, you're fired. <laughs> Kamala hits the splash to the back on Rich Myers, picks up the win, two minutes and 29 seconds. Kamala without a manager, I don't know how well this was going to work. And we learn next week it's Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Typhoon here on Raw in a King of the Ring oh, qualifying Lord. match. Yes, somebody's qualifying. <laughs> three guesses as to which one of the three guesses as to which one of these two guys is going to advance next week in the King of the Ring. Danny Davis, if he's the ref. Well, it could be. I would, I would book myself <laughs> into winning that match as well. It's dangerous, you know. <laughs> That's right. So we conclude this episode of Raw as Bobby Heenan interviews Shawn Michaels in the locker room. Shawn says, how dare Jack Tunney treat the Intercontinental Champion this way? Bobby Heenan wants to know what Shawn has in store for Duggan, but Shawn's not stupid. He's not going to let the cat out of the bag right here on Raw. So he begins whispering to Bobby Heenan. So Shawn says, Duggan... He's going to have some friends out there. Well, Sean's going to have some friends too. So it sounds like Sean has maybe has a trick up his sleeve. We're going to have to find out about that. And speaking of Sean Michaels. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed. Sean Michaels has left the building. And with that, Sean Michaels again leaves the building here in the 1993 WWF for this April episode. Steve, we've made it to May through May 3rd. Yeah, um, that last interview with Heenan and Sean was really good. I thought Sean looked flustered, but at the end, like what you were saying, Heenan asked him what his plan was, and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to tell you that. And so he starts whispering, and then right before the camera cuts off, Heenan looks up and says, tells Duggan to stay home because the plan's that good. Yeah. So uh, Heenan just doing what he does best, and that's get something over. Oh, it's but always, nice he, he, he adds those little things that are just so, they make things so much better than what they would have been without him. Yeah, it's like, like you said, he has a plan. I have friends out there too, and then he tells Heenan what the plan is, and it's like, oh, you better stay home, Duggan, or it's going to be bad news for you. So that just makes you want to tune in to find out what Sean has in store for Duggan on Raw, so uh, excellent job by Heenan, of course. And another month in the books. We've done April 5 through May the 3rd, and now next next week we got another big show coming up, and we'll get to that in a minute. Steve, I want to thank you for being here for this April edition of the WWF in 1993. It's been fun. The fallout from WrestleMania, it won't be too long before we can bid adieu to Hulkamania here in the WWF. Uh, he's pretty much gone at this point. I know we get some random stupid promos, but for the most part, in all intents and purposes, he's no longer with us, so um, good riddance. I love Hulk Hogan, but 1993 version, not so much. But yeah, yeah, April's been fun. Not a lot going on early on, but then we get the Tatanka and Bam Bam stuff and Sherry and Luna, Sean and Duggan. Never thought I'd say that. King of the Ring qualifiers starting? Yeah, yeah. Luger. We finally know what's up with the forearm, so... It doesn't seem like a lot, but a lot happened in April here, and um, we're well on our way to King of the Ring. I mean, I love that show, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll do another month of WWF TV, but not next week. Next week, we have a special 40th episode 
of the Grenade Plant. It's another watch-along episode, and you guys need to stay tuned for links and find out how you can watch along with us. I'll be posting. Actually, I've already posted links on social media. So if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, you guys can go there right now and figure out how you can watch along with us. I will be posting them again closer to the time that show drops next week. That'll be next Wednesday when the show drops. We will be doing a watch along. It's a dual watch along, Steve. Two, two episodes of WWF programming from the European tour. There's two house shows that aired. They actually aired four house shows over there. And two of them are, we're going to be doing them on the watch along next week here on the grenade. I can't say I've ever watched these all the way through. So uh, this is going to be a new experience for me. I'm sure it's going to be a new experience for a lot of people. So I definitely tune in big four. Oh, isn't that over the hill, right? 40s over the hill. Maybe in some people's eyes, but for us, we're just getting started. Episode 40, The Grenade's going to be coming to you next week. You guys stay tuned for those links. We found them online. You guys can click on those links. Watch along with us. We're going to count down and watch both shows. The reason there's two shows, they're both about 90 minutes each, roughly, give or take. And they're both Group A and Group B. Remember, we discussed at the beginning of the show, two different groups over there in the European tour. We're going to take a look at what the matches look like on both tours. So Group A and Group B, some fun matches. We're going to be calling them beginning to end. I've purposely... Not watched either of these shows straight through so that I can kind of enjoy this along with everyone else for the very first time. Yeah, and also we got the special show on Thanksgiving, so uh, stay tuned for more information on that. Lots of good stuff coming up here on The Grenade. That's right. Don't forget about Thanksgiving morning. It's going to drop. It's a special bonus episode of The Grenade. It is not one of our numbered episodes. This is episode 39. Episode 40 will be the European tour watch along here in April of 1993 in between. We do have the Thanksgiving day bonus episode. Again, I almost let the cat out of the bag and said what it was. I'm not going to do that. I want you guys to be surprised. Just wake up that morning and click on your, uh, whatever streaming app you guys use or go to wrestlecopia.com. It'll be there too. You're going to get a bonus episode of the grenade. It's fun. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm not, I don't want to give it away, but it's uh, it definitely goes along with the Thanksgiving tradition. I'll put it that way. Yes, there's, uh, there's plenty of options there. Show enough. <laughs> so, Steve, I want to thank you again for joining me for April. Again, we'll be back soon with the European Watch Along. And then after that, we'll be back to WWF TV. We're going to talk all about the news, notes, and reviews of the television programming in the month of May 1993. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Sneaker Tamer insoles from Odor Eaters. Tame even ferocious sneaker odor with the world's most powerful odor destroyer. Hey guys, just want to say thank you again for joining Steve and I. We have more watch-alongs on the way as we continue through 1993 here on The Grenade Show, King of the Rings, Summer Slam, Survivor Series. But we also plan to add multiple watch-along specials to our Patreon account. In the coming weeks, we'll be adding some house shows that maybe we'll be able to tell you how to get your hands on those house shows to watch along with us, as well as some of the USA specials like March to WrestleMania 9. So you guys want to keep checking back to our Patreon account for all new watch-along videos and our watch-along series over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And that $5 tier is what you want to hit. That's the all-access tier. Yes, we do have 14 tiers of goodies, but the $5 tier is my personal favorite to shill because... It's all access. You get everything from every tier below the $5 tier, as well as our entire Patreon watch-along series, which covers everything from several Saturday Night's Main events to Clash of the Champions to tons of WCW and WWF pay-per-views from the Monday Night War era 
They make great complimentary pieces to our Monday Warfare podcast, by the way, but they're great standalones as well to Coliseum Home Videos and everything in between. Like I said, we'll be adding things from 1993 here in the WWF as part of that Watch Along Series USA Specials and other things of that nature. And all right, with all of that out of the way, it's time once again, time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. And until that time, this is Ray Russell for my co-host this week, Stephen Ekstad, saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. Because when I get old, fatso, yukozudo, stinko buno in the arms position, I press that, I pressure that, I precious that, I regard that more than life, I'm fucked up, I can't even talk.